Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dan Druff with Hellas. This is being broadcast live on September 12th, 2019. The time right now, 8.41 p.m. Pacific Time. So we have somebody tonight who's going to be on the show. We actually have two somebodies that a lot of you will be happy to hear. I already announced one of them. Attorney Eric Benzamokin is going to come on for our segment about Phil Ivey, and he's going to give his legal expertise. And I know that most people really like when he comes on this show. In fact, I've never heard anything bad about him. I've heard only good. So I shouldn't even say most people. I should say like everyone, because I've, ne- I've never had a, a single person send me a message criticizing Eric's appearance on the show. So a lot of people like when he comes on, and we're going to have him on to talk about the legal filing that took place this week that everyone's talking about involving Phil Ivey and two other high-stakes players. But tonight we're going to have back somebody who has co-hosted this show before. I have not announced this. This was something that wasn't going to certainly happen. We'll see who it is. Could it be the Northern California guy? Could it be Brandon Drexel Gerson? Or could it be Cal Watt? Hello. Hey, Druff. How you doing, man? Glad to have you back. I think this might be the first show you've appeared on in 2019. It is. For sure it is, yeah. We tried. It's not for lack of trying. Yeah, right? yeah. There was uh, there were some late starting issues. And I, I've said this before, but just to repeat for everybody who may not know, the momentum killer for Calwatt being on this show, which was just about every week up through August of 2018, was my ending of the show for a while because of my health issues last year. And Calwatt, who is in New York, is three hours later. We already start the show kind of late anyway, so it's always around midnight when it starts for him. And he just got out of the habit of staying up that late, and by the time we came back regularly about four months later... He was out of the habit, and then it was uh, kind of difficult to uh, get him back, especially because our, our schedule was jumping around a lot. And then the last week, well, and you and you lied to me. I would I wouldn't say I lied to you. You outright lied to me. Well, that show's going on in five minutes. We'll see you there. Oh, I'm gonna go take a twenty minute dump. Well, right? I I can't control that. That's not <laughs> lying. That's that's my uh, bowels betraying me. That's that's all that is. Betrayed by bowels. Yeah, that's, that's horrible. That's all that happened yeah. here. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you've got your your health issues under control. You know. Well, thank you. That's... No longer no longer have the gag reflex problem that you're having before. That's well, I, I actually I still have it somewhat, but I, I have ways to control it now that I discovered on my own. And uh, and the the biggest problem last year was were the psychological issues that uh, came as a result of all of that, and and were very difficult to deal with. And then I was just thinking of this today. I seem to have fully recovered or almost fully recovered from the vocal issues, which I guess were also an offshoot of everything that was going on. Because at the time, right. like last year, at this time, I couldn't speak for more than like 20 minutes without my throat really hurting like I had been speaking for eight hours. And mm. I thought, okay, well, if I ever come back to radio, maybe I can do a two-hour show. But no, I, I actually did an eight-hour show in July, so I, I can do it again, and I, I kind of feel normal now when I do radio the same way I, I always have, where, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit sore if it's a very long show, but I can do like a five-hour show, no soreness at all. So I actually went to a voice specialist in Los Angeles at the time when I was having the problems, and he – the cause was not known, but he did see that there was a lot of 
the way he described it was, and I, I was doing this subconsciously. I, I didn't know I was doing it, and there's no way to just stop it. But like when I was speaking, he said that I was putting a lot of vocal effort into speaking. Like it wasn't just happening naturally. I was doing something different that was putting a lot of strain. Well, Odruff, anyone who's listened to you over the years knows that you definitely put a lot of effort into speaking. <laughs> You've done like 11-hour shows, for God's sake. But he, he oh, means like, like per word, you know, like they just, they, he was noticing there's it. a lot of stress being put on my vocal cords. Like, I, I, and he said, I know what you're saying, but I mean, okay, so I, in, in another world, like in my professional world, I do a, a podcast, yeah. right? And I host it and I have other people on it and stuff. We do an hour-long show, right? And I have a number of different people on there. It it takes some talent, Druff, for you to be able to just talk. <laughs> just go and go and go and, and occasionally like rattle Traderuski to see if he's awake. I'm I'm that's a compliment. It really is. It it takes some talent to be able to just go like that. Yeah, know? I I just I just talk and don't think about it and I try to think about what I'm saying, but I try not to think about the fact that I'm just talking and of course the more talk back from other people on with me helps because it, it gives me a break and sometimes though like i'll be talking for like three straight hours and i'll have like a clip to play and i go oh thank god i can play a clip for a minute and stop talking so okay well th- very good to have you tonight i'm glad that you're on the show and uh that doesn't mean that there's no trader ruski though that does not we gotta that. get him on we've got we to get him, get him on. oh no we're gonna, of course he's gonna come back and here i have something new to show you here watch this oh you're going to see my screen now. Do you see my it screen? It doesn't involve your gag reflex, does it? No. Well, I could turn on the cam, too. But... <laughs> Dear God. Do, do you see... I, don't, I don't want to show, Druff. Do, do you see the screen now? Do you see my screen? I do. Yeah. This is the way Ooh. you hear sound effects on Skype. This is. I, I'm not thrilled about having to share my screen. I have to close certain windows that normally I'd keep I, open during the show. I, I bet you do. But... Uh, this this is a way that it's not perfect. It does lose sound sometimes, but this is probably the best it's been in a while. This is Skype's new way, so you can hear sound. I don't know why Skype doesn't just let you hear sound and without sharing the whole thing. Can you mute the the video? Can you like just no, turn off? No, I'm, I'm I'm glad this exists. This this wasn't here for a long time. Then just one day they added it. So, so. okay, because you know, for a second it went black. I don't know, man. I mean, it, Skype is such a dumpster fire. But there there are so many chat apps out there that work pretty well. You know, well, hey, I, I, Risky, how you doing, man? What's up, boys? What's up, Cal Watt? Welcome back. It's like Good old, to talk to you, my man. Voice. You yes. too. It's like old times here. Okay. It's, so every every time, like I've been listening to the show still, as as Druff mentioned, and it's like every time, you know, Todd will be talking for a while, and and then it he will be like, Trederuski, you still there? And it kind of it just reminds me of like a puppy is curled up in the corner and someone's poking it with a stick. Like, you still awake? <laughs> you still awake over there, buddy? But then he's got to get off mute, so it's always suspense. So I'm thinking, yeah. okay, is he here yeah. or is he just unmuting? It's it's always an adventure to know whether Trader Ruski yeah, is still with us. he's doing construction work in the background. God knows what, you know. <laughs> okay, so uh, so we have Trader Ruski, we have Calawat, and, and soon we're going to have Eric Benzamokin when we get to our first topic, which will be very shortly. I'm trying to keep the intros shorter these days. I think last... Last week, I think I had the shortest intro yet. So this week, it'll be a little longer because we have a lot of topics this week. Again, a heavier topic week. And you two, however long you can stay up, you can stay with me when you can't stay with me anymore or or just uh, nature takes over and puts you to bed, then so be it. So very quickly, the phone numbers to reach the show, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also text that number at any time before, during, or after the show, 
Make sure to mention, if you don't want me reading your text on the air, at the beginning of the text, or otherwise I might. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Can't text it, but you can call it. It's an old 70s rotary phone. Sits on top of Mount Charleston, forwards to me wherever I go. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line for Poker Fraud Alert Radio. The Call to Listen line is a phone number that's been around almost four years. You can just call it and listen to the show. It's beautiful. Never buffers. It just works. It does not require a data plan. doesn't require a smartphone or the Internet. None of that's just a, just any phone that could dial ever can call this number and listen to the show either live or when we're not live, it'll play a streaming rerun from sometime in the past when we've done one of our more than 300 shows. 605-313-0736. 605-313-0736. Then there's the alternate number, 641-741-1095. These numbers are all listed. Everything I just gave out here, all listed on the radio tab near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. So if you forget them, then it's easy to find them there. You can catch the show in the archives on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Bullhorn, and Alexa. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio, and it'll play the live show. Say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast, and it will play the last show in the archives. Alexa, delete Poker Fraud Alert podcast. No, 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 no. Alexa, stop. Okay, I, I stopped it just in time. You know what's about that? If you have this show on speaker and you're near an Alexa, it will listen to that and play. But they have something in their commercials to where if you're watching TV and an Alexa commercial comes on and someone says Alexa and gives it a command, your Alexa will not light up. So there's something they do in the commercial to where it knows not to respond. That's pretty cool. I don't know what they're doing, but the, maybe it's some sound that we can't really hear and it can. I, I, I'd love to know what they're doing to where – or maybe maybe it's a certain voice. I bet it's the voice, the specific voice it recognizes from the commercial. Because I've noticed every time an Alexa commercial comes on, it does not activate the device. But any anything else that says Alexa will make it go. Alexa, buy dildo from Amazon. What kind of dildo do you wish to purchase? <laughs> I don't know. Now your gag reflex is taken care of. You can get a big one, right? We've, we have found 17 results for dildos. Okay, I see Calwatt hasn't missed a step. Those who complain that uh, he's too much of a pervert. Do you want, sure, do you uh, want the one you ordered last week? They, they, oh, God. Yeah, that's one of the world's worst startup ideas is recycling dildos and stuff. You know? We once had a person who was a listener to this show and a poster on the forum. She she kind of went away after she got married, but it was a, a young woman who went by Biebs, and she, yeah. she she actually sold them for a while. That was her. Sure. She she sold them like freelance. It was, it was like when she was like 20 years old. She had like parties. I'd love to see. And, and good for her, you know. But why not? Before you get too excited, guys, the parties were nowhere near as interesting as you think they were. It's like a bunch of middle-aged women getting together and just kind of like just looking at them, deciding what to buy. It's, it's, it's yeah, and I'm sure they're just giggling and yeah. you know talking and buying them and stuff, yeah. right? I mean, it's not it's not a it's not a casting couch or anything. No, no, you wouldn't want to be a fly on that wall. At least I wouldn't. No. Okay, so. Yeah. Here is the uh, free roll information, and for once you have time to enter, because I, I rushed to start close to on time to get Calwatt on here. The free roll starts at 9.15 Pacific time, which is pretty good because uh, maybe Calwatt will have fallen asleep by then and he can't come, come in and win since it's a big one this week. Uh, it was going to be $100 from Eric Benzamokin, but then we got an 
Eric Benzamokin splash pot. And we're, we're going to do that a bit differently in the future, by the way. But this this splash no, pot. No. This you're, not, you're not taking this from front at once, are you? <laughs> this is his idea. Are you really? Oh, uh, Eric Benzamokin okay. splash pot. It, it's, it's, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. But right. don't ruin it. He's being generous here. And Eric, $200. He gave another $100 to make it a $200 free roll, which means you actually get $100 for finishing first. So $100 for first, 50 for second, 25 for third, 15 for fourth, $10 for fifth. It's good we have an attorney coming on the show because Galfon might sue me. So it's 150 25 15 and 10 Five prizes being given away, all thanks to Eric Benzamokin. 9.15 p.m. on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash freeroll, all lowercase, to see the updated rules and terms and conditions to understand about qualifying for the free money. I actually updated this thing like a week or two ago. It looks, it's a web page. You've, you've updated and improved the chat room as well. It's fantastic. <laughs> See, this this was the one good thing about not having Calwatt back is that <laughs> the chat room was not attacked. Nobody made fun of the chat room. Hey, uh, I'm in it, man. I'm participating. I don't see your ass there. That's I did forget. I knew I forget something every week, and this time it was yeah. at least it's correctable. This time I can just go right in there. All right, so that's uh, all for the moment before the actual agenda, and then we'll get going. The first item tonight. Daniel Cates and Ilya Trencher. Yes, uh, Ilya Trencher, the same one who uh, once got in trouble for uh, an underground gambling ring in New York. But they're also both high-stakes poker players. You know Daniel Cates very well, I'm sure. Uh, They both filed an objection, a legal objection, to the Borgata's seizure of Phil Ivey's WSOP winnings, claiming that they actually bought him in, and therefore it was their money. So we will discuss that whole situation, which I think is not what it appears to be. And we're going to discuss it from a legal standpoint from a certain individual who is qualified to do so, which is not any of the three of us. But we'll, of course, give our opinions as well. Phil Galfond, since uh, we just seem to follow this every week now, I'm sure it's like way overcovered on this show. I'm sure he probably would prefer we don't cover it, but uh, we do. Uh, Phil Galfond has started a blitz. He's making appearances everywhere. If you want to interact with him on 2 Plus 2, he's in the thread about his run at once poker site on the 2 Plus 2 NVG forum. He's twitching now. He's on Twitch and streaming his own play on his own site now. He is... uh, He just wrote a blog about uh, the whole state of the site, basically, and whether he made mistakes or not up till now. He also appeared on the Dat Poker podcast, the one that is run by Daniel Negranu, Adam Schwartz, and Terrence Chan, kind of a continuation of the 2 Plus 2 poker cast, but uh, with Negranu, which uh, Mason would have never allowed. So and After you pointed that out to me, I actually listened to the whole interview. Yeah. I, I think anyway, so. and it was it was better than I thought it was going to be. Like they, especially Terrence, did ask some pretty good questions. Right, right. So, so we're gonna we're gonna play some clips of it. And uh, again, I'm glad we have a, a lawyer that's front of the show and play some clips of it. I, hopefully, it falls under fair use. Uh, I, I, what I found in the interview, without going into it uh, too deeply during the intro, I thought the first ten to twelve minutes of that were very hard hitting. Like like you said, surprisingly hard hitting with some tough questions that I I'm like. Whoa, okay, they. I thought they're going to softball him. No, they're asking some pretty well, tough well, things. Well, not even just tough questions, but good questions. Yeah, no, you know I, I, I mean? don't. Like I don't they, mean like, like they mean, were good questions. Yeah, yes. he wasn't trying to hang him. Right. Wasn't you know? But they were good questions. They were good questions, mm-hmm. right? I, like questions I probably would ask too. So, 
very impressed with that like first 12 minutes, but then it kind of went into softballing. So I don't know. It's, I guess they I guess they had to have the the good and the bad there. For, so so this way he walks away feeling they were nice to him. Uh, but uh, I'll play the interesting parts near the beginning of that interview. And if you want to hear the whole thing, just go to just Google Dat D A T uh, podcast or Poker Podcast Dat Poker Podcast, and you can find it. Ethical question. That, that was the first time that I had ever listened to that podcast, by the way. So you shouldn't admit that. You should say you listen every week to make Adam feel good. He listens I, I mean, I like I like Adam and everything, but just, you know, when the switchover happened, I was also doing other stuff, and I just kind of never really, you know, never really made the made yeah. the move, you know. An ethical question. This has nothing to do with poker and nothing to do with gambling, but – it became a discussion topic on the forum, a discussion topic on Twitter that was actually brought out by the mysterious Rachel Lee's 69 account on Twitter, who is a very regular listener to this show. Interesting person, mysterious with a – they admit they're a fake account, but nobody knows who it is. But if a guy who just scammed you and he just caught scamming you accidentally drops his wallet and drives away and you see it, do you return the wallet? And if not, what do you do with it? This is an ethical question which I posed to the forum and got some surprising but not so surprising results. We will ask whatever co-hosts remain on the line at that point what they would do, and I'll tell you what I would do, and I would I will tell you what I think of other people's answers about what they would do. I think it's an interesting topic for many reasons, and that'll be our third topic of the night. King's Casino in the Czech Republic, owned by Leon Sukernik, who scammed people at the World Series. Who could have seen this coming? They are now being accused, at least on 2 plus 2. I don't know if it's credible, but uh, people on 2 plus 2 are accusing the King's Casino of not paying out what they owe. Specifically from tournament wins. That's... uh, (laughs) I I have to say I'm not surprised. Even if it's not true, I'm not surprised. It's a story I've been waiting... To see hit at some point. Two people will appear on Poker Fraud Alert Radio sometime this month regarding the Vinny Favorito scamming accusations. We've talked about that on this show. He's a Vegas comedian. He's been, he's played in uh, major strip hotels recently, and that's how he's able to do this, where people give him loans because he's a big Vegas comedian. So you know, why wouldn't you think he's good for it, except if uh, he's terrible with money and never has any of it and is constantly taking loans? So we're going to have two people on this month with um, more details about this. But in the meantime, I have some more information on Vinny Favorito's alleged scamming, including I will direct you to a place where you can see a handwritten IOU that Vinny supposedly gave one of these people. And I believe it, by the way. I I just say supposedly because I don't have proof myself. But if someone asked me, do you believe this, I would say, yes, I believe this uh, just about 100%. America's card room required a player to take a video of himself before processing their cash out. They had to take a video of themselves, not, don't, nothing dirty. Don't, don't think that way. I don't mean a, a nasty video. I mean a video of themselves playing poker, and then they had to send it in in order for their cash out to be processed. Why? Well, I think there could be a good reason for it, and we will discuss that. Even though the poker world is outraged about this right now, I'm actually not outraged, though I do have one small issue with it. Bart Hansen, a good friend of Cal Watt here, was 
he made a revelation recently. Bart Hansen had a secret life in the early 2000s that he had covered up from all of us. I, you probably knew about it, Kellogg, but uh, he was on he was on various TV shows, not uh, scripted TV shows, but reality-type TV shows. And this only came out because of me, because I revealed that I was selected. I, was, I had a fast track to appear on a show called Married by America, where people get to vote who I marry, and I'm, I'm required to marry the person on the spot. I didn't appear on it. I turned it down. But I was uh, invited to be one of the people on there. Not just try out. I was invited to be fast-tracked to be one of them, and I said no. Uh, so I, I posted a little clip of Married by America, and then Bart saw it and responded by saying he did not turn down his opportunity. He was on a show called Anything for Love, and I believe he was on the Hollywood Squares, and I think he was on another show. So I'm going to play you uh, a little clip. I won't play the whole thing. I'll, I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you where to find it. Uh, for my, uh, my favorite part about all of that is that he was on the Hollywood Squares with Charo. Do you remember Charo? Yes. <laughs> just, the idea just makes me crack up thinking about it. I can't yeah. believe she's still alive. Yeah. I don't know if she is. Is she? Um, oh, it wasn't recent. Okay, it was way back. Yeah, I'm not sure if she's still alive. I actually, she was they on so many things have back Charo then. Charo on, uh, on on TV these days. I don't think so. Well, they probably wouldn't have Bart on way back then, though, right? Well, I mean, Bart was, you know, he was heading out to L.A. He was trying to do the, uh, you know, the celebrity thing, I guess. I don't know. He was doing a whole bunch of different stuff out hey, there. Hey, Master Scaler, are you here? Oh, we lost him. Hold on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him back. Master Scaler. For real? Yeah, he was just trying to call in. That's a, I don't know if you heard in the background. No. No, I was, uh, he was trying to call uh, my, my phone. That's when the, the whole game show thing got him all worked up. So. <laughs> yeah, if only he knew. This is a perfect topic yeah. for him. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully he answers here. I hope he didn't hang up because he was on the show. Are you doing radio? Ken? I'm in here. Ken, hi. Yeah. You're on the show. What show? Wait, what show? There's only one show I do. Oh, God, I'm on the radio show? <laughs> yes, you are. I want to talk about the debate. Well, um, I didn't watch it. I'm going to watch it after the show. I was too busy. Okay, so there's no... Oh, so you can't give analysis because he didn't no, have to do your prepping. No, I was... Right, I was prepping for the show, so I didn't have time to watch it. I figured I'd watch it tonight after the show's okay, over. Okay, and maybe. All right, um, okay, I, I want an analysis, but I, I guess... I can't get it from this corner. So, Ken, I have a question. We, we happen to be talking about uh, game shows and reality shows from the early 2000s, and, uh, and I, had I, mentioned, I had mentioned that I was fast-tracked to appear on Married by America but refused it back in uh, 2003, and I, I talked about the whole oh, pro- – and, and I talked about what led to it, about, about how we got into kind of like the casting database because of appearing on uh, the, the, the tryout for Card Sharks, and they liked us. So uh, – do you remember a show called Anything for Love, Ken? From like 04? Uh, or, or 03? I remember the I remember the name but I didn't watch it. Okay, one of the guys who listens to this show and appears on sometimes was on it. I was just uh, curious if you had remembered it or try, or tried out for it. Were, were there any shows you tried out for that you didn't get on in like the last 20 years? Uh, I didn't get on Buzz and I didn't get on I think it was Eliminate. And then there was, you, you tried out, like didn't you try out for Press Your Luck also, like I did, and not get on? Yeah, did I, did, was I with you? No, we were separate, but for yeah. whatever reason, they didn't like, it was funny because both shows that selected us, like, 
uh, liked us both. First, at, at Car Char- Car Sharks, we were together, and then for uh, the chair, which never ended up airing and never ended up filming for us, they they we were separate and they liked both of us separately. But on for Press Your Luck, we both auditioned for it and, separately, and they liked neither of us. Are you sure it was the chair and not the chamber? Oh, no, 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 it was, it, was, it, was, it was the chamber. You're right. It wasn't the chair. Okay. I remember the chamber. I failed the psychological exam. Yeah, yeah, and I, and, I, and, I, and I didn't hear the call about the psychological exam because I was in commerce and my phone had bad reception, so that's why I didn't get on. So, anyway, um, are you, are you Wait, considering – hold on. Are, yeah, I, I missed the call, and then they moved me to episode seven, which never took place. So, Ken, uh, are, are there any other shows that you want to try out for anytime soon? Ken? I think we, well, we lost Ken. What the heck? What is going on here? Let me try him one more time. I, I want an answer to that question. I want to know if we can see Ken anything else. On, I mean, we saw him on Judge Judy, but that's not really a reality show. So I guess it kind of is. I wouldn't call it a serious courtroom. Can see him on the Starbucks video camera. Oh, oh, Ken, do you still use that? Do you still use Starbucks in that way? A lot of people want to know this. Oh no, 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 no! I'm I'm older now. Is is there any other kind of uh, business that you frequent in that uh, method? No, 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 no! I, I everyone's safe. <laughs> Although they did shut down Hannah Grill at the Sherman Oaks Gallery for vermin infestation, but I heard it just opened. Do you again. did you use that grill for that purpose? Oh, okay. I went there to eat, to eat Jap food, but you know, whatever. Okay, so so are there any other shows you want to try out for that uh, you're considering in the next uh, year or so? Uh, I don't see what shows are on. I know they just canceled. Love, they rebought back Love Connection. I don't know. They should be making like a dating game, or I don't know. I don't think I can get on The Bachelor. I'm just not the type. I'm not cookie cutter. I'm I'm kind of weird. Well, another so. yeah, another problem is that uh, you have to be on shows that they're willing to have someone who's older. Like since you're not 25 anymore, you... no, 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 I don't want some old chick. No, no, but you you're older. They're not gonna if they want all young people. You're not gonna be on because you're not young. You're almost 50. I mean, all, the, all the MTV shows they want people 18 to 24, 25. Right. So you're not gonna get on those. You're you're like double that age. They brought back Singled Out, I think, on a, some other network, and it looked really stupid. Yeah, well, it, a lot of gay couples. Well, I mean, you wouldn't have a chance at that anyway. You're just way too old. Yeah. Well, time passes, Ken. I guess uh, I guess your your game show and reality show career may be coming uh, to a close. You, you did make oh, you made an appearance yeah, maybe, on Judge maybe Judy. I'll try, maybe I'll try out for Big Brother. That's all ages, you know. Yeah, that's possible. The only problem with Big Brother is you can't go on the internet. I have to know what's going on politically, <laughs> and I will like kill. Me. Well, you got to make sac- you got to make sacrifices. But the thing is, here, Ken, you have to you should try to hit the big time here because I think your personality is unique enough to where you really would stand out, even with a, a very large number of people trying out, and and you do it naturally without having to fake it. I'd love to go on Big Brother, but I don't want to not know what's going on politically. Well, you got to give that up. I mean, I, it's not ideal, but you got to give it up if you want to appear in something like that. You can't. No internet. There's no phones. You can't. You can't. I, I want to know about presidential stuff and about senators and and. Okay, but can I want to know about? Listen, there, there's, some, there's something. There's something I don't think you realize. If you were to appear on Big Brother, you'd become kind of like a minor celebrity, and I think there'd be a lot more girls that would be wanting to date you just from that. Yeah. Like younger girls. Oh, it'd be really cool. And they could send me letters and stuff. Yes. And, and yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, th- I think those, the, you know, the twenty-something-year-old girls that are out of your reach. Uh, some of them, not mo- not most of them, but some of them might uh, be willing at that point. That'd be cool. They could be young enough that I could have a, a child with. Yeah, well, even thirties is fine for that. So, yeah, you well, should consider it. You got, you got to. Uh, love to have a child. You know, des- desperate times call for desperate measures. You got to do something. Yeah. Okay, well, Ken, uh, you, you can call me call me tomorrow. I'm going to watch the debate like after the show, and and probably somewhat tomorrow too. Oh, Will they be able to sit there with all those Democrats? Oh yeah, I watch. I've watched the other debates too. Yeah, I watch Democrats. It's only a one parter. I wish. I wish it was all twenty candidates instead of just ten. I wish everybody was there. Like even if they had to divide into two nights, it's too. It's too exclusive. Let let everybody debate. Listen, not not only do I watch the democratic debates but i i will read uh, left-wing articles on the internet i don't i don't just uh isolate myself uh, with uh, right-wing stuff and right-wing yeah. candidates I, I, oh I, that's great yeah uh, so you can watch you can watch like the young turks and, and no no I, no I can't i can't stand the young turks I, I i've tried and i just can't stand it they're terrible why what are they the young jerks to you i mean yeah, why don't it's, you it's, like it it's it's very obnoxious i can, I, I i hate anna kasparian and i i i just Everybody on that show annoys me. Erica Sperian's from the Valley. She's an eight one eighter. Yeah, she she she's annoying. Okay, well, the Valley alternative in Lake Balboa. Okay, well, well, uh, Ken, we're we're going to move on here. We actually have a lot of topics tonight, but uh, call me tomorrow. We can discuss the the debates. Can you talk about the, you talk about the, the poker websites that are still functioning? And which ones are no? That that was last week's show. Are... That was last week's show. We have too much to do tonight. So, all right. Thank you okay. for calling in, Ken. Goodbye. All right. Let's follow. Ken Scaler, everyone. He actually has a cell phone. That was a cell phone he was calling in from, not a pay phone. So he, he's moving up. It's hard to reach him. Like, he has to call me. He just always leaves it off. Is so that he, one of those Obama phones or something? Yes, that's what he has. He has an Obama phone during the Trump administration. Hmm. Well, it's, uh, I guess the program's still going. Because he's, he does not pay a phone bill. He just gets it. It's a, it's a crappy phone. But uh, it it works to make phone calls, and I it like I don't even think it can go on the web. I think I think it's like not even a smartphone. It can text. How do, how do we have free phones and not free healthcare? I don't get it. Well, one's a lot cheaper to provide than the other. That's uh, I guess it's, it's it's a tremendous difference in price. Okay, uh, let's see here. Oh, I, I didn't get, get through the agenda yet. Damn it, uh, Julian Martini, a fr- <laughs> a French player. It was heads up last year with Kate Huang, who is this one of those like hot, high maintenance Asian girls who apparently is pretty good at, at uh, Omaha Eight. So she was heads up with him for a bracelet at the fifteen hundred oh eight event, an event that uh, I got deep in myself. I finished fifty ninth out of like thirteen hundred people or whatever played in that. But uh, they were the she, final. She's actually Blasian. What is what is Blasian? Blonde Asian. Oh, okay, but that's that's not natural though. It's not. Uh, I'd never heard that term before. I was thinking you meant like black Asian. I'm like she does not look like she's half black. <laughs> so, well, I guess it, I, mean, I guess it could be black Asian. Too, like she right? she didn't look like it at all. I'm like I'm like what? No, yeah. She couldn't be. So anyway, uh, she she finished second. Julian finished first, and uh, a, a very sweet story. They ended up getting married. They they just tied the knot. They they met there, and uh, and they got married. So the the metrosexual Euro guy married the uh, the high maintenance blonde Asian. It's a very sweet story. We'll talk a bit about that. 
The Nation is running a tournament which is different than any other tournament I've seen in the way the prize pool is being handled. The good news is there's a $150,000 guarantee. The bad news is there's a $150,000 guarantee. You may say, what's wrong with that? Well, the bad news part means that the most the prize pool will be is 150k. It's going to be 150k prize pool no matter what, no matter how much they collect in buy-ins. They just keep the rest. Isn't that awful? We'll talk a bit about that new format, which what is the fuck? awful, which is terrible. God. That was a last-minute addition too. I just found this out like minutes before the show. I mean, there's one thing about, you know, some of these tournaments that are kind of being deceptive about how they're going to fuck you. They're just saying up front, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, this is exactly what we're going to do to you. Yep. you know? wow. Update on the Circus Circus University in Reno, uh, the student reactions to it. There are students now living in Circus Circus in Reno who are UNR students. These are This is a replacement dorm for one that burned down or exploded or something. Uh, I will give you the reactions of the students who are living there. Some Vegas casinos are now applying fees to drinks. These are drinks that cost money and also have tax. Now there's fees on top of them, and these fees are not going to the staff. These are not gratuities. These are fees. Very weird. The site of the October 2017 mass shooting in Las Vegas is going to become a community center. Kind of weird to have right there on the Vegas Strip, but that's what's going to become of it. Right now it is a parking lot and will remain that for some time. There was a robbery and murder at the Pachanga Casino in the bathroom. And a very old woman was followed into the ladies' bathroom by two women in their 30s who robbed her and beat her to death. Shockingly, one of them is the sister of NBA star Kawhi Leonard. Weird. Pennsylvania. She she is built like a brick shit house, by the way. Yeah, I mean, apparently either... she's six foot two, three hundred and twenty pounds. Well, you know that's, that's uh, wow. That's that's the problem. There's there's uh, athletic genes in the family, and it's not as good for the men, but not so good for the women. Uh, Pennsylvania has auctioned off a license for a new casino. Little problem though, in that auction that uh, they expected to have a number of bids. Competing with one another, they got none. (laughs) Finally, two men were arrested for running an illegal poker room in the Phoenix area. There are legal card rooms in the Phoenix area, but this was one that uh, had been in existence for a while and flew under the radar for years, but they finally clamped down and busted them. So that's our topic list for this week, a lot of topics. We're going to try to reach... Attorney Eric Benzamokin, so we can start our first topic about Phil Ivey and Daniel Cates and uh, Ilya Trincher and this weird legal filing that took place. So let's see if we can uh, we can reach Eric. And I actually have to look up his number because I just it's in my phone. I hate that I became one of these people. I, I, I always used to memorize numbers, but then I just store numbers in my phone and then I forget them. Because it just shows the person's name, not the number. So I'm not used to seeing the number. It's not like the old days um, where you, you memorize people's numbers. Okay, so let's see. Oh. Ah, boy, I screwed that one up big time. I just I just threw everyone off this. God damn it. 
Oh wait, wait, are they still here? Are you guys still here? Okay, I thought I thought I threw you guys off. I threw myself off. No, no, I'm I th- here. I threw myself off. Okay, let me try this one more time. See, the Skype is it's such a piece of crap. It uh, it tried to put you guys on hold while I tried to call Eric. I think this one's going to work. Okay, there we go. Now, hopefully, he answers. Hopefully, he didn't drink too much hello. tea. Eric, hello. Hello. So, Attorney Eric Benzamokin is here. We we really have. Uh, a lot of our favorites here. We have uh, Kalwab, we have Eric, we have Trader Ruski. So, welcome to the show. Thank you for both the free roll money, the $200 that, uh, by the way, you guys can still get in. You can get in all the way until 9.40 p.m. So a lot of time still to get into the $200 free roll, all thanks to Eric. The Benson Oak and Splash Pot that sent it from uh, 100 to $200. Yeah, don't tell Eric he can still get in. He's going to come after me, man. Come on. I wasn't telling him. I was telling the listener. Oh. Well, so, he's a listener, right? I, I guess. There's I, nothing I, preventing him from joining this game. Yeah, but right? he'll, be, he'll be distracted by this segment here. I don't know if, if he can do this type of thing and play well at the same time. Oh, I guarantee he can. So, Eric, uh, thank you for coming on also to be our uh, legal expert once again. And there, there's so many other times I'm doing the show and like at 1.30 a.m. I go, oh, crap, this should have been a topic. We have Eric on. <laughs> now, now he's sleeping. There's no way we'll reach him. But this time... Uh, what happened was I started getting bombarded with texts on 775-372-8355 and on my personal phone number, too, for those that have it, about the thing with Ivy. Have you seen this? And everyone was fascinated by this and wanted to make sure I knew about it so it would appear on the show. Eric was one of the people who sent it to me. And then we texted about it a bit. And then I go, wait a minute. Let's just pre-plan this. So... I said, would you like to come on the show? And he said, yes. And we're going to discuss this with Eric and get his opinion on the whole thing. And some of this, I feel, is uh, where a legal opinion is necessary. And some of it is just where a logical opinion is also necessary, just from people who don't have law degrees, but just are looking at the whole thing and have their opinions about what this really is. So uh, a quick background. Uh, Phil Ivey played at the World Series in 2019, which really surprised me because uh, I was sure he would not be back at the World Series since there's an $11 million judgment hanging over his head from, from the Borgata over the whole edge sorting thing. And he's been avoiding paying it as much as he can. I don't think he's paid anything yet, or if he has, they've gotten very little uh, up until this summer. But I said, well, why would he play at the World Series? The Borgata can easily seize any of the winnings. And he played. I didn't understand it. And he actually was a chip leader in the 50K Poker Players Championship event until quite late in the event to where many thought that he was going to end up being the winner for over a million bucks. Well, he, he finally started running bad towards the end, and he finished eighth, which still cashed $124,000, which meant uh, he had uh, uh, that money coming to him. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what's going to happen with that? Well, it turned out that when he was the chip leader, the Borgata said, oh, here we go. We can maybe get a million out of this. So they quickly filed the necessary paperwork to have the Rio hold it up to where he cannot claim any of his winnings. And then they quickly filed other paperwork to collect his winnings as part of the judgment. And it turned out they were successful. Now, this wasn't made public immediately, but it was found out after the World Series was over, 
And it was also found out after the main event was, or at least after he was out of the main event, he, he played notably badly in the main event and was out in like less than an hour, which in the main event, the way it's structured these days, if you're out within an hour, either you had like a horrible cooler or you didn't play it well. So in his case, he didn't play it well. And some felt that the reason he played it so poorly was because uh, he was demoralized that anything he wins was going to go to the Borgata anyway. Why he didn't just unregister at that point, I don't know, but that's what happened. So Ivy had that 124000 taken, including the 50K of his buy-in. And so he, he actually profited 74K, and the first 50K of it was the 50K he put in so for a total of 124. And that seemed to be that, and the Borgata had it, and it was over, and... We did our segment about it on the show, and I didn't think we'd really be speaking about it very much again other than quickly in passing. I also said that it's probably the last time Ivy will play any tournament in the U.S. for this reason. Well, there has been a surprising legal filing, not by Ivy, but by pro players Daniel Cates, also known as Jungle Man, and uh, Ilya Trincher, who was actually involved in uh, a criminal proceeding in New York about uh, running an illegal gambling operation. They're both high-stakes poker players also, especially Cates, and they filed a legal objection in uh, Nevada to claim that the money that Ivy actually won was their money because they had been staking him for the event, so therefore the money should not have been seized. And that is a curveball that some did not expect to see coming. The objection to the writ of execution for the garnishment was filed on August 30th of this year, which is just uh, now 13 days ago, by Richard Schoenfeld of Chesnoff and Schoenfeld. Yes, the same Chesnoff and Schoenfeld that has gotten involved in a lot of high-profile cases in Vegas, including some that have involved gamblers. They also defended Brian Mikon when he was uh, arrested and, uh, well, he was originally, uh, originally his home was searched and then he hightailed it out to Antigua and then they had a warrant for his arrest for some time while he was hiding there. And then eventually he agreed to come turn himself in with a sweetheart deal which was brokered by Chesnoff and Schoenfeld, who are very, very effective at what they do in Las Vegas. If you get in any kind of big trouble in Vegas, they're very expensive, but if you have the money to pay for them, they're miracle workers. I don't know how they do it, but they manage it. So uh, Chesnoff and Schoenfeld were the ones representing Cates and Trencher in this objection. And in this objection... It says the following. Mr. Cates and Mr. Trencher had an existing staking agreement with Mr. Ivy. On or about June 24, 2019, Mr. Cates and Mr. Trencher agreed to pro- provide Mr. Ivy with the full $50,000 buy-in for a World, World Series of Poker tournament at the, at the Rio, specifically the 50K Poker Players Championship on June 24, 2019, in exchange for 50% of the winnings, in addition to the return of the $50,000 principal. On or about June 24th, Mr. Trencher provided Mr. Ivy with said $50,000 for the buy-in pursuant to their existing staking agreement. In said chat exchange on or, bo- on or about t- June 24th, 
At approximately 4.04 p.m., Mr. Trencher sent a message to Mr. Cates and stated that Trencher, quote, gave Phil 100 for tournaments so far, parentheses 50 for today. This chat evidences that Mr. Cates and Mr. Trencher provided Phil Ivey the full 50K buy-in pursuant to the terms of their existing staking agreement. Well, could this be true? Could it be true that Ivey is basically broke because of this whole thing and that he needs a stake at this point or if he's not fully broke, that he just can't afford to be entering a 50K tournament. So is it possible that uh, they did have to stake him for uh, 50K here and 50K in some other place? They're saying they sent him 100. Is it possible that this was true and that this chat dated June 24th, which was right before the event started, is authentic? Is it possible this is really true? So they claim that... Daniel Cates and Ilya Trencher are the rightful and legal owners of $87,205 in what was garnished. So it's not the whole thing they're asking back for, but they're asking for the 50K back plus half of the 74K profit. And then there's actually an image in the filing of this chat, which it's not text messages. I, it looks like a Skype log to me. And it, it shows the dates. And it's, so the first one is on uh, June 6th. 6 6 at 5.19 p.m. Ilya Trencher says KK, meaning like okay, but it doesn't say what he's saying okay to. Jungle, did you talk to him lately? He started today. Ilya, spoke to him a week ago. Ilya, he looked and sounded good. Ilya, he said he wants to start with small tournament. Jungle, cool. Ilya, Ivy also wants to maybe play cash and good games. Thoughts? Jungle, getting more chips for myself. Uh, Ilya, Gave Phil 100 for tournament so far, 50 for today. Jungle, okay. So this is basically the two of them talking. This is not, notice Ivy's not part of this conversation. This is them discussing what they're doing. Like on June, oh, I, I, by the way, this was not all on June 6th. Uh, it was, there was a 12-day gap after Jungle said cool, and then Ilya 12 days later said he also wants to play cash games. Thoughts? And then, then Jungle says getting more chips for myself, which is, uh, I think that's actually significant, which I'll tell you in a second what that uh, means. Then Ilya says, gave, and then six days later, for whatever reason, it took him to answer, gave Phil 100, probably meaning 100K, for a tournament so far, 50 for today, and Jungle says, okay. So, um, first of all, the question is, is this a real chat? Or was this uh, fabricated after the fact? Or was this even set up beforehand in case this happens? So we'll discuss that. And this is that uh, it does state in the filing that these staking deals are legal and enforceable under Nevada law. We're going to talk with uh, Eric. uh, You're not uh, licensed to practice in Nevada, correct? Correct. How much do you know about Nevada law? Well, I know enough about gaming law. I'll okay. tell you what's going on. Okay, so so that's uh, that's what they claim in this filing, and uh, so we're we're going to talk about first of all whether this is legitimate, like whether and we don't know for sure. Nobody knows for sure, but whether this really was happening, whether independent of what ended up happening with Borgata taking the money, if uh, they really were staking Ivy, and second. If uh, this is going to work, if this legal maneuver is going to work, so let's let's talk about the first part 
about whether this is, and I'm going to just give my opinion. Obviously, this is just a matter of opinion because none of, none of us know for sure. My opinion on this regarding its legitimacy is that uh, at first when I heard about this, I go, okay, this is this is so fake. This is something that uh, Ivy just asked his high-stakes buddies, hey, can you claim you were staking me so I can get some of the money back? And pr- pretty, uh, pretty ingenious, actually, but uh, I thought this is probably something they're claiming after the fact, and they're just doing him a favor because they're all friends. That, that's what I thought at first. The thing that has convinced me that this might be real is that line on June 18th where Jungle says, getting more chips for myself. Now, that's totally out of context. It means nothing in this whole conversation, and that's why it matters. If you fake a conversation, usually you're not going to think about throwing in something extraneous that, that has nothing to do with the conversation. People just don't think of that. Uh, pe- people don't uh, – people aren't going to – like if you're, you're faking a, a conversation with someone, you're, you're, you're typing it up yourself, just pretending like you had a conversation with someone. You're not going to put it in there like uh, – like, uh, hang on a second, my my son wants me to get him a, a glass of milk. Like you're you're not going to put that in there. You're just not not going to think about putting something in a fake conversation where you there's like a hang on for whatever because it doesn't add to the narrative. And most people reading it are not going to see that and think that makes it look authentic. But I see it, and to me, it makes it look more authentic. And when Jungle says getting more chips for myself at 8:07 p.m. on June 18th, Ilya says Ivy also wants to maybe play cash and good games thoughts like hey should we give him money for the cash games too what do you what do you think or should we just stick to the tournament then jungle instead of saying yes or no 11 minutes later says getting more chips for myself like hey i, I can't answer this right now i'm getting i'm getting chips i'm playing poker i just just uh sorry busy so and then they then then there just isn't a response for six days so this is kind of a weird conversation if it's going to be faked it would be much more of a flowing conversation. This really is like more realistic of, of uh, what probably is a Skype conversation between the two. That's kind of just disjointed, and some people don't uh, don't respond right away or don't respond at all. And and uh, and in one case, the person's too busy to answer. This to me looks pretty real, and it does. Now, this doesn't mean Ivy's broke necessarily. In my opinion, this could mean that Ivy. Uh, Maybe maybe he just wanted them to wanted someone to stake him, so if there is a problem later, that he can claim that some of the money's theirs. But for cash games, I don't know because in cash games he can get out of there and cash out quickly before the Borgata can do much about it. So it, it may, maybe he is running low on funds or at least funds that aren't hidden. So I think that there was a stake going on after initially thinking this was phony. I think there actually was a stake here. We'll talk shortly about whether this is going to be a legal maneuver, which will work. I have a question, Drew. Yes. I have a question. Yes. Okay. So one of the things that you mentioned when you were talking about this before is, like, you said, I don't really understand why Ivy is playing. Right? If he knows that there's this judgment, I don't understand why he is playing. What? How would you then apply that to the people that are staking him? Why would anyone stake them? Stake him if they know that he has this judgment against him? That is a good question, and I don't know. I That's that's a very good question. Why would they do it? But maybe this was just a case of poker players being stupid and, and not thinking this is going to happen. I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Well, and, and if they did, why wouldn't they put, like, a full contract in place so it's very clear? They to act surprised when it's done. I agree with Kelvin. They may have had something in the background where Ivy agrees to pay them back if, if it gets seized or something. But uh, 
like like stake me, but then I owe you the money back if I win and it gets seized. It, it could be something like that. But Ed, Ed, I'm just saying, Druff, like if, if someone you know, like let's say I have a judgment against me from Caesars, are you going to stake me in a tournament? Like, would you take that risk? Like, it, it and it, I, I get it. Like, okay, maybe if it's one knucklehead, but one of these two knuckleheads has got to be like, um, doesn't he have a judgment against him? Is this a good idea? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, if it, 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 I just, I'm pretty convinced this chat's real though. That's the thing. Like, I, I want. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying it's fake. I'm just saying we can assume that it's real, but then then we got to explain this part. Yeah, I can't yeah. explain it. <laughs> I can't figure that part out. Uh, maybe they were stupid enough not to think of this. Uh, otherwise, I would totally think this was something they just set up or they just purposely had a chat like, hey, mention this in the chat. So this way, if it gets seized, we can claim that uh, it's actually our money and then give it back to you, Ivy. Like, a, I would totally think that, but this is not faked in the way you'd expect. And, and keep in mind, I, I don't think these guys have – experience with like like faking chats to where they're going to have this like next level thinking about chat faking and they i don't think they so so i think if they did fake it it would look at least somewhat obvious to those who think critically i have one other question and maybe i'm this is just a vernacular thing but whenever whenever the the people that i know that play poker talk about this type of stuff they aren't necessarily saying like you know Am I going to go stake this guy? So let's say it's a really good player, right? They will talk about taking a piece of him, right? And it can actually be something that the really good player may not want to give a piece of himself mm-hmm. away, you know? So the way that they were, were wording it in terms of, you know, should we stake Ivy? Should we put him in the in the cash game? Should we put him in the tournament? You know, this kind of thing. I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying he's busto, but that kind of – Verbiage is typically used when someone is, you know, as opposed to should we take a piece of him, you know? Oh, you mean you think that what they're saying here is like they're talking about this as if he is bust and discussing whether. Well, I don't know. I mean, just the conversations that I've heard, right, in terms of staking someone versus taking a piece of someone like it can be a very sought after thing for a really good poker player in a juicy cash game to get a piece of his action yeah right yeah and they don't they don't say it from that point of view of yeah, yeah, we're going to stake that. him that means like we're going to put him in we're going to prop him up you know what i mean like if helmuth was going to do something with matasau he was going he would stake him Right. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't be taking a piece of him. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and 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 also there was something that was written here on June 6th where Ilya says he said he wants to smart start with small tournament, and so that really does sound like they're just staking him completely, not uh, right. Like like a small tournament. Okay, so like they he needs fifteen hundred dollars from now. So and again and again, I'm not privy to Ivy's finances. I'm not saying he's busto. All I'm saying is like the the verbiage that's being used here. It just sounds weird if we assume that you know this guy that is considered one of the best poker players of all time is not busto the verbiage that's being used sounds a little off to me you know i would think you know hey you want to try to get a piece of ivy if the if the games are good like that i would believe you know what i mean yeah i don't know i don't know maybe i'm just being pedantic about it now uh trader Trader what do you think yeah i'm gonna ask trader risky yeah I agree. No, I mean, saying it like that, I didn't even think of that, but that certainly sounds uh, a little suspicious. 
Like, would you ever trade a Ruski if you had a pile of money? Would you be like, uh, I'm going to go stake Ivy? Or or would you say, I'm going to try to get a piece of Ivy's action? You know what I mean? Like, it's a very different thing. Exactly. They're trying to, like, lay it out. Exactly. It's, it's subtle, but it's different, you know? Eric, before we get into legal stuff, what do you think of this this part of the discussion? Do you think this is uh, real or, or contrived? Uh, I think I think it's real. Um, I think it's real for different reasons. Um, I think that the Borgata has been chasing down Ivy for quite a while now. I think that in order for Ivy to thrive in the environment that he is most successful in, he needs to ensure that he doesn't have a paper trail behind him that they can subpoena later. And he may have made these arrangements, uh, you know, to to be staked into these tournaments or, you know, small and large. And maybe he's got a side deal with uh, with Cates and Trencher, um, you know, should he cash or should he win or however he's going to do it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think a lot of it has to do with whether he's pulled in for uh, judgment debtor examinations or other things and not to perjure himself. So if he really doesn't have a bunch of stock piles of cash laying around or he hasn't moved money around or assets, he can, you know, honestly testify to that. Yeah, I, I, th- um, I th- got this, uh, right. I thought of that too. I, I had thought about like, what if he really has just locked down his assets to where they're just hidden and can't be touched and, and that he won't touch them so that, so that it can't be found where they are or found access to them or he, he doesn't have to testify to them in court. I, I did think of this, if this is just a way that he really has temporarily made himself broke by just hiding everything even from himself. And that means if he wants to play poker, he does need stakes. He is pretty much broke, at least for the moment. And so that that's what I thought could possibly going on too here to where this would all fit in. So I think that's a very good point you broke we brought up here. Now, now from the the standpoint of whether this would work, what Cates and Trencher are trying to do, uh, how do you feel about that? Well, I think legally it, it has two problems, or it's on shaky ground. So the first the first issue is there, there's a legal term of art called a novation. And an ovation essentially is where two parties to a dispute or a contract make a deal that involves a third party, and in order for that deal to be enforceable, all three have to agree to it. So to put it in simple terms, if Trader Ruski owes me $100 and you and he work out a deal and you say to him, you know what, and I'll take care of the money you owe in Tomicon, don't worry about it, and then you never pay me, that's between you and Trader Ruski. Like, I, I'm not a party to that agreement. I didn't say it's okay. I don't care. As far as I'm concerned, the debt is owed by Trader Ruski, and I don't really care what else happened between you guys. And so it's the same sort of idea that the Borgata would take, the same position, in that whether there's any kind of staking deal or not, me, the Borgata, being the judgment creditor, I didn't agree to that. I didn't, I didn't say, you know, take your money back because you put it up. I don't care. That's between you guys. It has nothing to do with me. So that's the first problem, I think, that, that, that exists. The second problem is that while staking agreements are enforceable um, in the court of law, that's between Jungle Man, Trencher, and Ivy. Again, it has nothing to do with the Borgata. So the, the laws that protect staking relationships and contracts deal with the parties involved in those. They don't deal with these third parties, these judgment predators or outside uh, entities. They're meant to protect the people that are involved in the staking relationship, you know, to themselves. So, and this would be like the, uh, the old Jamie Gold, uh, deal where he, you know, he wins the main event and it's like, you know, what, who, who is this? Uh, do I have a partner? What, 
I remember that. So those types of agreements deal with when a stakey or a staker backs out or tries to cancel or do something sort of, uh, you know, salacious. It, it really doesn't have anything to do with the Borgata. And so bringing in, uh, going to court and trying to enforce the staking agreement, that, that's fine. There's nothing to, you know, nothing for the court to enforce as, as it relates to the Borgata. So I think that they're going to have some problems there legally making that case. I think this is also more about raising awareness about this issue and maybe getting some more support behind Ivy and, you know, just sort of, and I, and I do think that, again, I do think that at least even if this was a a setup as far as the staking arrangement, because Ivy locked down his assets and, you know, he wants to appear as, as broke as possible, um, that then naturally we would have to continue uh, in that in that charade and file these objections and hire the law firm and, you know, do all these things. Okay, interesting. Now, could they claim that uh, Ivy was pretty much uh, working for them and, like, this is their money, was never his money except for what he profited from the situation, which I think is kind of what they're trying to say. I understand everything you just said, that uh, – that basically this isn't Borgata's problem of, of whatever side arrangements agree between those two and Ivy, that just when Ivy wins, if they have a legal right to it, they get it. And that very well well end up maybe may the ruling in the situation. But but could they make any kind of legitimate claim saying that he's basically working for us here and we gave him the money, this is our money, and that uh, what he won – he wasn't actually the winner. We were the winner, and you can only seize the portion that was his. Or uh, does that just not work when he wins? It just it, it, it's his for the moment, and then what he does with it from that point, it's a separate contract matter. Well, so it's a great question, but I'll tell you why I don't think that could work. In that, a typical employer-employee relationship uh, requires Ivy to perform services and the employer to pay for those services. This is a little different in that the the stakers essentially handed him cash and said, okay, go register. And the minute that happened, that money became Ivy's. If Ivy failed to register and just pocketed the money, he would owe the stakers the money. He would owe Kate and Trencher. If Ivy registered for the tournament like he was supposed to, then the next part of that performance is whether or not he cashes and then they split. But that money was Ivy's until it wasn't. In other words, if he wins... And he cashes, he has to give it back. But if he didn't, if he busted on the bubble, he didn't necessarily owe them anything, at least not that we know about. And so when that's the case, it's not really employer-employee. It's much more like this, the, a truer definition of being staked. Um, so I get the argument. It's creative. Um, and I'm sure they're going to try, you know, whatever they can in court. But I also, to be frank, the amount that's in controversy right now, I don't see that uh, as being the most cost-effective strategy to hire that big firm, that they, they could easily spend as much or more trying to get that money back. And so unless it's meant to set some kind of precedent for the future. Yeah, it must. Which right. really is what I think it is, to be honest. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point. I'm happy we have this guy on here. It's a great point because I, I had wondered that too, and I hadn't really thought about the precedent. I, w- I was wondering because for those of you that don't know, I mentioned that Sean Fel- Chestnut and Sean Feld are uh, very well known in Vegas as being very effective, and they're expensive, and they really are expensive. Uh, I know someone through a friend. This is like an acquaintance that is a friend of a friend who got involved in some kind of drug situation, and 
they got him off for this drug matter. I think it was like a, a minor dealing matter. It wasn't possession. This was probably 10 years ago. But they this, they had to put up 50K for this, and, and it wasn't a, a huge case. It wasn't a lot of work was done, but they just the, – but they did what they, they – they were very effective. And it was 50K. Micons, I don't know how much, but Micon put up that GoFundMe for 100000 It wouldn't surprise me if that really was the amount Micon had to pay. They are very expensive, and yes, I, I could easily see where this 87k they're trying to recover, uh, they'll spend that on legal fees or maybe even more. So yeah, it's and then of course they could lose. There's a good chance they're going to lose, in which case they've. Uh, I, I doubt that Chestnut and Schoenfeld would have taken this on a contingency, especially they they don't seem like the uh, the contingency type unless unless maybe there's huge money at stake. But I couldn't see those two being a contingency. Uh, contingency attorneys for uh, where, where the best case is that the judgment is for 87k. So yeah, but pursuant to what Eric said, it could very be totally worth it if they do set precedent because now Ivy's just going to be staked for the rest of his life. Right. You right. know what I mean? And then it could be more, then it could be more than 50 percent too. They could start being 80-20 uh, yeah, sure. deals or things like that. So yeah. Uh, that, that... But the, the way that I the way that I was thinking of it though, when uh, and and thank goodness that Eric is on and brings some clarity to this uh, clarity to this, is that if you loan me ten thousand dollars, right, and then I took that ten grand and I gave it to Trader Ruski because maybe I owed him money, you can't just then go to Trader Ruski and be like that's my money, you know what I mean? Because your agreement is with me in terms of the the loan that happened, and I think that's kind of what you're saying here, right, Eric? Is that the the deal with the the buy-in in the casino is between Ivy and the casino, and wherever the money came from is a, you know, they don't care. It has nothing to do with it. Right. Is that kind of what you're exactly saying? Right. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. You know, then the Borgata doesn't really care who claims that, you know, who, who puts a claim into the buy-in. That's between Ivy and his, his backers. The Borgata doesn't care about that. They don't, you know, it has nothing to do with them. Yeah, and just and, like – Imagine it, it, it would have been the same – well, it, it would have been the exact same thing had the Borgata actually paid I or, or, or the remember the Croxford uh, Casino in England. Yeah. Had had that casino paid Ivy out, and then Ivy went and gave half of the money to the to his Chinese female companion, and it all blew up. Uh, Croxford isn't going to say, "Okay, Phil, you just give me back half the money, and I'll go after the other lady." Right. No. He placed the bet. He got the money. They're going after him. They don't care. Right. Where, you know, if he has to get it from somewhere else, it's uh, you know it's his problem. And it makes sense that it's this way, right? Because it could get ridiculously complicated if other people's problems ended up becoming your problem. That's right. The short, the simple math. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line, yeah. right? I made a loan to you. You owe money to me. I don't really care what happens after that. The minute I lend it to you, it's yours to do with what you want, unless there's conditions on it. But or like they say, good fellas, fuck you, pay me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I this probably is going to lose. That's uh, from from what Eric's saying, and from what I was assuming by when I read the whole thing. Uh, I really the biggest question in my mind still is what was this beforehand? Was it just uh, Ivy has to it, it has just locked away his assets to where he can't access them on purpose, and therefore to stay in action he needs a loan? Uh, was this kind of an insurance policy that uh, he thought, okay, if I'm staked, maybe if they take it, then I can get it back through through this method. Maybe they thought of this beforehand. What if I cash? What if it gets seized? Okay, then this is our next move. So maybe this is real, but also real with a an agreement beforehand of uh, we expect this might happen, then this is what you do next. And then uh, 
Yeah, How amazing would it be, Druff, if this was like a Hollywood story and the villain behind it were the lawyers? Sorry, Eric. But <laughs> as soon as the as soon as the judgment came in against Ivy, his cons, his lawyers, his consigliari says, you know, hey, Ivy, here's what you got to do. OK, you got to enter this tournament. You're going to get staked by these people and you got to cash. You got to cash for a bunch of money. And then we're going to take it from there. We're going to set precedent. We're going to say, you know, you know what I mean? Like if the whole thing was masterminded from the get go by his attorneys that were hired as soon as the judgment was passed. That, that would be amazing if this if this whole if he entered for the purpose of this happening so they could challenge it and then get uh-huh. a precedent set. That would be pretty amazing. Well, I don't think that's terribly far off. In that <laughs> I don't I, I no listen. I, I don't think for a minute that Ivy thought he could just play scot free and would go unnoticed at the World Series in a 50k. You know that, that's just not plausible. And he, he obviously knows that Pogada was already after him when he entered. So you know it's not like he forgot. Uh-huh. And you know there, there's a technicality that's important to understand in that even if I have a judgment from a court in the state of New Jersey, if I want to enforce it in Nevada. I can do so, but only under Nevada's law. I can't bring New Jersey law to Nevada. So, for example, if uh, I can have uh, your wages garnished under New Jersey law and I can get 50% of your wages, but Nevada only allows me to garnish 20% of your net take-home wages, if I bring my New Jersey judgment and register it as a sister state in Nevada and go to garnish your paycheck, I'm only going to get what Nevada allows me to get, not what New Jersey does. So knowing that Nevada is a much friendlier state for gaming – and these other things, I, I'm not. I wouldn't put it past everybody that, you know, th- there's a reason this is happening here and now. What you know, he could have gone to uh, EPT in Europe, and they could have tried to enforce it internationally. You can do that. There are mechanisms to enforce international judgments. Um, they could have staked him there, or you know, maybe even have, would have had soccer fields. I don't know. But there's a reason that this is in Nevada, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of them. To, to oh, really great. bring this to the forefront and get president. I, I come up with a fanciful for me. Story I, you know, I enjoy that indicts, that indicts the lawyers, and then the lawyer that's on here is like, you know what? I could see my fellow lawyer actually doing that. <laughs> I'm not kicking myself. I'm not licensed in Nevada. What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, and Eric, one other thing that came up during uh, the show or two back, where so because he's a, I'm assuming he files as a professional poker player. Does he have a right to keep any of it because of he's a professional and they can only take a certain amount, or can they just go in and take a hundred percent, setting aside the staking thing? There, there's a there's a mechanism where you can file what's called a claim of exemption on funds that are seized or, or wages that are garnished, and so usually there's a statutory amount of money that you can claim as exempt for. Um, you know, your, your residence, uh, you know, rent payments or mortgage payments, what you need for groceries and, you know, necessities. And then whatever may be above that, the creditor can keep. So there's a way to exempt some of it. And yeah, probably based on prior filings, uh, that he's a professional gambler, um, and showing that that's his income and that's how he earns a living. There's a possibility that there could be a, a claim of exemption filed over a certain amount, but it's not going to be huge, maybe four, five, six, seven thousand dollars. It's not. You know, it's not going to exempt most of it. It's only for that one tournament. It's not, you know, he, he can't try to exempt a, a year's worth of uh, income from one event. Got it. 
Whoops, I was trying to talk and I was muted. I had the trader Ruski problem. Like, I'm responding and then I, I don't hear myself. Like, uh-oh, that's a problem there. Yeah, well, that's, this is, uh, we'll have to watch what happens with this. I'm, I'm especially interested in this one. We, we talk about a lot of ongoing news items where there's going to be some update in the future. And some of them we come back to and some of them we don't. But this one, uh, not, I don't even have to remember to come back to it because when this decision is made, it's going to be big news again. So we, we will see where this goes. We will see if this fails. If it does fail, Eric, uh, is that pretty much it? Do they have any other way to, uh, to to keep this going under this whole staking thing, or is it pretty much done at that point? No, they, they can keep it going. Just don't go to the you know biggest, most publicly televised and, and popular poker event of, you know, ever and, and in one of the highest buy-ins, you know. I'm sure they can stake him in cash and they can do other things. And there's plenty of places where he can play that are, that are, you know, under the radar. Um, so that, that's why I really don't think it was a mistake that he answered the particular tournament he did, um, for the, for the buy-in that he, that he bought into. Cause he could have had the same result going into a, you know, a 1500 or a 2500 or whatever, or play that, that miserable double stack that you and I played, you know, where we both busted <laughs> right by dinner time. You know, I mean, but, but my point is that there's, there's a reason that it was a 50K buy-in, that it was the Poker Players Championship that, you know, had a lot of press on it already for the field, you know, that was participating. Well, and, and one and other thing. I, it, I don't think it was an accident. Also, if if you end up cashing, it's automatically a fairly big cash. There's there's a lot of money there you're cashing no matter what, even if you min cash, where if, if, if he did play, like you talked about, that double stack event with a 1K buy-in, uh, if he min cashes for $1,600 – I don't think the Borgata is going to go after that. So that's no. this may have no, it been caused, it caused the Borgata more to send the letters. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, so it, it is possible that he did do this because it would tempt them to go after this if he cashes. Well, looked rough. If Eric doesn't buy it, I'm sold. The whole thing's a fucking conspiracy, <laughs> and it was planned from day one by the lawyers. Yeah. All of it. Could, it. it could have been. That's, I'm uh, down. I'm down. Interesting. I mean, I. I, I, I will... I will tell you one more thing, if I could, really quick, is that uh, there's a, there's a there was a big grin on my face earlier because if you you know you probably already guessed why I love that Starbucks guy when he comes on, you know when we talked about it at lunch, <laughs> like what a perfect night, right? Calwatt's on from from the East Coast, Starbucks guy gets on, it's fantastic. Yeah, we get Ken Spieler yeah, too, right? He's he's the creamy dollop on top of your latte. How <laughs> are you? Oh man. <laughs> I, mean, I don't believe him either about how he doesn't use the Starbucks anymore. I, I, I believe maybe it has been. It's, I, don't believe I, I think I think it's decreased. I think with age, since he's about to be fifty years old, I, I think that it has probably decreased the frequency in which he visits these establishments and uses the bathrooms in that way. But I, I don't think it has stopped completely. He just uh, he doesn't doesn't I like admitting it anymore. The the only way that it decreases how often he masturbates in there is if he just isn't getting coffee that often anymore. That's all. No, he, he watched the debate, walked over to Starbucks, and then called you right when he was there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Right, right when you asked about it, he was probably about to open the Starbucks door, and you said that. He's like, oh, shit, he got guilt and just turned around. 
He's like, damn no, it, man. He was on his way out. He was wiping his hands clean. Yeah, he, pro- yeah, he probably yeah, did. Yeah, I think sorry, Eric's I, right. I've never looked at a Starbucks bathroom again since all this came up, by the way. They used to be, like, so clean and, like, a good place <laughs> if you're stuck, and now it's just ruined it. You got to go in there with a black light, Trader Ruski. Go in there, turn the light off, and just turn the black light on. Well, well look, here's the truth. I, <laughs> that would be scary. I was, uh, this was probably about two or three years ago. I was driving around, like, in North Hollywood, and I, I had been, I, been driving from Vegas, so I'd been driving for hours, and then the freeway just got horribly jammed, and I got off, and I was driving the surface street to North Hollywood, and, and I just had to pee really, really badly, and I was like, well, i got to stop at the first business that looks like a place that I could stop and use the bathroom. I was hoping to hit fast food somewhere, but I just I just wasn't running into it, so the first thing I ran into was Starbucks, so I, I, I stopped there, and I go, oh, no, I'm becoming exactly what I've been making fun of, and then, so, so I asked, where's the bathroom, and I, I felt like Adding no no I'm really gonna go to the bathroom that's I'm really just peeing here I promise so I, mm-hmm. I had to ask them I had to ask them for the bathroom and then they point me there and then I'm about to go they go wait 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 you need a key so they have to give me the key I open it up so they they, they must have been all ready for this they must have been aware of the fact that Ken he lives in the valley so it's not that far from North Hollywood he uh, I mean North Hollywood's part of the valley it's it's fairly close to where he lives so they must have been prepared for him and so they probably had the bathroom locked to where you have to ask for the key, and they see if you're, you're him, they don't let you in. And so they gave it to me, and then I go in, and, you know, you're the only one in the bathroom. I see why he liked it there. There's no one else No one else can get in. It's just locked. And I, I felt so self-conscious, like I've got I've to hurry up and pee really fast and wash my hands really fast so they don't get the wrong idea because I know Starbucks is aware at this point. They, they're waiting for it. They're, if, you, if you take just a little bit too long there, they know what's going on. So it's uh, that wasn't my first choice. Can you imagine? Can you imagine after he was busted like that. You know, now the train like he, he knows he's like in and out like within three minutes. <laughs> you know, he's just got it like trained at that point. That's true. He can he can just speed up the whole thing and still mask what he's doing. Well, I'm I'm glad we got to talk about this discussion tonight and you know, the next topic are, are you are you though are you actually glad that it went <laughs> well i am because the next topic listen we're going to be playing clips from the from the dat poker podcast and yeah. and the fact that we have this topic that we just not the ivy topic they're going to talk about that too i'm sure but but the the ken scaler topic and the starbucks and everything i i know they won't talk about that type of thing this separates our two shows so this way if people say well you guys you, know, you covered that topic you're covering galfon and you're, you're the same show no we're not this this is proof I'm glad we have something to make it obvious that we're not just ripping them off. Well, if I if I could preface the the Galfon discussion real quick, like I, I remember talking to you about this about a year and a half ago or so, and I remember mentioning to you that I I think it was very likely that what he that first team that he initially hired to do the software for him uh, was very likely the same web team uh, that built the Run at One site for him. And I mentioned to you because my a background in, in app development that it's 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 a very different skill, right? It's the same yes. reason why you know you would want to hire a specialist attorney depending on what you wanted to have done, right? Yeah. And then I think you know then they ended up hiring you know whatever other web team they were going to be using, or sorry, not web team, development team. And I was I remember telling you like this stuff like it's more complicated than that. There's no fucking way. I remember telling you there's no fucking way they're gonna have this thing ready to go by the WSOP, and that was in in 2018, right? Or it might, I don't know, it might have even been earlier than no, that. I think it was I don't 17. Remember. Yeah. Or yeah, 17. It was earlier than that. 
And, and sure as shit, you know, it wasn't ready. But the real amazing thing to me is is that Galfon was just kind of like, and again, nothing against him because I think he's a he's a great dude. But Galfon was just like, oh, you know, it took a lot longer than we thought. And I'm like, yeah, no shit, because you don't have anyone working with you that has, you know, experience managing a development project like this. Or you would definitely have known that it would take that long. Anyway, sorry. I just wanted to, to pre preface with my ramble here. Okay. Well, you have a lot more time to ramble on this topic here. So, so Eric, uh, uh, I don't know. I guess you you can stay on if you want, or you can hang up. It's, uh, it's up to you. I know you're probably uh, busy. You, you don't uh, stay up as late as we do. So uh, what do you want to do, Eric? You want to hang out? You want to uh, hang up? What do you want to do? No, I'm going to appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm going to sign off. I'm already past my bedtime. Okay. Enjoy your visit to Starbucks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, have a great night, everyone. Okay, thank you, Eric. <laughs> Later. All right, the great uh, Eric Bensamokin, that's uh, Eric at eblawfirm.us. Eric at eb, that's like Eric Bensamokin, eblawfirm.us if you want to email him about any legal matter, especially something having to do with California or federally where he is. What is that noise? What is that noise? Is that Trader Ruski? Not me. Yeah, yeah well, so I was trying to say goodbye to Eric, and then it didn't unmute, but I'll mute. Sorry, but my bad. Okay. <laughs> it sounds like, are, are you vacuuming something? Yeah, what is, what's going on there? No, no, just a fan in the background. Okay. Oh, okay. There's always some weird noise coming <laughs> from Trader I usually turn Ruski. it off when I talk. <laughs> Every single show we have at least one like weird noise from Trader Ruski in the background. That I, what is yeah, that? And when, I, when I'm listening to it later, I get these little vignettes into his life, and I try and I come up with these crazy <laughs> stories to explain what he's doing and what's going on. I try to picture it, too. Like, I hear a noise, and like, I, I almost don't want to stop him. I also almost want to get the little right. view into what's going on. Yeah, just try and figure out what the hell he's doing. Yeah, you guys get the view into what's going on with me because I, I have uh, I have to share my screen, unfortunately. So, yeah. all right, uh, I want to talk about the Phil Calfon thing, as, as uh, Cal Watt already preferenced. And we, we've been updating this every week. You guys can go back to previous shows if you want to hear the different stories of what's been happening with him. Uh, but the latest is that he – there's two things. First of all, he is – just doing a blitz all over the place with appearances to try to get the site going, trying to make the traffic finally show up because the, the site is dead. It's a ghost town. Uh, now, right to be fair, right now is not a good time to look at it if you're listening live because most of the players are in Europe, and this would be a very bad time to play in Europe. It's like 6 a.m. in London right now. It's probably the deadest time for all sites that are European it's, it's that most of the clientele is European, but even at the peak, the it's very dead, and uh, the the site has been a tremendous failure in that way. They just can't get players playing. It's been here for a while now, so and instead of growing, they're actually shrinking. They've actually they're actually seeing the traffic fall. So, Eesh, he, so so he has realized that desperate times call for desperate measures. So he's he started to do some things. He's playing on Twitch on his own site now at low stakes. And I mentioned that on a previous show, which I think is fine if he wants to play at low stakes just to, just to bring people to the site and give a thrill to the people who play there. I think that's a good idea, and I don't think playing at low stakes is unethical. But he's also appearing in a lot of different places on social media, on forums, on uh, even on the Dat Poker podcast, and trying to talk about Run It Once to just basically bring awareness to people that it exists – which again, I'm not criticizing. That part's a good idea. Yeah, I wouldn't call this desperation necessarily. 
I mean, this is exactly what he should be doing, and I think that he probably was waiting until the software was at a point where at least it wouldn't be embarrassing if if he was promoting it to casual players. You know what I mean? And I think with the, the recent updates where you can actually, like, resize the window and other, like, you know, Kirka 2000, <laughs> other poker software, you know, that type of stuff, I think he's finally like, okay, I feel comfortable enough promoting this. Let's do it. You know what I mean? And I think all of the stuff that he's doing, he totally should be doing. He should be yes, appearing I, everywhere. He should be using his celebrity. Absolutely, he should be doing this stuff. Yeah, I'm not criticizing know? anything he's doing here with yeah. appearances. I, I think is, is smart, and, and I yeah. don't, uh, I'm not criticizing any of that. Uh, in, I would criticize him if he wasn't doing it. Right. And in, in the 2 plus 2 thread, see, he's appearing on there, too, on the main thread mm-hmm. in uh, News, uh, Views, and Gossip, NVG, on 2 plus 2. He hasn't been in that thread for a long time. He abandoned it for a while. Once it became kind of negative there that people – and when I say negative, people weren't trolling him. People were just criticizing it with fair criticism, and he just kind of didn't want to deal with it. Uh, so he's yeah. back there, and he's, he's answering a lot of questions and answering a lot of posts. But uh, I'll put a big but on this one. He is only answering the posts which are fairly easy to answer. He's 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 not responding to me, for example. And I keep in mind, I'm not being really harsh. I'm being kind of tough in that I'm not uh, I'm not kissing ass, and I'm, I'm I'm bringing up some tough points to respond to. But but I'm not uh, insulting him or the site, or, or or I'm not being condescending or nasty. I would understand ignoring someone who's trying to troll i don't i don't come off in that thread as if i'm trying to troll uh, but i do seem like someone who's very critical so he, he just won't respond to me he's not saying he's not saying he won't respond to me he's just not responding and then there's another guy there who's posting even more than i am named the jackal 21 i don't know who it is but the jackal 21 claims to be a player on the site he claims to be in europe and that he actually plays on there and he's actually brought up a lot of good points, the Jackal, and uh, but he does post a whole lot there, and most of it's critical of Run It Once. And Galfon was ignoring him at first. Then someone's like, hey, you really should answer the Jackal. He's bringing up a lot of good points. So Galfon then answered the Jackal like once and then wouldn't answer him again. So So he does seem to be responding without having to say anything without really having to answer critics very much like he he's he's taking the more softball questions or the ones that are much easier to answer and uh, uh so so he, he seems to have an appearance and that's let me tell you this is one thing i've had a problem with that he's been doing is that they claim to be soliciting comments and questions and they claim to want everyone's feedback but at the same time they seem very set in their ways and they don't want to change very much so they 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 really only want to hear feedback from people either saying, hey, you're doing a great job or, hey, you're mostly doing a great job, but here's some very small tweaks that maybe you could make. Then he can either say, no, we can't do it for this reason and give give a good response or, oh, OK, yeah, we'll make this very small change. But it seems like he does not want to take seriously criticism that would send it to a very different direction that I feel it needs to go. And that's not really taking – feedback that's not uh if 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 you're supposedly going to be open to feedback and supposedly going to be open to processing that feedback to consider that maybe you've been doing things wrong i'm not saying you have to do what everyone tells you to but if you have to at least if you're going to take feedback from everybody then you have to be willing to make major changes if it seems like that's where the feedback's directing you and then you think about it and say hey i'm wrong it just kind of seems like he's very set in his ways in most of what he's doing but 
the thing I want to highlight first, and then, then we're going to play the Dat Poker podcast part, that little clips there, include, especially the tough questions that he was asked by uh, by Negranu and, and Terrence Chan, which which Calwatt mentioned before were good questions. They were good and tough. So I'm going to play his response to those. But listen to this. This is from a blog. So he, he released a blog that uh, was basically talking about all the situations going on right now with Run at Once, including the fact that it isn't working well and that they're, quote, burning through money each month, which isn't a surprise. He admits that in the blog. And he admits the traffic isn't anywhere near where they want it to be. And so so he it was an interesting blog. It's a long blog. And if you go to the thread about this on the poker community discussion forum on Poker Fraud Alert, if you go to page, I think it's five of the thread. You'll see I have a link to that blog. And I would advise reading if you have any interest in this topic. But I read it, and it, you know, there were some interesting parts, but it was also a lot of hand-wringing and kind of blaming and, and, and kind of what you were saying also. Like, there were some parts that were kind of, I mean, he was a little out of touch, maybe. Well, I, yeah. I'll, I'll go further. He's blaming the customer. This, this is this is a big problem to me. Now, first of all, for some reason, he's focusing on this splash the pot feature, which is uh, it's a feature there that instead of rake back, what they do is that fifty one percent of the collected rake every so often they drop it on the table on a certain hand at a random point, and then everyone plays for that as well as the regular pot. So that's called splash the pot. Now, whether that's a good thing to have on a poker site or not, it's debatable. Uh, so I even have mixed feelings about it. I'm not even sure if it's a good thing to have or not. But uh, but I, I'm not even criticizing it. That's not This whole thing isn't about criticizing splash the pot. For, for whatever, whatever reason, Phil has come to the conclusion that splash the pot is the reason is the main reason this is failing. It's just because the, the grinders are staying away. He, he needs grinders to keep the games going, which is true. That part That part's right. You need grinders to keep games going, and you need fish to basically fuel the games. But that the grinders aren't coming because Splash the Pot is intimidating them, and they don't want to play there because of Splash the Pot. Now, let me uh, read you what he said from the blog, and you'll see what I'm talking about, of how this is customer-blaming. He says, I've read complaints from pros about the variants in- introduced by Splash the Pot. Well, I think many of these are misguided, particularly along the lines of, I don't want to fight for my rake back, or what if I don't win a Splash Pot all month and I get zero rake back? Splash the Pot does increase the variance and slightly increase the average stakes of our games. This is intentional, as I previously discussed at length, and we didn't expect every player to love it. What's not mentioned publicly, but based on my personal conversations with those in the community, seems to be a huge blocker for many grinders making their way to run at once poker, is the fact that Splash the Pot introduces a number of game structures that players haven't solved yet, and therefore there's a fear of that unknown, a fear that they won't have an edge because they don't know exactly what to do. This is... This was, as I laid out, one of the main reasons for Splash the Pot. We wanted to introduce elements that were less solved, both for a a bot deterrent and to create a new and interesting challenge, opportunities for you to outwit your opponents. What we didn't account for was the understandable fear this created for a player type which is very well represented in in today's poker community. Hmm, what does he mean by that fear? Let's go on. I came up in online poker during a very different time. Now, before I read past this, I thought what he was going to talk about what, what was so different about online poker when Phil came up in the 2000s compared to today in 2019? 
Like more the, fish? Right. That, that's that's what everybody <laughs> thinks about. What was different then? You had, you, you had more sites to play on, and you had a lot more fish, and the games were easier. That's what was so different between then and now. Uh, yeah, and just tons of money rolling around because of the, the number of rec players that were there. Right. Yeah. That, that was the difference. But, but listen to what he says is different. <laughs> he, he doesn't mention that stuff. Here's what he says was so different during the 2000s when he came up. Players from my generation had to explore strategy without clear answers. It was mostly about adjusting, counter-adjusting, and so on. No, it wasn't. It was just about the, there were tons of fish with a lot of money that uh, they were dumping it off the tables, including at high stakes. That's what was so different. Uh, those that have survived have, of course, adapted to the new poker landscape, one which definitive answers do technically exist for every poker situation. I've always felt in touch with the poker community, but it's been clear to me now that the overwhelming majority of my friends in poker who have been around have been around for a decade or more. I'm now realizing that the newer generation of professionals doesn't have the same makeup, the same mix of wants, needs, and fears as my generation does. It's more challenging to make a living in poker than it was 10 years ago. Natural selection now weeds out many of the less disciplined players like myself, leaving a more structured and responsible group of winners. My pl- many players have worked very hard to maintain a small win rate, which they work very hard to ma- uh, remain confident in. Moving their play to a site where they have a uh, proven win rate over to one with, with an occasionally different game structure, like Splash the Pot, for which there's not a worked out best strategy, would leave them feeling entirely uncertain and unconfident about their edge. So he's already starting to bash today's grinders. You're, you're not coming to my site because I'm bringing something new to the table. You guys want something safe. You guys want something that you've already solved. You, you don't want to try new things. You, you don't want to try new challenges like we did back in the day. My generation, what we did is we weren't afraid of new things. We learned new things in our day, and we, we took on all challenges. You kids today, all you want is your solved, your solved poker where you know that you've got a small win rate that you win with very little variance, and you whippersnappers need to, need to wise up and try new things on my site. That's what he sounds like. Uh, but, but in case you think I'm wrong about this, in case you think I'm assuming too much, listen to the rest of this. Now, based on my experience, having not studied Splash Pot strategy myself, uh, people are playing them terribly. We're all just guessing. This is a spot where I believe the naturally selected trait of being responsibly careful is causing many to miss out on a fantastic opportunity. Splash Pots are not only deterring pros from playing, making games better, but they're also being played so far from optimally that there is room for hugely profitable, exploitative ad- adjustments. If you're already a winning player, this means you're better at poker than the average player at the table. Even without solutions or practice, most of you will adjust to these poker situations better than the competition. These splash pots are the glory days that so many players say they wish they could return to where nobody knew what they were doing and massive edges were attainable. That said, it's clear to me that I'm not thinking in the same way that many players are, and it's clear to me that anxiety exists and is preventing people from playing in our games. I've been informed that this fear is exacerbated by the other elements which make run at once poker different than the games you may be used to. Playing without a HUD, not knowing your opponents, not being able to short stack or table select, etc. The fear of one's small but currently stable win rate evaporating is an entirely understandable one. I've had a very successful poker career, and there have been many times during it that I was uncertain whether I could beat this game or that game. Uh, so, so let's stop here. So he's actually saying that Splash the Pot is actually bringing you back to the glory days of poker. No. See, what he's not understanding is the reason the games were so good in the 2000s, it wasn't because the game wasn't solved yet. It was because there were a lot of recreational players who just sucked. And now, it is true there's more good players today. It is true that people, the, the tough players today are tougher than the, the tough players 10 years ago because of, of more experience gained and of the analysis of the game. 
But the main factor was the presence of dead money that is nowhere near as prominent today. So, first of all... This- the, the other thing I would add to that is that, and he kind of mentions this in the blog, is that in addition to there being you know a lot of terrible players and a lot more money being around... There were also a lot of places where you could get your edge, right? You could you could table select. You could use the HUD. You could do a whole lot of these things that would aid your edge. And I understand what he's trying to do, and I respect what he's trying to do with, um, you know, making a fair game, but also understand that you're you're effectively taking away a lot of these other places where people did get their edge. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's tough. But, but he says I, I don't think you could resize the tables back then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I, so he goes. I've always been aware of the many doubts about one's ability to win can can severely impact their mental state. But I think it hasn't been close enough to the forefront of my mind. Perhaps it's because of the time I came up in poker, or perhaps it's because I've had an unusually fortunate poker career. But I haven't been empathizing. I haven't been empathizing sufficiently regarding the fragility of many poker players' careers and the resistance to change that comes along with that. I mean, is this condescending or what? That, that He's like, maybe I was just really lucky, but I guess I haven't really been thinking about how fragile your poker career is and, and the resistance you have to change. I, I forget that you're just a, a, a robotic uh, person who's just barely getting by with, with really no creativity and no edge uh, other than uh, s- strategy that... Uh, You've carefully followed. You're, you're really just uh, such a rigid player with no creativity, creativity or ability to adjust, and, and your entire career is just so fragile and the slightest downswing will kill you. Since I've been so successful and since I have been able to adjust my whole career and I've done so well, I haven't thought about people like you. I haven't thought about you peons beneath me who might be playing in this way is what he's saying. So he says, this is absolutely a failure on my part. A circle of personal poker friends, a group of generally like-minded players that you follow on social media, and browsing poker forums where people won't admit things like the above for fear of ridicule doesn't truly make one in touch with the players. I plan to continue and to ramp up my efforts to reach out to players directly to learn more about them, their wants, their needs, their fears, and their stories. So now, maybe still from this, you're still not completely getting that he's blaming the customer. Well, listen to this post on 2 Plus 2 where he says this. Uh, if you think you're is referring to the 51% they're giving away, they're giving back through Splash the Pot from the rake. If you think you're getting less than 51% in EV, who do you, and when I say you, I mean any grinder, think is getting more than 51%? Someone has to. If you and two other players are only getting 21%, then the other three players must get 81%, or two get 51, gets, one gets 141%, etc. The money's being given out and has to go somewhere. I'm not understanding how pros who have to have a good understanding of expected value and variance don't see that as a lot of money in their pockets. All that said, it's clear I'm wrong about everyone understanding EV the way we do. And as such, we're completely failing on the important marketing front that is optics. Wow. So he's saying, when he says understanding EV the way we do, that means we understand it correctly. I'm shocked that good pros don't understand it correctly. I'm shocked all our all of the today's pros are so stupid. Well, to his credit, though, he does have the uh, corporate lingo from three years ago down, though, <laughs> using optics. Yes. Uh, we have rake much lower than the major competitors, yet a subset of players think it's higher. That's an absolute disaster and a big failure for us. 
It's something we didn't see coming from the reg community, meaning regulars, and we're going to have to do a lot of thinking on how to address it. What, pre- what previously planned changes to bump up the priority list and what new changes to make our pricing re- to our pricing and rewards. So he really is saying that the customer is not understanding how wonderful Splash the Pot is. Splash the Pot is a return to the glory days. Splash the Pot is uh, amazing, an amazing opportunity. And that he was sure that today's grinders would be smart enough to see this opportunity and jump on it and analyze it and try to beat it and know that they're getting something great. But we didn't figure that today's grinder was this dumb. We didn't figure that today's grinder was this simple. We didn't figure that today's grinder was this adverse to change or adventure. Because we weren't adverse to change or adventure. We, we grabbed it by the horns in our day. Right. But, but, and, but and you to aren't. his credit, he does eventually lay the blame on himself. But it is sort of like a, a backhanded compliment kind of thing. You know what I mean? Where oh, it's, it totally is. You know what I mean? No, yeah. you, you know, you know what? It's, it's like saying, it's like it's like going up to a girl you're dating and saying, you know what? Um, when 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 I decided to go out with you, um, I, I it was always important to me to date a woman who was intelligent. And, and I, I thought you were intelligent from our initial conversations, and I was very excited to date you. Then it, it seems that you're not all that intelligent after all, and I just haven't been too into the relationship. But this is absolutely my fault for not judging you correctly at the beginning and starting to date you. I should have recognized yeah. at the beginning that you were dumb, and then, I, then I, I wouldn't have dated you in the first place. This is my bad. This is my fault. I should have known from the start you were an idiot. So just remember, when I'm breaking you up for being stupid, it's my fault for not noticing you were stupid earlier. This, this, yeah. It's just like that. It's, and so she's not going to go, oh, okay, well, it's, I'm glad you're taking fault for this. She'd go, no, F you. You're, you know, how dare you insult me like this? So, uh, I mean, honestly, it is kind of like that, and I feel bad because every every interaction that I've had with with Phil has been a positive one, and I do think he's a nice guy. But I mean, you're right it it really does it really does read like that. And, and the sad know? thing is, all he had to do he he could have stopped short of saying these things. Even if he's thinking, you can think what you want if you don't say it out loud. So all you have to do is stop short and say. And by, by the way, I don't think Splash the Pot is the reason this is failing. That's not even close to the top reason it's failing. But even if you want to say it is, all you have to do is say our initial assumption was that there was going to be a lot more enthusiasm for Splash the Pot. And it turns out that most pros today prefer traditional rake back because there's less variance to it. And we, we thought that uh, there wouldn't be as much resistance to it, but we were incorrect. We read the market incorrectly, and uh, we're going to adjust. That's all you got to say. Yeah. Yeah, and you can be even more vague than that. You know, you can say just say that we we mis misread the landscape when we yeah. implemented some of the features on our site. Done. But, you know but, what I mean? But but he couldn't resist throwing this in there. Like, I was right. This was a great opportunity. You're just all stu- you're all too stupid to appreciate it. What what if what if I started a restaurant and uh, I, I tried to start a, a gourmet restaurant and, and it flopped. Nobody wanted to come there. The restaurant was losing money every day and. Uh, people ask me, well, why is your restaurant not working? And I say, well, it's because customers these days, they lack the sophisticated, adventurous palates of decades prior. Yeah, our, our food's just too gourmet for them. We, we overestimated the sophistication of the typical 2019 customer. We, we, we should have adjusted our menu to feature bland, predictable food, which doesn't give the average rube diner anxiety. So we would have been a wild success if it wasn't for the fact that uh, today's Restaurant goers just uh, – they have no taste. So if, if only yeah. we realized how 
uh, how gauche the typical restaurant goer today is and that they couldn't realize how innovative and tasty our food really is, then we would have succeeded. And it's our fault for not understanding what simpletons modern restaurant goers have become. Like uh, it would be the same thing. And you'd say you wouldn't like that. You'd have a lot of bad things to say about them. And I, I think some of this is out of frustration. I think that uh, yes. that that this may not really be his personality. This may be like he's very frustrated and he really had in his mind this is going to be a huge hit. And, and it sucks when you pour your heart and soul into something and you think you've created something great and then you roll it out and, and – People Absolutely. are not are not enthusiastic about it, and that, that's exactly what I was going to say. Because again, this is someone that has he has been a very public figure for a very long time, and and let's be honest, this is uncharacteristic of him, right? And when we were talking about this, you know, two and a half years ago or whatever it was, I remember saying to you that I really hope he's using other people's money when he is invest investing in this thing because it is not going to go the way that he thinks. And I and I like the guy, and I really hope he's using other people's money. Well, what we know now is that um, he does have investors, but also he is yes. one of the major investors, it sounds like. We don't really know how much. And, you know, probably that's a lot of pressure that, you know, he has this uh, – he's sunk a whole lot of money into this thing, a whole lot of time into this thing, a whole lot of passion into it. And he's looking at his burn rate, and he's seeing that it's you know it's negative every month, and that's that is difficult to handle. You know, it really is. Yeah, and and I think you're right. I think it is frustration coming out, and it's it's understandable. But what you have to do is you have to compartmentalize that. And when you're interacting with your uh, with the public and your potential customers, you just you, you can't. Do that, yeah, you can't. You, know? you can't ever, ever, ever lash out at the customer, and it's it's similar to politics. You can't lash out at the voter. You can't get this. Is Hillary Clinton made this huge mistake talking about how the deplorables yeah. won't vote for her? They're only voting for Trump. It, it, you never insult the ones that that are supposed to be your customers or be voting for you. You're trying to get voting for you. You can't if you're running for office. You can't ever insult the voters, even the ones that don't vote for you. If you're if you're running a business, you can't ever insult the customers, even customers who are not your customers and won't come to your business. You have to always respect and it, and the customer. And it's tough. It's tough. I've been in that position, right? And you really want to just tell the person to fuck off, right? But because of your, your business and, uh, you know, you just can't do that, you know? And it, it's not easy to do. And, and maybe, in fairness, I mean, maybe Phil has just never have, had to learn this. Yeah, he hasn't. Know? He hasn't. And I've talked about that on other shows, that this is something he just hasn't had to do. And it seemed like his poker career kind of just worked out naturally for him and things just fell into place very well. And he hasn't had a big failure like this in his life before, to my knowledge. Maybe he hasn't. I don't know about it. But uh, uh, to my knowledge of his life, at least as an adult, I haven't seen him fail with anything significant. So this is uh, the, the first thing like that to my knowledge. And this is, and this is an area he probably didn't have much experience in. And, uh, and for whatever reason, he either didn't surround himself with people that could have prevented this or helped prevent this, or he did, and he didn't listen to them. So, yeah, I mean, there, there are certain things that if you're going to be doing, you want someone with experience doing that thing yeah. to be there, to manage the project. And, and software can be some of the most complicated things you could possibly do. You definitely want someone with experience there when you're when you're doing this kind of stuff. But if you ever listen to any of his training videos, I mean, he's he was a very thoughtful, intelligent, smart, articulate guy, uh, and it was it was impressive the amount of thought that he put into 
you know, his decisions on streets and his reads on players and all that kind of good stuff. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily translate <laughs> to, to everything in life. Well, you, you know, know where else it didn't translate? I just happened to find this the other day. I totally forgot about it. But uh, there was this girl, Peachy Murr, that appeared on the scene in the oh, late yeah. 2000s. And she – I was one of the early people to talk to her because she was friends with people I knew. She was friends with Neverwin. She was friends with uh, with Newhouse. She was friends with Mike Schneider. So, like, a bunch of people in the Limit Hold'em community, she's friends with Brad L., so, like, I got to know her through them, and then she would talk to me on AIM. And immediately, first I thought, well, maybe this isn't even really a girl. Then she's like, no, 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 I'll call you. And she, she calls me, she, you know, it's really a girl. But I knew immediately, the first conversation I had with her, that she was a phony in some way. I didn't know how, but I, I knew in some way she wasn't what she represented. I knew she had a vagina. I knew she was born with a vagina. That's all I knew was real with her. I The rest of it... <laughs> Well, these days you can't take it for granted. I, I was kind of forward think I was forward thinking with that one. Where the I was going to say, you never been to Thailand. It's not a given. <laughs> anyway, so ahead. so I that was all I knew was was real with her. Uh, but but everything, and I knew she wasn't out for money because she had a lot of opportunity. She could have ripped people off and, and and didn't. So I knew she wasn't out for money, and I knew she was a real girl. But I knew there were a lot of lies in her story, and and she it was so weird because I would call her out on these things, and then she would get really pissed and say. I don't want to ever want to talk to you again. I'm like, okay. And then the next day on AIM, hi. Like she just starts talking to me like it never happened. I go, well, hi. I thought you're mad. No, no, no. That's, that's that's no big deal. Let's talk. So like she just and so she was so strange. But anyway, it was kind of just my own little thing with this little group of people, limit holding players I knew. So I didn't even really talk about her much outside of that until she became a poker stars pro, and did like an ask me anything or a well thread or something like that on two plus two, and eventually the detectives over on 2 Plus 2 figured out that she was a phony. And then there was an accusation. Yeah, the whole thing was weird. How did she end up becoming – I mean, one of the things I remember is I remember – I think it was on Full Tilt. Uh, I remember Galfon would sit at the table with her at stakes that he never normally would play. Well, yeah, I'm going uh, to get into that with, with Galfon. So, oh, okay. And, and right, this was so. before he was with his current wife, so this, uh, so yeah. I believe he was single at the time. How the hell did she end up being a pro? Well, well so, so she, she had this amazing talent to – just really, really uh, relate to like online poker players. A lot of whom were oh, kind boy. of young, and and uh, some of them, even the ones who were otherwise good looking, you think would would have had would not have had problems getting girls. But, uh, and some of them didn't. Like Neverwin, he got a lot of girls. Uh, but 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 still, like on a personality level, she did such a good job relating to these guys, where they got to feel really close to her. Like she made a lot of really close male friends, some of whom just liked her as like a really good female friend and some of whom were interested in her uh, romantically. So she was really good at getting close to these guys and they would just abandon all logic with her. They, they yeah. would ignore everything that was a red flag where I had many – first of all, that's kind of me anyway, but I also had many years of experience meeting girls online, so I immediately saw phony. So anyway – Well, now, in, in fairness, Drew, knowing what we know now – Maybe it's it also wasn't that hard to become a pro for, for full tilt. Back in the well, no, no, it, it, no, it was poker stars. You just stars. had to know the right person. No, it wasn't full tilt. It was poker stars. It was poker stars it, where she yes. got it. Okay. Yeah, and Never, I, I don't know how no. she managed it, but she became a pro for a short time, and okay. the, and they even featured a phony picture that she had been distributing, which what clearly wasn't fuck? her. Yeah, without what, ever who verifying. The fuck was it. doing their due diligence. There is ridiculous. So so, so pretty soon yeah, it all came out, and then and then they even like found an old post that I had made on poker fraud alert about her and uh, like the, that came out and uh, anyway they dropped her as a pro very quickly after this all came out but the 
briefly, the entire poker community was very interested in this story. And Galfond did a podcast with her where she was supposedly going to explain everything. And I was really looking forward to that. This was the biggest softball podcast they'd ever heard. I mean, we, we've talked about uh, Chicago Joey throwing softballs in the past. This, this makes uh, Chicago Joey look like Nolan Ryan. Uh, they, these were not softballs. I mean, these are the poor Joey. These, these, these were the softest. These were the softest of softballs that he threw to her. He didn't ask a single question of what people really wanted to hear, and the entire thing was a waste What's of time. What's your favorite color? <laughs> right. That, that's pretty much what it was. And and I was like, oh my. And this is after she'd been exposed as a big phony. This wasn't when there was just like suspicion and people like me were calling her out. This was when she had pretty much been exposed as a complete phony on two plus two. And they and they took her off of Poker Stars as a pro, and she was caught uh, uh, switching, a, letting Brad L play the remainder of a tournament for her, and like all this stuff that happened. Uh, he's still bamboozled by her. Still, I mean, back then, I don't know about now, probably not anymore. But but I thought to myself, wow, Phil, everything I've seen from him, he seems such a bright, like a, such a bright guy, such a down to earth guy. Uh, he seems very aware at the poker table. He's not just some aggro guy who got lucky i mean he seems very thoughtful in every decision he makes at the poker table how does this translate to being like the last guy to figure out that she's a phony but but he was and i thought wow the, for some reason at least maybe when it comes to women he's just really gullible even if in the rest of his life he's not so you no know, i'm not i'm not going to fault him for that and the reason i'm not going to fault him for that is what we're essentially saying is you know because he has a soft uh, soft spot, or at least in this one instance, had a soft spot. You know, that's necessarily a bad thing, and I don't I don't know. You know what I mean? It's not like he's a uh, this was a serial thing with him or anything. No, you it know? wasn't. It was Every, just, just with Peachy Murray. Yeah, and then and then he yeah. then and then of course uh, this is before he was with his current wife, so that, I, this type of thing wouldn't happen again because uh, um, I, I don't know if he had a romantic interest in Peachy Murray or not, but uh, obviously he wouldn't at this point if if he interacted with some other female in, in poker. But uh, that that was the first thing I saw with him. And this was years ago. I think like 2013 or something. That was the first. I, I just thought of something rough. Like I want some crazy story where Phil Galfon leaves his wife and runs off with Amanda Leatherman or something. <laughs> yeah. I want him to go run off with Peachy Murray. And then he meets the real Peachy Murray. He's like, oh, my oh, God, what did I yeah. do? What did I yeah. do? She's not the one in that picture. Oh, my God. <laughs> Farrah, come back to me. I made a big mistake. So okay, uh, I'm going to play the, the portions of the Dat Poker podcast which were of interest to me, and uh, Dat Poker podcast is the one that's with Daniel Negreanu, Adam Schwartz, Terrence Chan, and uh, if you want to find it, you can just Google Dat D A T Poker podcast, and you will find it immediately. A lot shorter than this show; it's like about an hour and a half, but they uh, cover the main topics of the week in in poker, and uh, it's. They, they, you know, Adam's always been very nice with mentioning this show, even on Two Plus Two, where Mason hated me. Even while, even while I was banned there on Two Plus Two, he mentioned this show, and we got listeners, including one Eric Benzamokin from Adam's mention. And so, when they were no longer part of Two Plus Two and they were uh, doing their own thing, which they don't have the built-in audience, uh, I said, you know, I, I should mention them and, and return the favor, and so. Uh, Does he still mention poker fraud? Yes, he, he, um, he actually, yes, yeah. he has. Okay. He has. Because it would be I, funny if he stopped, and the only reason he was mentioning it before was to just needle and Mason. You know, no, he was. He, he really, he really did mention it. So, uh, I know Adam's a good dude. Yeah. So, uh, if you want to find it, definitely go check it out there. And uh, 
And, and when I was preparing the segment, I even thought, okay, I don't want to play too much of this and, and show disrespect to them and like, okay, well, now you don't have to listen to them because I'm going to play the whole thing. So I'm going to play little clips here and there. I actually do advise you go listen to the whole interview, which isn't that long. It's not going to probably take you half an hour to listen to the whole thing on, on Dad Poker Podcast, and uh, then you can draw your own conclusion from this. I had to skip through Daniel Negreanu's honeymoon. Like, I had zero interest in Yeah, I, I skipped it, that. too. No, I, I jumped right. It, it starts at, like, the 4630 <laughs> mark, in case you're wondering. Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah, I, I didn't bother to listen to his honeymoon. Yeah, just, nothing like, against Daniel. I just, I don't, I don't know, whatever. No, I, I just didn't really want to hear about it. No, I didn't either, so I, I jumped to this. But I'm going to test something, though, first to make sure you can hear this. Uh, can you hear this sound effect? Did that come through? Dun, dun. Yep. Beautiful. Okay. Thank you, Skype. I appreciate the brilliant developers at Microsoft that they have gotten Skype almost back to where it was 11 years ago. Great job. Trader Reese, you see that? Watch the screen carefully. When he toggles between, you can see the midget porn in the da, 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 da. Okay, let's go. Is that what that was? Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I, I was just reading an educational article about uh, those suffering from dwarfism. Okay, let's mm-hmm. let's go on here. If this is about whether Phil Galfond is happy. Run it once, and the, the idea that you would try to create a new poker site out of, out of scra- from scratch in 2019, I thought, well, you know, good luck. I'm going to be cheering for you. You seem like one of the good guys, but I'm not sure I'd put my own money into this. Um, you did put your own money into this uh, a few months in. What, what are we, five months in now? Are you, are you still happy you've put in so much time and money into this thing? Uh... <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, yes and no. I'm like uh, dedicated to it, and now that we're here, I'm. I mean, I've been passionate about. It. I'm still passionate about it. I think it was, you know, perhaps uh, in hindsight, the way that it's gone so far, not the best investment of my time and money. But oh, yeah, there's even like that uncomfortable laughter when he goes ah, and then like I think it was Negrano, <laughs> like they're, they're laughing like oh. He totally regrets this. So, and great, great question, and well framed. You know, I mean, basically, Terrence was just like, "I would, I wouldn't give you a dime for yeah. this, but but good luck." And I think a very honest answer from Phil. I mean, he's very, very much like, "Nah," you know. I mean, I'm passionate about it, but if I had to rewind the clock, um, maybe I would make some changes. Yeah, and what's, what's good about the fact that he's on this interview is he doesn't have all the time to sit with a blog and think of, like, exactly what yeah. he wants to write and frame things. Here he's got to just answer questions, and anything he hasn't previously directly addressed, there you're probably going to get more of an honest answer because it's 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 harder to just make up convincing BS on the spot. So, I, yeah, I, I think that was a sincere answer. I'll go on here. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there are worse things I could have been doing. Yeah, and and I imagine a lot of this was – you know, take me back to before you got the idea of, you know, I'm going to start a poker site. You know, you, you talked a lot about the dream and, you know, the dream when you came up and, and you know, my generation too, I'm, I'm about the same age group as you and it's a similar kind of online poker success stories. You, you said that it seemed like to you that the dream was a bit dead and you wanted to try to resurrect that. Did you know, I don't want to say that did that like blind you into the, the romantic idea into having a poker site, but how much of it was I want to I want to do for poker what poker did for me and how much of it was I want to try to make money like on the business side of things. Well, I, uh, to the first part, I I think it was more I, I don't think the dream is dead. I have worried about the direction for for many years now the direction that the industry is taking um, the online poker industry um, and uh, you know led by the more or less monopoly 
although becoming a little bit less fun in uh, Poker Stars, that I've been worrying that the decisions that they've been making has kind of led me to believe that their philosophies or, or beliefs around online poker are that it's not it's not the most profitable thing they can be doing long term and that they're they're trying to make what they can and and then push their user base to other uh verticals um and so that that scared me um and you know in some ways scared me into starting this project i think i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm the only one but i feel like a lot of poker players especially especially those who've uh, dabbled in business of some kind, but even ones that haven't uh, probably dreamt at some point about being part of their own online poker site. Yeah, so I actually didn't mean to play that one, but I want to start out, Mike, I might as well go with it. Uh, he, that one, he's just basically saying, I, I've i always kind of wanted to start a poker site, and especially now with the way PokerStars is behaving, and they're, they're just seeing poker as something that isn't as profitable as, as other things like sports betting and, uh, and casino games. So I, I, I want to go back to the running of a pure poker site. He's kind of going back to saying what he originally said. If, uh, we're, this is going to be a poker site run by poker players for poker players and and still believing in the poker dream, and that's it. Uh, and that's, this is something he kind of always wanted to do. And, that, and that's all good, and I respect that. And, and I've had those same feelings. I've had those feelings. And, like, oh, it would be cool. Right, and incidentally, that's the way a lot of businesses ended up getting started. Yeah. You know, is that you are passionate about something and you really uh, believe in it and you're willing to put in the blood, sweat, tears, and money to, to make it happen. That's that's how a lot of small businesses start. So Yeah, yeah. and that's, that was the right way to go about it. But as I was saying before, the wrong way to go about it is to come up with what you believe is the way it should be developed and run, and then uh, and then just pretty much not want to change course, and also to not get uh, the proper feedback from those with the experience to tell you if uh, your reinventing of the wheel is going to create a vehicle that's not going to run. But uh, I'm going to play the next clip that I meant to play here, and this is about uh, the site being a plus EV opportunity for players. Um, or at least I have. Uh, so it was always something that, that I thought would be a really exciting journey. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think that that it was a plus EV opportunity. Oh, I'm sorry, a plus EV opportunity for, for him. I My notes are wrong there, sorry. But, um, well, I, I, maybe I can't even say that. I didn't know that it was plus EV opportunity by any means, but uh, I thought that we could pull it off and... Um, I thought it'd be very fun to try. What what made you like sort of think that? Like what tipped put the finger on the scales and say like no, I can actually make this this plus EV. Was it just something that you thought in your head? Were you talking to to friends or business people or like what what where, where was it where you were like, "Oh, should I do it? Should I not do it? Okay, I'm going to do it." Yeah, I was talking to some friends uh well, the inside the company and then some outside the company that have, you know, since become part of the company. And I don't know that I can point to one moment uh, where I thought, you know, we can do this. Um, it was actually a lot of uh, kind of opinions from people outside that, that were outside the company that are now inside it of that, that had more industry experience than I did, which was, you know, zero, just <laughs> just a player. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, I would say that that, yeah, definitely kind of pushed me over the edge a little bit. I wonder who these people are that had industry experience that are now quote, in the company because there were a lot of really boneheaded mistakes that were made 
that uh, very obvious mistakes that someone who is in the industry I don't think would have made if they weren't just completely out to lunch. Like, well, yeah, you heard me, man. Like, I was going crazy ranting about this stuff a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm just I, like, I, what are they doing? I, I was too. Yeah. I, I just uh, yeah. and and the the fact they launched without tournaments. The fact that, that Poker Stars proved back in in late 2002 that tournaments are what makes a poker site big. So how do you how do you launch without one? How how do you, how do you launch without it? Uh, Right, resizable tables. That's been a standard in poker sites again since uh, probably around 2002, right. 2003. And, and even more abstract than that, like let, let's say we're we're talking about any kind of software app, right? I mean, what you do is you get the uh, the few solid features that you need to have in there as your MVP, and you get it out, and then you iterate on it. Yes. You know? But yes. You, what you don't do is you don't start with the kind of Homer car kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Where you're just like putting a bubble on top and doing it in, without having a solid chassis underneath it. Yes. You yes. You, you need, right. You need to have the very basics down and working very well. And then you build on top of it, uh, of all the, the innovations that, uh, that deviate uh, or, or, or change things a bit while building on top of, of the basics that everybody wants. And the, the fact that they just skip that is, is bizarre and how, how there could be people in the industry in the past who were involved with this? Unless they did object and he overruled them, I don't know. But that was that was surprising to hear. Uh, then they're and again he can and he, he concedes this, right? So I mean, and, and maybe you're going to play that clip, but he he says, you know, like, and we we didn't think it would take this long to do it. Well, right? sort of. And but... what that and what that says to me is that you didn't have anyone there that knows how long this type of stuff takes to do. Well, but you know, but, but hold on, you're going to hear something at. Uh... Uh, right now we're playing at the 5120 mark. When we get to the 56, right. oh, 53 mark, 53 minute mark, right. we're going to hear something real surprising regarding, uh, pretty much showing me that they do, they still don't get it. But uh, but here right. here's the the questions about the traffic. Where he this is what he talks about the traffic on there right now, how busy it is. Yeah. So Phil. So I um years ago. That's, you know, Negr- that's, was like, that's Negroni, by the way. Or in you know the boom stage, I started full contact poker kind mm-hmm. of from scratch similar to what you're doing, you know, the difference was we kind of plugged into a network. So that was one way to sort of address the critical mass issue. Um, what do you guys have in store? Like what, are, what, what, what ideas do you have to sort of get back that? Because that seems like a, a big obstacle to building a site. It's just having enough games going so that people don't show up and be like, ah, nothing here. I'll go to a site where people are already there. Yeah. So, so before you answer that, great question from Negranu. And I, I don't think joining an existing poker network would have been the right thing because then you're just a skin on the network and your, your ceiling is pretty low. But, uh, but he did bring up a great point that you, you have to get traffic some way, and that's the biggest factor to a poker site's success is are there players there playing games that other people are going to want to play? They'll see running and want to play, and that's not trivial. How do you plan to get that done? And that's a very good question because it hasn't been happening there. Let's hear what Phil had to say. Yeah, no, it's definitely a big challenge and, and something – I mean, in hindsight, I think that's the route we should have taken mostly because – well, not just because of the liquidity issue, but because it took us much longer to develop the software, uh, even to this point, which is still not complete by any means, um, uh, than, we, than we expected. So we would have been better off starting that way. The reason we didn't was in large part that – we thought a lot of things should change and we have a lot of unique features uh, at our site that you know wouldn't have existed in a network, we wouldn't have had control, but still joining a network with the end goal of, of 
branching off on her own, which is, I think, what Unibet did, um, I think probably would have been the best plan. I don't. I don't think that would have been the best plan. I think that uh, the, the problem with that is that nobody's going to want to sign up for your skin if you're just the same as every other skin on the network. There's very little you can do with the skin. So just saying, oh, I'm Phil Galfon, this is my skin, nobody's going to care about that. That's not going to be interesting to people. Uh, you can't even provide very good customer service if you're part of a network. You, you, your, your hands are tied with a lot of things. So I don't agree with that part. Uh, but, but I was kind of baffled by, oh, we, we, we wanted these innovations. That's, that's, we should have focused on getting traffic, but instead we were focusing on innovations. What? How, yeah. how could you not know that having games on your poker site, having running games is the most important thing? How could you not know that's the main thing you need to focus on? It's like, think of a chat room. Look at the Poker Fraud Alert chat room. During the show, we have people in there. When the show's not running live, then there's no one in there. So even if it's a great chat room that CalWatt approves of and doesn't require Flash, even if it's, if it's the best-made chat room <laughs> ever, okay, if there's nobody chatting there and when you go in there, it's just you, no matter how many features the chat room has, you're going to leave. You're going to go, well, there's nobody to chat with. Goodbye. Uh, you're only going to Great go- example, Druff. Great example. So when you finally get off your ass and you upgrade this chat, right, what if you focused on some ridiculous feature where you can do, like, ASCII art drawings or something like that, right? And you're like, I really I want to have this innovative thing in there. But your your chat room doesn't allow more than two people to talk at the same time or something <laughs> other ridiculous thing like that, right? But, like, what's the point? Yeah, you know? or, yeah. or if, the, if I put a lot of work into the chat room just for it to run during radio – and I, yeah. I made no effort to have the chat room be active during the, the other 162 hours every week. Like, th- th- that wouldn't make any sense. So uh, talk about total misplaced priorities, and it's, it's just so weird to hear, yeah, you know, getting people sitting at tables and playing games, that we, we probably should have focused on that. That was a mistake. We didn't think of that. Wow, live and learn. So uh, let's, let's see. I think they were thinking that the innovative features would be what would bring people in, and, and maybe – Maybe they would, but you still have to have the basics covered first, you know? Yeah, exactly. All right, so so moving on here to hear the rest of this answer. Right now, addressing liquidity problems is tough. I mean, we haven't really pushed it in terms of marketing uh, up until this point because our software wasn't ready for it, and I think now it finally is. So we have to do what we can, but I wouldn't say that we have this, uh, you know, we don't have the key. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not like we, we just have to do some old fashioned marketing and do what we can with admittedly, you know, not the budget of a, a party poker or poker stars. When he, he mentioned several times in this interview, which as I said, I'm not going to play the whole thing, but you'll hear if, if you listen to the whole 30 minute interview, you'll hear a lot of talk about the liquidity problem. I'm not sure when he says liquidity problem, if he's talking about whether it's an issue with them not having much of a budget because people are not playing on there and not generating profit for them that they can reinvest into the site, or if he's talking about just the total money that's like active on the site, on the table, that people can play with in, in poker games. I don't know which liquidity he's referring to. It kind of seems like he, he, he refers to this ambigu- ambiguously. How did you take it when he talked about the liquidity problem? I mean, I, I was just kind of assuming that he was conflating terms you know, and what he really was trying to say, what it sounded like he was actually trying to say when he was saying, talking about liquidity problems, was that they're just not making money. 
you know, that they're, they've got a burn rate and they're not bringing in enough income to cover that. Yeah. Um, when I hear liquidity, you know, in reference to poker, I think about like, is the player money safe? Right. Do they that's, have that's it a, segregated. That's you the know, first. Cetera, that's the first I thought. Or I thought that. Yeah. Or or do they? Do you have enough money to operate? But like, uh, but then it seems like the context he's using it doesn't really make sense. So, yeah, well, it, and, and there is a business context for liquidity too, but it kind of doesn't really make sense here the way he's using it. Yeah. Um. It really sounds to me like he just kind of meant to say how much money is you know what is our burn rate or how much money are we losing every month essentially? Yeah. That's that, it probably is something like that. Okay, so then we hear – here's the part that probably bothers me most. Uh, about, <laughs> I, know, I think I know what it is. <laughs> well, no, I, you may, it's about the MTTs, actually. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, what yeah. I figured. It, it, this, this, this just left me with my jaw just hitting the floor. <laughs> Listen to this. Uh, so you, you think at this point there's, like, no traffic on there, and you think back, hmm, how did PokerStars originally get traffic? How do all poker sites get traffic? How What has been driving – poker sites to succeed for the last 17 years splash the pot that's that's for the next 17 years so (laughs) so so what what has been doing that might it be mtts so what would be the logical conclusion immediately put all resources into getting mtts on the site immediately and what is phil's approach let's listen to it yeah how close are you to sorry one sec how close are you guys to because obviously you know one of the draws to a site is aside from cash games, is tournaments. Uh, how close are you guys to sort of having a layout or a plan for that rollout? We're, we're pretty far from MTTs. Uh, what? What? We're pretty far. <laughs> but hold on, there's, there's more. L- listen to this. There's even more. Um, we're not so far from sit-and-goes. Um, we can, I mean, technically already test them, but it's they still have quite a bit of work to do. But I would expect, I mean, I haven't announced this elsewhere, and I, I'm not going to promise it but i would expect we have sit and goes by the end of the year uh but tournaments are going to take longer or you know multi-table tournaments are going to take longer than that i don't even have estimates at this point wow wow uh what are they doing why why are they not just dropping everything and saying okay the only chance we have we we are our last shot our hail mary pass is going to be let's get mtts up as quickly as possible and then maybe pump some extra money into them and get people over here to want to play these tournaments, and then those will fuel the cash games, and then it, maybe everything will take care of itself. No. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, so two two things about that, Drove. So one, I, I think it's hilarious that uh, Negranu in his intro to the question is says, so obviously a draw is multi-table tournaments, right? <laughs> He's like, oh, obviously, right? Um, but – so what this says to me is that when the software was architected, the idea of multi-table tournaments was never taken into account, right? <laughs> because whenever they say something like, you know, uh, I can't even give a time frame on that or it's very far away, that means that he's talked to the developers and the developers are just like, um, we haven't even considered what happens when you have more than one table involved. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it just never was architected that way from the beginning. And as you know, having been in the software business, retrofitting stuff is is not always easy. Yes, know? yes. It's just uh, that's crazy. It's crazy. And 
Hell, I remember in early 2003, I'm sitting here like at 3060 alone, 3060 limit hold'em, and some fish sits with me, and I just clobber him, and then like another fish sits with me, and I clobber with him. And I'm like, and this is before the poker boom. This is before Moneymaker wins or anything. I'm going, where the hell are these people getting their money? How are these like awful players sitting at limit hold'em with with this money to lose to me? And and some of them are repeat customers. They come back a few days later and and chunk it off to me. And I go, what the hell? Where's all this money coming from? And then I see poker stars congratulate such and such player for winning you know, such and such tournament. I go, oh, it's That's the tournament. It they're yeah. winning tournaments, yeah. and then they're they're sitting at 30-60 limit hold'em, and they don't play limit hold'em well. They're good at no limit hold'em, or maybe they luck box the tournament, whatever it is. They sit at limit hold'em, and they're not limit hold'em players, and they think, how hard could this be? And they get crushed, and I go, this is wonderful. They're winning the tournaments and dumping it off to me. This is this is perfect. And I that that that's what allowed me to have my first big months in poker ever. That's where I won five figures for the first time in poker in a month was from right. this. And I, I realized this as a player in early 2003. So here we are in late 2019, and they're still not understanding the, the immense role that an MTT has, the, the MTTs on these online poker sites have in the success of the site. And it's it's amazing to me that this still is not the priority that it should be. And I go, Oh, right. And Negreanu gets it. He, he just, as you said, he opens with a well, question. Obviously. Like it's obvious. <laughs> no, but so in fairness to them, I mean, it may be that they do fully understand that this is important, but it may just be a case of resources and they have a limited number of them. And you know, where are we going to allocate them and what makes the most sense? Right. Um, but you know, one thing I do want to, to say is that if you do have a limited marketing budget, these multi-table tournaments, I mean, they appeal to recreational players for a variety of reasons. You know, it's, uh, they like the competition. They can actually last a long time in them, et cetera, et cetera. And in addition to what you were talking about, about then, you know, one of them binks a tournament and then they come flop at your table and you dice them up. And that is, is great for the, the whole economy. And you're right. Though, like, that's been a, an old saw of the poker community for an incredibly long time. But in addition to all that, if you have a limited marketing budget, multi-table tournaments are events that you can then put some of that money into and, and promote specific events. Yes. You know? Whereas if you just have cash game or sit and goes or whatever, all you can really do is just generally promote, you know, come sit, play at our tables or, you know, maybe you could promote it where, uh, with Phil is playing, but, you know, the, the, if you play for a living, it's not going to be real appealing that you're going to sit and play with Galfond, you know, <laughs> even if he's not at the top of his game, he knows what he's doing. Um, but the real point I'm trying to make is that multi-table tournaments are events that you can then promote. And yes. if you have a limited budget, you can say, here's this big event we're doing. Yeah. Come check it out. And that's what casinos do, right? They use multi-table tournaments as events to get people in the door so that they chunk off their money somewhere else in the casino. Right. You know, and right. that's the way it works. Yeah. Right. And that's it's just yeah. so surprising that this wasn't in the plans at the beginning. Okay, so so here yeah. is a talk about the investors. You may be wondering who's bankrolling this, and are there investors, and uh, and how do the investors feel about this whole thing hemorrhaging money? Terrence Chan with a hard hitting question here. You've talked a little bit about you know on your blog about how you know you're you're obviously you're not profitable yet. Um, you're you're burning through money. How hard is it to you know? Do something like go to the investors and kind of say, like, look, I know we're 
we're burning through money. But you know, now we got now we got our software up to to par. And and by the way, like I've I've actually enjoyed the software. I've thought it much runs much smoother than I would have expected of a site of this nature. But you know, to go to investors and and ask them to to put even more money into that. Do you have investors that are that are just really committed to to going to the wall on this? It, it's not easy to. Well, it's not it's not fun. It's not so much that it's not easy because we do. Uh, again, including myself, have investors that that believe in it a lot, but I, you know, you don't like to to come back to them with disappointing news. You know, it hasn't gone it, this quarter hasn't gone how we hoped, um, or you know, this update because obviously we we had a lot of launch delays uh, previously, and development has been going better since since sometime in I forget May March sometime in the end of like yeah. Sometime around April, development started going faster, and we're actually hitting our expectations. Uh, but before then, that was probably the hardest part: is is going back to them and saying, "Hey, we we didn't hit what we thought we were going to hit." Here's where he does have the investors a bit trapped, in that he has running software, he has a running product. It's it's missing a lot of things like MTTs, but it's it's a running product, and they may feel kind of pot committed to where, yeah, you can't force them to put in more money, but they. He goes to them and says, look, we're so close. Everything runs. It's, it's, it's a lot more robust now. It's got fewer bugs. You can resize the tables. Uh, we, we, we're technically still in beta. If, if you just give us a little bit more and we could develop those multi-table tournaments, that's the key we need. And it just seems like if you've put in this much money already to then pull the plug right at that point rather than finish it off and then see if it works or flops he just always has them just a little bit more that's it's kind of like they're at the point of no return here that they've they've put in enough to where it it really is like being pot committed to where you can't uh if you bail out now it's kind of too late to be bailing out you might as well put in a little bit more and see if you can get lucky so it depends on the type of investor um if if these are people like him uh, you know, other friends of his that he's gotten involved, maybe some business people that are kind of all angel investors, you know, in one sense or another, then yeah, sure, I agree with that. Um, if he's dealing with VC, uh, which it sounds like he's not, uh, but if he was, uh, believe me, you will reach a point where they'll just be like, nope, that's it, we're done, all of your assets, we're selling it off, <laughs> that software, fantastic, we're going to scuttle it and, and farm that out and sell every little piece, Goodbye. See you later. Right, and it will it will happen quicker than you can even imagine. Yeah. So it really depends. I mean, do you guys think there's any value to the software at this point, though, Calwan? I, I mean, mean, yes, there is. There's always some value in intellectual property, um, but then the question is, who is the buyer going to be? Right. And in in poker, I think that's a really difficult question, right? Because if Phil Galfon can't get a site up and running, like who the fuck is going to be able to do it? You know, from the point of view of someone that has a whole lot of goodwill and notoriety in the industry, and you already have established players like poker stars, and it's illegal in a lot of big markets. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not that there is no value. It's that who is it valuable to? Right. And, and is there someone that's going to buy it? And I'd have I'd have a tough time. Like I don't know who's going to buy it. I don't think someone's going to come and try and start another chili poker or whatever. You know. And the other problem is, is this is kind of like selling a custom home where you made a lot of modifications to your home oh, that, yeah. you, that yeah. you love, but that the average yeah. buyer is going to go, "What the fuck is this?" So like the thing with those those right. those avatars that change according to how people are playing. A lot of site owners are not going to want this. They're going to say, "No, I don't want to." 
right. And, and so what will like. happen in a lot of these cases is that if there is end up being a buyer for the the IP, uh, first of all, I mean it, it'll be at a fire sale, but also a lot of what they'll be interested in um, will be like the customer list. Which, which, which probably isn't that big. Right, but that's only 14 people. <laughs> but, okay. I mean, right? I mean, so it's that or the code. And even and, the and, code, I mean, from what I – mean, do you think it's created in a way that uh, – yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, I did I did poke around it a little bit. I mean, they're using Qt, which is a cross-platform library, and it does look like yeah, – I mean, it looks like it was done in a, in a reasonable manner. I, it, it definitely has value, but – for something to have value, you have to have a buyer. And I'm just trying to think about who that buyer would be. And I, I can't, I can't think of it. You know, if they had some really innovative feature that they actually patented and they went through all the work, I, I have a software patent or I've got a couple of them. So I know the work that is involved in doing that. If they went through all of that work and they, they had action, an actual software patent on something that was valuable, I mean, that would definitely be something that they could sell as well. But I'm I'm not seeing it, you know. I'm not seeing it. Yeah, I'm not either. And uh, it, they, they can claim splash the pot is, but there's kind of mixed feelings about that. I I actually think I don't think they patented it. No, I I, did, I, I don't think so either. But I'm saying that that would be one thing they could patent. If if but yeah. I'm not sure what value there would be in the industry since there seem to be mixed right. feelings about it. Though I think it, it is something I I've always felt splash the pot is something that actually could be interesting with existing traffic, but not something that builds traffic. It's a, something that if you have existing traffic could then separate your site from the others and, and make your site uh, a place where if you got to choose between your site and another active site, play your site because people like Splash the Pot. I could see that, but not not something that draws people in. And uh, the, the one thing he said that's true is it, it does seem kind of weird to new people coming in and that, that can drive right. some people away as much as it uh, will attract people. So he, Skipping ahead about uh, 20 minutes into this, just uh, just noting there, Adam, listening, I'm not uh, playing your whole interview. I'm skipping 20 minutes ahead now. I'm playing the next part. Uh, this is uh, about the marketing, which I have criticized a lot, that I, I have felt that the marketing of this, the, the whole plan was flawed to begin with. The plan was basically Phil was going to use his existing notoriety and fan base and and somewhat large social media following to initially get people there. And then he would incentivize these Twitch streamers through a program he calls Streamer, Stream R, to give the Twitch streamers additional rake pack, in some cases 110% rake pack, for streaming a certain number of hours and basically using them as marketers to where people watch these streams and see them playing on Run It Once and go, oh, cool, I want to play Run It Once. And he's picturing all these streamers are streaming Run It Once and that everybody's going to w- want to go play it. And, and this is an ingenious way to get a lot of people over to your site without having to spend money on traditional advertising or any, else, or any other traditional poker marketing expenditure. Uh, the problem here, in, in my opinion, with this plan is that this has a chicken and egg issue. And that is the streamers are not going to want to play there if all you have going are a few microstakes tables. There's got to be games that the streamers want to play there in order for them to stream it. And if there are not games running, then they won't be streaming it. But if you have to stream to get game, get people over to play games, 
then you've got this endless loop here where it's, it's a chicken and egg problem where it never can be solved and then there will not be people showing up on the site. So the, the, the streamer thing, while I think it's kind of an innovative idea to incentivize streamers to stream your site instead of other sites, that can only work once you have traffic. So a lot of these ideas he has will only work with sites that have existing traffic. These are not ideas to build traffic. That That's my opinion about this. But it seems like he still doesn't get it, and here's him talking about marketing. You get the word out that the games are good. How do you, how do you, you know, how do you just organically uh, grow, um, you know, with whether it's marketing dollars or without marketing dollars? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, like with any kind of paid marketing, it's, it's weird to throw in there that the games are good. Um, and, but I think myself talking about it, posting about it, uh, or (laughs) being on podcasts is a pretty good way to do it. I think that streaming, um, getting more people to stream. We have some streamers, but myself streaming and other people streaming, showcasing the games uh, is another good way to do it. Let me stop here for a second. He's been saying a lot recently on his blog, uh, on this podcast, on 2 Plus 2, that the games are so good, they're so soft, that all that a lot of wrecks want to play there, just the grinders aren't showing up, so the, the games are fantastic. No one else is saying that. I haven't seen anyone on 2 Plus 2 say, these are great games, it's too bad there's not more of them. Like, like nobody's saying that. I, I'm seeing like, well, the games are kind of okay, or these games are actually worse than the same limits on Poker Stars. I, I, I don't believe that's true. I and I and I think uh, I think it was you, Calwat, who told me privately. Sorry to reveal our private conversations, but uh, too bad. Uh, that Uh-oh. that I think it was you that the fact that it's associated with Run It Once the training site would tend to attract people to the game uh, to, to to their poker site who either are decent players or even better because who is going to be attracted to a site called run it once the people who know the run it once training site and probably used it and are probably decent players so i i don't even see where the fish are even coming from where are they getting these recreational players i don't i don't know i have a feeling these games aren't having that good well and sample size are there even enough people playing for you to judge whether the games are good i mean i don't know you know it doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like they have a whole lot of uh, of, of action running on that site. You know, there's not. And the people who are who are posting on two plus two, I don't think I've seen one post of someone saying the games are exceptionally good there. Yeah. I, I'm seeing people say the games are okay to the games are kind of nitty. That's that's what I'm reading. So I I think he's just saying this, hoping that just people. Say, oh, cool! There's a lot of fish there, and no one's here. Oh, I got to get on that side now. <laughs> sure, and and let's allow him to to market a little bit, and and that's fine, you yeah. know, whatever. But I, I think what he really needs to do is just you got to have some games running. So hire PG Murr as a prop player and just put <laughs> her up there and let her go, let her go be a pro, you know. And, and don't and don't let Brad L on her account. Okay, let's let's uh, <laughs> let me play the rest of this answer. I don't necessarily want to lean in, like, also don't want to lean in super heavy on that being our number one selling point because it could change um, if we're successful in kind of letting some pros know that, hey, actually, it's it's a good site to play for your earn, not just to, you know, be a good guy. Um, if we're successful in that, it could go too far in the other direction, uh, which is something we'll have to stay on top of. But Quickly on the streamer thing. So you have like uh if you can just explain for those that don't know you have like a specific rakeback program for people who stream on your site what's that look yeah. like Yeah Yeah so the simple explanation is anybody can anybody who can play on run at once can stream run at once and what you'll get is 
with extremely low viewership, but like a little bit of dedication, you can get uh, 50% uh, net rake back. So that's basically uh, we give out, you know, we rake in 100, we send back 51% through Splash the Pot, then you'd get another 24.5% uh, direct into your account. And that's like the, the base level, and it goes all the way up to 110% if you are, 110% is going to be a pretty popular streamer. Um, but getting 50% or even 75 is uh, not too hard. Um, and so it's a, it's a way to, it's a way to, uh, I don't know, get people who, like, we're, we can't compete with, with the other sites for the, the top five streamers. Um, all the top streamers, for the most part, are signed and, and very expensive, um, compared to, you know, the, a site of, for a site of our size. So what we wanted to do is open it up to anybody who wants to, to take part, even in a small way, um, and help us grow the site, and we reward them, uh, for it. Uh, are there any up and coming streamers that are streaming on run at once that we should keep an eye out for? I think my favorite is, uh, right now is nut raisin, uh, as in, you know, like a okay. nut and a, and a raisin. He, uh, he, he never streamed before run at once launched and, uh, started streaming because of the streamer program. And he's, he's a, a small stakes PLO player. Um, but he's a lot of fun to watch. He's uh, like a really cool, genuine guy, and he he talks strategy. And uh, I don't know. He's and he's grown in popularity quite a bit since we started. <laughs> so some guy who hadn't been streaming before at all is just doing it on their site. He he's their biggest get so far. Someone someone that hadn't even been doing it before, and uh, he he doesn't quantify how many views this guy has. But okay. Uh, this is, th- I actually don't have a problem with this plan. I, like, this is one of the innovative things that I think could be successful, but not as your main marketing plan. And they just don't have a marketing plan. They didn't seem to have established a real marketing budget. And they just were counting on, we build it, they come. Well, I mean, as much as I don't want to bash on them too much, I also don't want to give them too much credit. I mean, Using influencers is not exactly anything innovative, right? And using streamers, I mean, there are lots of people running, you know, poker training sites, poker sites, or whatever that are that are courting streamers to do this kind of stuff too. You know, I mean, it's not it's not really that new of a thing. Yeah, but I'm not talking about actually where it's opened up to everybody. Where he, what he's his dream was that. People will you show click a up. button and everyone can do it. I yeah, yeah. Okay. people show up yeah. and go, hey, yeah. I've never thought about streaming before, but hey, I can get an extra 24% rake back if I stream my game. I'm going to start streaming my games. And all of a sudden, there's all these different people with, with small right. okay. following streams for run it once. And people see like run it once, run it once, run it once. Like, wow, I got everyone's playing. Does it have OBS built into it? What, what was that? Does it have something like OBS built into it where you just click a button and it starts streaming that window to I don't YouTube know. or Twitch uh, yeah, or I, whatever? I, I don't know if they have that, but... Uh, yeah. All I, I I don't know the mechanism in, in which it occurs, but I, all I know is that they have you know you get this many percentage if you get uh, if you do this many hours and get this many viewers and but but he is right that the lower levels of this are pretty attainable for just the average person who wants to give it a shot. Right. So I, I for for that reason I think that this could be something that could be successful to build popularity of the brand if it is already somewhat popular with games running. Not not right. uh, sure. not not built from the ground this way, and and I just, I just Drew, I'm going to sign up there, and I'm just going to stream an empty table with me sitting there. Well, you know, <laughs> I brought up when this was announced years ago. I brought up there's a big flaw in this. If they ever do become successful, 
uh, and, and they're still running this. There's a big flaw in this thing where they're giving more than 100% in that uh, people can start having bots watch their stream and things like that to uh, or they, or they can uh, there, there's a lot of things they can do to they can even play heads up with their friend so they're playing real poker and then just sharing a bankroll so there's not even any variance to it and they're just and then having bots watch the stream yeah. and then just get the rake back now i think the 110 he's talking about is including that 51% splash the pot but i'm not sure how splash the pot works as far as whether it just returns the money from that table itself or from all the tables uh, combined you don't know how it works because you're not curious and trying to solve it Druff. <laughs> But if it is just from that table, then you, you really will get the 110% rake back. So, but uh, they they must have the streaming. <clears throat> excuse me, the streaming must be built in then, because how else are they counting how many people are actually viewing it? I know? I'm not sure. That's a good. So I'm question. guessing it must be built in in some way. Even if it know? is though, this is this would still work with with the that. that no, no, all all I'm saying is that okay. I, I should have I should have framed that better. So what I'm trying to say is that. I'm agreeing with you that that is kind of an innovative feature, and I'm going to give them credit that they probably did build that in intentionally, you know, and and that is kind of a cool thing to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you got a little bit of credit here. So okay. Anyway, that's that's the last clip I'm going to play. If you want to hear the whole interview, you can go to. You already played the whole interview. <laughs> no, I skipped. I skipped 20 minutes straight in there. I, there was the, from like the 57 mark to the one. Hour 17 mark, I jumped over that whole thing. And there's some a little after this, and there's some a little before it. So uh, the majority of it I did not play. And uh, I, I will stick to this. I'll swear under oath in court when I get sued about this by, by Negranu and uh, and Terrence. I, I think maybe Adam will be nice enough not to sue me, but the other two probably will. So uh, i, I got to have some deniability in court that I'm not uh, stealing content myself. So anyway, if you go to the episode on September 10th, and go to the 4630 mark. Sorry, Daniel, that I'm not promoting your honeymoon, but uh, if you're if you're really curious about their honeymoon in, in Greece and people saying, oh, Negrano, I know you in Greece, uh, you can listen to the beginning there too. But interesting interview, and sadly, I think he still doesn't get it. Sadly, what he just does not seem to understand is we need you need like he offered on his blog that you can fill out a survey and that he's going to be personally reading each survey and trying to get in contact directly with as many people as possible who filled out the survey. Okay, that's interesting. So it sounds like someone who really wants to hear feedback from the community. On, on the surface, this sounds great. On the surface, this sounds like someone who's really interested in what other people think. He's going to get so trolled. Well, the, 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 <laughs> the problem is I, I, th I have not seen anywhere where he says that He's opening to he's open to changing very much. It seems like he's very much defending the decisions up till now that they're just on the cusp of succeeding. They just need a few little tweaks to make it work. They're just still not getting it that they've got to do major major changes at this point if they want it to work, and they've got to change the focus of of where they're going to put their resources as far as uh, future software development, and they have to change uh, the marketing strategy, and they they have to get features that are missing as soon as possible in there, and they have to revisit the short stacking. The, the short stacking is something that's not being talked about much, or the lack of short stacking, I should say. You have to buy in with 100 big blinds in in, uh, in these games, which mm. is insane. Well, it, not, You can't buy in more, you can't buy in less. The big problem with this, for, for pros, it's not a big deal. For fish, this is a freaking disaster, and I know this still being an online poker grinder myself. 
Fish love to sit down with short buy-ins. They love it at No Limit Hold'em. They love it at Limit Hold'em. They love it at uh, PLO. Fish love to sit down with short buy-ins because this is their way to gamble. This is Their, their dream is to take a short buy-in and run it up to something very big. So the downside is low and the upside is high. Uh, so And then sometimes they'll chunk off several short buy-ins where it ends up being they lose a lot of money anyway. But I, I've seen it so many times where a fish just keeps – like they'll come to a 30-60 limit table, sit with 300, 300, 300, 300, 300. Sometimes they'll sit with their entire bankroll of uh, $406.12. They love doing that. They, they don't want to sit at a table where they have 100 big blinds and buy in for exactly 100 big blinds. That is so unexciting to a fish to do. They just don't like it. That's not what they're there for. So to force that – is a mistake, and I don't even understand what he thinks he's protecting here, because like like at these big bet games, all this can end up doing is cause these fish to stack off with a deeper stack, where the pros know not to stack off unless they've got something very strong, and the fish don't, so the fish will stack off with top pair, and uh, they'll lose a lot more faster. So I don't even see what he thinks he's doing here. In some cases, the, the fish are actually, by doing these short buys, they actually are keeping themselves alive longer. They're not uh, they're doing it with a different intention. They're doing it with, you know, let me try to buy in short and get lucky, and then my downside is limited. That's, that's the way they see it. Sometimes they even know they're not as good as everybody else there, and this is their way of risking little and then winning a lot if they get lucky. But he's taking this away. And through some sort of weird belief this is contributing to fairness, but even if you want to make the argument this is helping fairness as far between the fish and the regular, it's, it's a mistake, and they're not going to like this. There's, there's a lot of weird policies. They just have to look. What do players want? What do regulars want? What do what do recreational players want? What what are the basics they're looking for? And something I, I've even seen that live, Druff. Where I, I don't remember where it was, but it was some stupid spread limit game. Maybe it was like Colorado or something like that, where people would they could sit down and they could buy in for like forty dollars or something, and there'd be someone and you could buy in for a lot more than that too. But they would buy in for the absolute minimum, and they'd have a pocket full of money. And then if they go, went bust, they'd just, like, peel off another 20, throw it in their tray, try it again, you know? No, I've <laughs> it's seen, really I, kind of funny. I've seen this over and over. I see this a lot yeah. playing live, too, where, where, peop, where people yeah. do that. They, they bring a lot of money, but they keep short buying. Uh, and, so tilting. And, and to, <laughs> I, I'm fine. As long as they're at the table, I'm fine. They can buy whatever they want. I'm, I'm very happy to have them there, whatever way they want. I, I, I know, but part of me is just like, oh, my God, it's going to take that long for me to get it. Like, just fucking put it up there, you know? <laughs> well, I'm for some kind of reasonable minimum buy-in, but, but not, right. not, not, not that big of a minimum buy-in. And they, so that's such a weird thing. So there just hasn't been any kind of really frank, honest analysis of here's, right. what, here's what we decided, and let's now really look what people want. Here's what we thought they'd want, but they don't. So let's look at what they really do want. Or here's why we well, thought people would show up. Something like that would be an easy change. Right. right. That's not like implementing multi-table tournament, which might be a complete re-architect of the thing. But changing the buy-in, I mean, that shouldn't be that big of a deal. Yeah, that right? should be super fast. But they, but that's the thing. He, he isn't flexible with that stuff, at least not yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe as it as more time passes and more failures occur – then he'll start to soften on these things. But this, this people on two plus two have been screaming this all for a long time. That, that's what that's what's so head scratching is with everybody saying we don't like this, the Rex won't like this, 
uh, th- this is no good. No, no other site does it this way. No, no, no. We're going to stay the course because th- this is what the, this is what allows the poker dream. I'm like, what are you talking about? So, uh, b- by the way, they. Uh, this is really interesting. Oh, sorry, did, did you want to complete that? Sorry. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, they also just released a promo today that said, uh, inspired by some discussions here, our promo for the next week is 35-35, rake back with 35% coming from Splash the Pod and 35 going directly into account. So uh, so the, the, they said, we've run a promo similar to this once before, but we need to do it multiple times in order to gather meaningful data about how people respond to getting direct rake back in, in comparison to Splash-specific promos. Perhaps our players will prove some of you right. So he's, he's already trying to... Uh, he, they've taken down the amount that Splash the Pot comes out of the rake from 51% to 35, and, and now they're giving 35% directly rake back. So they're they're starting to back off on that somewhat. So maybe this is a a sign he's starting to crack and realize that you give the people what they want, you don't do what you want and expect the people to bend to you. But now, what were you going to say? I forgot. <laughs> I should have. It was really good, though. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it, it just I I still don't understand this. I, I know I've been like a negative Nancy on this whole thing. I know it, it sounds like I'm trying to find things to criticize. It just it's fascinating to me how what is so obvious in front of my face of things that need to be done aren't happening. And even when he appears to want to listen, he doesn't want to listen and then implement or respond. He only wants either praise or small tweaks it seems and uh, um i i just don't get it. It, it this is when you really do a soul searching and say what did i do wrong what what why why are people not responding to this what what do the people want and and not blame them and and i've always felt by the way and this includes for this show i always felt that you can never be mad at customers for not using your product or service Whenever they don't, the failure is yours. It is not the fa- the failure of the customers for not recognizing how great you are. And you you can't resent the customers for not coming or not staying or for wanting different things than you think they should want. You need to always try to put forth a product or service that they are going to want and they're going to want to use again. And if you don't do that, then you're going to be out of business and 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 the wrong approach is to say, I'm right, they just have to realize what a genius I am. Now, innovation's fine, but when you innovate, you also have to know the market and the time and place for things. And uh, um, if that is not now, then you don't release that product now. You don't develop that product now. You don't develop those features now. And unfortunately, I'm just not seeing that attitude there. I'm not seeing the attitude of, Let's give them what they're going to want, not what they're supposed to want. And that's uh, that's I'm just not seeing he gets it yet. I'm not sure he might get it eventually, but then it might be too late. It's it's very strange. I would think by this point, especially if the investors are getting kind of antsy, going, "Okay, when's it coming?" And and one more thing I want to say about the investors. I think the fact that there are investors might be influencing some of these bad decisions. Not that the investors are telling him to do the wrong thing, but the fact that I think he wanted to release as soon as possible and then show them an income's coming in. 
And I think if it was just his money, he might have waited a little longer till everything was ready. But I think he was too eager to show them, hey, look, this can generate some money. And released as soon since it was already late, released as soon as he could, and then that's compounded the problems. How do you feel about that? Potentially. I mean, I still think the root of the problem is him just having no concept of what it takes to build something like this. And and, I'm not calling him dumb when I'm saying that. I'm just saying, like, you know, if you've never if you've never built something like this, it's not like uh, it's not on the same scale and complexity of building a a training website, for instance. Right. It's just it's just not right. And so I, I really think the root of the problem is that going into it, you know, they had one setback. Uh, where I've already mentioned what, what I think happened there in terms of they had the wrong type of developer. They reset. They found some new ones. But realistically, like, I think they had no concept of how long it would really take to do this. And, and if they really knew how long it would take and how much money it would take to get to where they are, I don't know. I mean, maybe that would change their, uh, decisions on some of these things, you know? Yeah, it might, it might have. And, yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating situation, and I, I don't think I want to put it out there. I don't think Phil is is a bad guy. I don't think he's done. I, I don't love how they call right. splash the pot rake back, but that's minor in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I don't think he's doing anything shady here, or trying to trick people, or or he's screwing his investors. I, I don't feel any of that's happening here. Uh, so I for this reason, and I've said this in two plus two. I've said this on this site. I've said this on this show. I'm not hoping him to fail. I'm not. I'm not wishing for failure here or, or dancing every time there's a fail occurring. I I think it's a fascinating story, and uh, I see that there's a lot of denial going on, and it's it's in, in some ways it's too bad. Uh, hopefully, hopefully he didn't waste too much of his own money. Hopefully, he still has plenty of, of money from uh, what he made in poker. And uh, and he didn't sink too much into this. And, and you know, sometimes people learn. Uh, there's uh, He's by far not the first person to be successful in one thing and then attempt to start a business and lose a lot of money. You see athletes, yeah. athletes do that all the time. Yeah. There's no big shame in that, right? I mean, the majority of businesses that start just don't succeed, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I got a tough question for you, Druff. Yeah. Right. So back in the day, if we rewind the clock, you were seduced. By Run It Once Poker. Yes. And, in fact, you uh, reached out to Phil looking to seek employment there. Yes. Now, let's say that he had accepted you to come there and to work for him. What would you have done to change the course of where it ended up? Like, what do you, what major changes do you think you would have made up front? Well, I... I wouldn't have let it get here, and if and if it did get to where it is now, like if I if my input was completely ignored or mostly ignored, I, I would have had to just leave because I I wouldn't have felt like sure. But the, let, let's say your input was taken. Okay, like but, what input would you have given? I, him I would have said three years ago. I, I yeah. the second I heard that there was any uh, thought of developing things like Splash the Pot or these avatars right. that change emotions before developing MTTs. Oh, I forgot about those fucking things. Yeah. Or, 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 or before before MTTs and before resizable tables, I was like, uh-uh, no way. You, you've got to yeah. build these basics first. I want to see a basic site that uh, people would have wanted to play in 2002 or 2003. I want to see that first and, and have that look good. And then we think about building on top of that. And second, I, I would have recruited people to beta tested in just play money 
uh, I would have uh, and paid them a little bit. So they, you know, hey, hey, attention, broke grinders out there, and and he has a big reach. He has a much bigger reach than I do, so he'd be saying it. So he'd say, hey, attention, uh, guys who want to make a little bit of money, uh, sign up to be a beta tester for Run It Once. Uh, come play play money on our site. Uh, report bugs to us. Maybe even give some kind of. Uh, reward for for discovering bugs uh, some kind of small reward and uh, and we also pay you a flat this much per hour for for actively playing play money and reporting whatever you see and uh, um and have a bunch of people do this for a while uh then you uncover bugs without people having to actually play real money and get discouraged that the things aren't working right uh and and also i would have uh what else? The, the thing with the, av- the the change in face avatars, it was said no way. I would have not right. done this. The, this the, I would have said no way about the 100 big blinds buy-in. Uh, I, I would not have gone for the anonymous tables. I would have said forget that. Uh, I would have uh, said we have to have some kind of marketing budget. We have to have some way to get people here other than what you're planning. There's got to be something above this. Maybe some. Maybe there's something related to the MTCs. Uh, something I would have also said was uh, – Give a tremendous incentive to people to start games. You start games, you you, you play rake free for for the first whatever hours. You know, like some yeah. kind of, some some kind of incentive. And if the site's failing, make the whole thing rake free for a while, or, or super low, low rake for 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 a while. Something where you, uh, but 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 hopefully it wouldn't even get to that. But something where you're really standing out in some way, and people have a reason to come to the site, and then uh, and then. This is just a small thing, but like that, that idiot head of customer service who, who had the nerve to ban someone for, for calling another employee an imbecile to him, not even directly to the guy, but, uh, but oh, right. saying, yeah. I, I would have, I would have brought that customer service head into a room and smacked him in the face and say, don't you ever do that again. Don't you ever ban people on our site who, when we're, when we're trying to build traffic and we barely have any traffic over personal grudges like you you've that was just a one like a one-time thing hopefully they're not that stupid customer service well i haven't heard that many complaints about customer service so i'll assume it's okay that was just a dumb thing they did but like i but like in the bigger picture it's easy to have good customer service when you don't have any customers. right maybe maybe that's what it is maybe there's just very few experiences period but i i would not have let things get to this point i would have these are just basics here and that uh the, these have to be done, and this is very important. And uh, and and also, I would say, listen to today's grinders. Listen, you, you have people on two plus two that want to give their opinion. I'm not saying you got to listen to every single one. Some people say stupid things, but if, if everybody's saying the same thing, don't dismiss it and say no, no, no. We know better. No, we listen to them. I I do the same thing with the show. If if everybody says a segment sucks and they hit a certain type of segment on here, I stop doing it. Now, if I have one or two people saying it sucks, then no. If I if if I, I I do have things where I get mixed opinions, the prank calls I get mixed opinions. Some people say they hate the prank calls. Uh, some people say they love them. So I, I get more people who love them than hate them. So they continue. Uh, there's but if I get universal dislike over some kind of segment I do here, I'm not going to say no. This is a great segment. I think it's great. So I'm going to keep doing it. No, I'm I'm doing the show for everybody else here, and I'm not even doing this for profit. So. With business, you have to adjust to what the market wants, and and uh, I think there's too little of that. So there'd be so much I would have said no about, and I just I, I would love to know who else is involved here and what their back background is, and and how, what have they managed before, and and how old are they? Unfortunately, this could be a factor too that everybody's too young, and I've I've explained that concern as well, which is fine. That was one of my point. That was one of my selling points of myself as 
I'm older. I, I, I'm older and just uh, more experienced with life, and uh, I, I didn't quite put it that way. But I was. Uh, sometimes it's it's better to have some people there who are not all in that same like early thirties age range uh, when when putting sure. them together. And uh, so, but again, it's, it's not bitterness. In fact, I, I think I mentioned last week, or no, no, I was mentioning it privately. To someone I didn't mention this on here. Uh, I'm actually glad now that it was turned down. Because unless I unless I would have made an impact and it would have been different. If I would have made an impact and then it would be successful right. now, then I'd be happy to be part of it. Okay. If if I could not have made an impact, I would have been overruled. But would have happened is I would have quit in frustration and felt like a, a dummy for getting involved in the first place, and like it would have been a negative experience for me. So much like where I came close to working for Ultimate uh, Poker, and then that was a tremendous failure because upper management, from what I hear, were just awful and just wouldn't listen. And that the the actual employees were all pretty good, but they just then this you know Terrence basically said that in his uh, post mortem there after the whole thing went down. So, and I heard this from someone else personally who worked there. So, so like that. Yeah, somewhere. I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I, I got an offer for a uh, a CTO ish responsibility down in Australia at a company, and you know I looked into it, but it just seemed to me that I wouldn't have the impact. And the decision-making ability that I wanted to be able to have, and if you if you can't have that, it's really tough to be motivated to want to do a job, you know. Yeah, and I'm not sure if I would. Maybe maybe, maybe I would have had the impact. I don't know. I, yeah. I can't say I would or wouldn't have. But but uh, I I know I'm not bitter that I was not uh, hired there at, at Run at Once because uh, I saw how it turned out, and I think there's a decent chance it would have ended up in frustration for me, and I wouldn't even be there anymore. So I'm glad I just. Never was involved in the first place, unless, as I said, unless that I would have, t- unless I would have been taken seriously, and I could have saved the whole thing, which I wouldn't have known I saved it. Well, actually, I guess I would well, have. What if you were taken seriously and it still ended up failing? Well, okay, then that's possible too, because the market may just not be there for it, and then I say, okay, yeah. I at least I don't think I made any major mistakes, and and yeah. and at least I tried it, and at least uh, I think I came in doing everything that I needed to do, and it just didn't work, and there there I wouldn't have regretted it then but uh it's tough selling ice cream in the winter time yes know? yes yeah. uh but uh uh anyway let, let's let, i think we've talked enough about this one let's uh move on here in the, and trader rick are you still with us i am okay good so i i have i have this uh ethical question oh, go ahead i have an ethical oh one. you're gonna go to the ethical question yeah, yeah. i want to hear i want to hear trader risky's take on this okay go ahead trader risky before we get to that no, 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 no. You, about the whole scenario with the wallet. I think he's talking about. No, no, no. We want oh. on the thing with, with run at once. Do you have anything to add? No. Well, I guess the only question I have is how hard is it with where they're at with the software development to add multi-table Ooh. tournaments? Should it, should it be that big of a deal? I so it, yeah, it's go. hard to know. It could be a very big deal. <laughs> go ahead, Drew. Yeah, I thought I was. I've, I've thought about that a lot too. I was thinking, well, how hard could it really be? But then I go, well, maybe it actually is, depending upon the way it was built. So yeah. No, it really, it really could be because you know you. It depends on how they abstracted the problem. Um, I I think it means that they probably didn't abstract it well enough because they come they could have come up with a model where essentially uh, everything was capable of being a multi-table tournament. And a cash game or a sit and go were just 
very specific instances of that. Does that make sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if they had architected it that way, then fine. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. But if they don't start from that perspective, I mean, it's essentially like they're starting from scratch. To well, some I, I wouldn't go that far. I would, but I, w- right, I would say. Because they didn't architect. They potentially may not have architected it in a way where now that they want to do that, they'd have to go back and rebuild some of the foundation. Yeah, right. and, and, and I think I think he's I think he's correct that way. Uh, though I I do believe it's it's if they put enough effort into it, enough resources into it, and just directed almost everything to doing that aside from fixing important bugs, that uh, that they could get it done in in faster time than what he's quoting now, which is basically. It's not coming anytime soon. Don't hold your breath. So, yeah. Well, I mean, again, we don't know. I mean, it, it could be that they have a certain level of tolerance for how much money of their own money that they're willing to burn. You know. Yes. And maybe they maybe they just have kind of limited resources well, in then, terms then, of how much they're willing to burn in order to make this happen. Then they're dead. Know? Then they're then they're dead in the water. If they if they really yeah. lack the fund, and you're right. That could be the situation, but. If that is the situation, well, it's not even that they lack the funds. They might like Phil might have the money sitting in his retirement account somewhere, but no, he might not be willing to spend right. it. Right. Well, funds yeah. for this project, and yeah. I, yeah. if they are in the situation where they've they can't spend enough to where they can develop the MTTs at this point, unless they make money prior to that from the site continuing to operate, uh, then they're dead. Then there's just about no chance. I, I think the right. really the only chance they have is if they can get that up. And then somehow get those filling up, and then having that drive traffic to the rest of the site, and then the whole thing takes care of itself. That's that's their only chance at this point. That's the only reason I'm not saying they have a zero chance of succeeding. But if yeah. if, if they can't get MTTs running, then it's a zero chance. It's actually a zero chance. So okay, because right, I think if they get that done, just with his name, they could have tournaments, get a ton of people there, build the list, and then flip. It. And then can, they can add anyway, money to the tournaments, or, or have some big guarantee, yeah. or something like that, and then and then bring people in. That's what, that's what I think. Their only shot here, but uh, that's what's so mind-boggling. Why they're not uh, high gear? And, and I, I don't know the way their business is structured, but the way I've always kind of envisioned this is that run it once the training site. Which I do believe has been profitable and, yes. and probably I, I, very nicely profitable that's what I think for too. quite some time. Yes, uh, is kind of funding this. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I it mean, might be. That's a good it, question. If it's separate or if it's the if it is the same. Uh... Well, I think they're they're going to be separate legal entities, but I think there's going to be a lot of crossover in terms of the the players that are involved, in terms of the people that own part of this, probably own part of that, and they're probably flowing money. You know, not directly, but indirectly from Run It Once the training site into the the poker site, and that's that's probably you know a decent bit of how it's operating. Maybe that'd be my guess. Okay, well, let's go into the ethical question now. And this is not about poker, not about gambling. So if you're here for that content, uh, don't worry because it'll come after this. We have a lot of different topics we still have to get to, but I wanted to put this near the front of the show because it became a big discussion topic on the Poker Fraudler Forum, and it was also a topic brought up by the mysterious Rachel Lees. That's Rachel, as you'd expect it to be spelled. Actually, it's R-A-C-H-E-L. It's not always spelled the same way, but R-A-C-H-E-L-L-E-E-S. So it's actually kind of like two L's. Rachel Lees 69. And Rachel Lees 69. It's always 69. It's always 69, I know. But it, it, the funny it's thing never, is... It's never a girl when the name is 69. Well, here's the funny thing is that Rachel Lees... First of all, 
the personality of that account is totally not what you'd expect with someone with 69 in their name. It's, it's like, mm. like, like that account is so the opposite of sexual. That, that account seems like asexual. So that's so funny. There's, there's a 69 at the end. Uh, the, the person also initially was claiming that they're female, but now is claiming that they could be either one. So I think there's a good chance it's a dude. But it's whatever, I, I think the person's very interesting. I would recommend following them. They listen to this show every week, and they like the show. They, uh, I've, I've talked to them privately. I've even said, look, you can tell me who you are. I, I promise not to reveal it, and they, they, just, they just won't tell me. But uh, nevertheless, I do follow that account. They post a lot of interesting content. It's obviously someone who's, who's pretty intelligent. And they posed an interesting hypothetical, which I was so interested in that I – modified it a little bit and posted it to the poker fraudlers forum. Now the hypothetical from Rachel Lee's posted in a Twitter poll was that you're at a business, you encounter a really, really rude employee, not just one who's kind of not that friendly or kind of brusque, but someone who's really noticeably rude to you, but, but doesn't do anything else bad aside from just being really, really rude. And then you're in your car outside of the business and you see them getting off their shift and they get in their car and drive away and you notice that their wallet fell out of their pants before they drove away and now they're gone and their wallet is sitting where their car was. And what do you do at that point? And and Rachel gave four choices of, uh, so you, and then you open the wallet and see there's 300 something dollars in there and, uh, and, and the person's address, but no phone number. So do you, do you, drive the wallet to their house, do you take the money and just leave the wallet where it was without the money? Do you take the wallet home with no intention to return it, or do you just drop it and leave it where it was and take nothing? Those are the four choices she gave, provided it's a she. Uh, that's the four choices Rachel gave, I shall say. I will not even misgender Rachel in any way. Uh, but the overwhelming percentage of people chose that you drive it to their home. So I thought that, so I, I love the question. That's shocking to me. That, well, right. I love the question. I love the fact of, of what it was kind of exposing about people on the internet, which we'll talk about in a second. But I wanted to change it a little bit. In a, I mean, what, what I would do in that situation, Jeff, exactly, I, I know you've got one that you modified, but exactly what they proposed, I would just leave the fucking thing there. Right. You know? That's what I would because do. Because normally I would be like, oh, I will do the right thing and return it. But that would be my way of giving them the middle finger back. Right. You know? that, that's exactly. I'm not going to lift a hand to help you. I'm not going to steal from you because I'm not going to sully myself, but I'm, I'm not going to fucking help that, you. That's exactly, that's exactly what I thought. So, so yeah. I decided to change this a little bit, keeping most of the structure of this the same. But uh, here's my scenario. You go into a cell phone store. You're looking to buy a new cheap phone and activate a kind of basic cheap plan. And the salesman there is really aggressive and keeps pushing you towards better phones and more expensive plans. And you're like, no, 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 sorry. I, I really just want this basic stuff. And you're, you're polite about it, but they're just really, really pushing you and you're saying no and they're getting agitated with you because they're selling on commission. Uh, then he tries to sell you on phone insurance and expensive cases for the phone. You, you again turn these down and – he gets even more agitated, and at one point he remarks, you, know, you people think you're so smart turning down the phone insurance, but you break the thing, you come back here crying and begging for us to help you. So you're like, whoa, what's a, <laughs> this guy's kind of turning into a dick here. Uh, then finally you're like, look, 
Um, I really just want to buy the phone and the very basic plan. Uh, no matter what, I'm not going to buy anything else. So can we please just uh, do this and, and finish the transaction? So he snaps back. Okay. Yeah. I work on commission, but it always seems like I get the cheap stakes. I always get, I always get the cheap skates here. I love it. And he walks away angrily. Then he comes back, gives you the paperwork, and you sign it. And you consider going to the manager and complaining that he called you a cheapskate and snapped at you about how you're going to cry, come back crying and begging for them to help you because you don't get the phone insurance. The guy was kind of a dick to you. But you decide, all right, the guy is trying to work for commission, and he's just getting pissed that he's not going to get much here. So screw it. It's not worth complaining. I'm just going to take the phone and leave. And you do that. And then, just like in Rachel's example, you're sitting in your car and – you're, you're looking up on your phone to see if anyone else had this experience at the store with it, with a rep who is this rude and nasty to you and even calls you a name when you don't buy what they wanted you to. So you're, you're reading the Yelp reviews of the store. You're seeing a lot of complaints just like yours about aggressive upselling and rudeness when people refuse. You're scrolling through the Yelp reviews, and then you see him walk out and get in his car. And then after he drives away, you see a wallet on the ground where his car was. You go pick it up and see it's his wallet. And inside of the wallet are his ID, his credit cards, and $340 in cash. There's no phone number, and there's an address on the ID. What do you do? So the four choices I gave are similar to Rachel's choices. I took out the part about going to the home. That's kind of weird, you know, like to actually knock on someone's door who was just rude to you. Like That kind of adds an additional layer of not wanting to return it. So I took that layer out and made the four options. Return the wallet to the store where he works, where obviously they're just going to give it back to him. Uh... And return like to the manager. Like return, return to the store to someone responsible there is option number one. Number two, keep the money and then toss the rest of the wallet on the ground where it was without the money in it. Option three is just take the entire wallet home with no intention of returning it. And option number four, leave the wallet where it was and don't take anything. So just almost act like you didn't see it and, and leave. That's the first scenario. I added a second scenario here. In scenario number one, I have to imagine it'll be the same for Cal Watt since it's pretty similar to what Rachel proposed. I would do the same thing as him. Leave it on the ground and take nothing. I, I might flip it off as I walked away. Yeah. <laughs> but, but And the reason is just like Cal Watt, that I don't feel this person deserves my help. After they were rude and nasty to me in there and called me a name. What well, about Trader Ruski? Uh, well, I'll, I'll give my reasoning that he can. Oh, okay. Can so, so. I, I would feel like they don't deserve my help. That I'm not going. Yeah. I'm not going to steal from them. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm, I'm especially not going to take the whole wallet. I'm not going to take the money out. I'm not going to do anything negative to them. But I'm not going to do anything positive for them. I'm going to act like I'm just not involved. I'm even though I saw it happen. I'm going to pretend I didn't. And I'm like, okay, whatever happens from that point happens. If someone else finds it and turns it in, great. If someone else finds it and steals it, great. It's out of my hands. I'm not. I'm just not getting involved because they don't deserve me to get involved. Whereas if it was a complete stranger I saw drop their wallet and drive away, there I would go through some considerable trouble, even you know taking a lot of time to Agreed. do it, to get it back to them uh, be, because I, I want to be a good person and, and help out someone who has uh, – accidentally done something which is going to cause them a lot of inconvenience and i know that if i had dropped my wallet i would be very happy that someone uh would do it for me and uh and so i would want to do that for for a stranger that i know nothing about and oh, Jeff, uh, you put me in the very uncomfortable position of agreeing with you oh my so so that's so trader <laughs> ruski what would you do in this in this scenario number one 
I mean, if it was just me and I hadn't read all the stuff on uh, Yelp or whatever, I'd probably just bring it back into the store. And what if you what if you had read all the stuff? Who knows? His wife could have died. Who knows what's going okay, on so, in people's life when they're having a hard day? But what if you read all the stuff on Yelp? As I as I as I yeah, I mean, it, if it's going back weeks and months, where obviously this guy's just an asshole. Yeah, then I'd probably just leave it. Okay, so, so it seems like we're we're mostly in agreement here. So then, I the thing was here though, I said I want to add a second scenario, which is similar, but makes the guy into much more of a jerk to where those who were considering doing something uh, worse than just leaving it on the ground or those even who wanted to return it to the store might be less inclined to do so. And what better situation to add to this on PokerFraudAlert.com is add a fraud to it. So in scenario number two, it's the same thing I just told you, except once you're in your car scrolling through the Yelp reviews, you see some reviews with accusations that once people refuse to accept these upsells or upgrades and just get the basic stuff, that they get signed up for this stuff anyway. That they get signed up for a lot of things they did they clearly declined. And that there's a number of reviews claiming that this happens at this store. So remembering how nasty this guy was and how frustrated he was with you for turning down everything he tried to upsell you think, hmm, I wonder if they did that to me. So you walk back into the store and get the manager and say, hey, uh, can you look at my account? I just want to make sure that I really got the services that I ordered and nothing else. So he looks it up and, up. Oh, what do you know? You were signed up for phone insurance and a more expensive plan, which the guy very, very well knew you didn't want because you and him had argued back and forth about it, and he walked away making that nasty comment. But lo and behold, you were signed up for the more expensive plan and the phone insurance, just like the reviews say that others have been signed up for. So, you know, it wasn't even accidentally hitting the wrong button. So, you know, for sure that this guy scammed you so he can get a higher commission. He scammed you via the cell phone company, just signing you up for more expensive stuff, and then he pockets more money. So you complain to the manager and the manager says, oh, no, no, I'm sure it's an honest mistake. I, uh, you know, hey, I'll fix it right now. And the manager reverses it back. So you, you're not actually out money because you caught it, but... Had you not read these reviews and run back in, yes, you would have been out money, and this would have been a tremendous hassle for you. So he he, he did scam you there. And, and the manager says, oh, I'll talk to the employee who did it, make sure this doesn't happen again. So that's all you can do. You can only do what the manager will do. But you walk out 100% certain that the this asshole employee tried to scam you in order to get extra commission, and especially given the Yelp reviews saying the same situation happened there a lot. And this is important because for this hypothetical, remember, none of this really happened. This is all hypothetical. So in this hypothetical, you, when I say you, I mean the listener who's thinking about what you would do in this situation, you are 100% sure that this guy did it on purpose to rip you off, to get extra commission, because he was pissed that uh, you wouldn't go for his sales. So you walk out 100% certain that this happened, that it was intentional. And while you're sitting in your car stewing about it and reading even more bad reviews, You see the same thing where he gets in his car, drives away, and a wallet is there where his car was, and you walk up and see it's his wallet. Now what do you do in this scenario? Because in this scenario, he wasn't just rude, he actually scammed you. Now, it doesn't matter that you caught the scam. It shouldn't matter if you caught it before you could be actually charged any money. That that was just your doing, stopping it before it actually took money from you. But he did scam you. So 
It's, it's kind of like if an uh, Indian scammer who calls up with the, uh, hey, we're Dell, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're here to fix your computer with a virus that we detected, and, and you fall for it and, and buy the $399 virus removal package, and the second you hang up, you realize it and charge it back in your credit card, and, and they never get the money. That, that doesn't mean the Indian didn't scam you. You were still scammed. You just reversed it. So anyway, given that you were scammed here, now which choice do you take? With that wallet, do you return it to the store? Do you then keep the money and toss the rest of it on the ground? Remember that he tried to steal money from you. Do you take the entire wallet home with no intention to return it, which is the most harsh option? Or you're just uh, not because when you toss the rest of it on the ground, at least there's a chance he's going to get the rest of it back minus the money. When you take it home and you're not going to give it back to him, then he loses everything. The, the ID, the credit card, is everything. Or do you just leave it where it was? So, Cal, since you went first last time, I'll let you go first again. I mean, if, I, if I'm limited to the choices that are here, I would do the exact same thing. I would just leave it where it was and take nothing, you know? I, wa- I want to throw in one other thing just uh, for those that might have this as a concern. We're assuming that nobody's around watching and there are no cameras, and you know this for sure. So no one will – for 100 percent certain, nobody will see it no matter what you do. You still have the yeah, same? I mean, what it, what I really would be inclined to do was, I, first of all, I would make damn sure that I added to the Yelp review, but you know, and I also might go a little bit more out of my way to make it clear, you know, what happened. Um, but I also might be inclined to uh, take the exact amount of money out of the wallet that this guy just tried to rip me off from, and maybe even write on a piece of paper that that was taken out, <laughs> <laughs> and return that. You know what I mean? Like it, it would be the kind of thing where I'm not, I'm not like trying to take the money. Uh, it's more just like you know, f you, buddy. Well, you the only I mean? the only problem with returning it at that, at that point, you're like handing it to them with, with showing. The, I mean, if you put a note in there, if you don't put a note, then then they don't know what you took. But yeah, just be like, that's the way I found it. You know, I don't know. <laughs> okay, whatever. You can I, you can play dumb. Like, so, so I, I don't know. That's so your answer is your answer is kind of in between. Uh, leave it and do nothing, and uh, and take some money out. Uh, to, the, the equivalent. I would of what leave you, it. You I would leave it because the the taking of any money out would be predicated on making it very clear that this guy understood that that okay. happened. And that it was that exact amount. So, yeah, I mean, given the choices that are here, I would do the same thing. I would just leave the wallet where it was, flip okay. them off, and leave. Okay. You know? uh, I will go second since I went second last time. What I would actually do is I would actually take the whole wallet home and, and keep everything in heaven. Why? Oh, why? 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 Why am I being so harsh here? <laughs> well, I'm being so harsh here for the same reason. I run PokerFraudAlert.com, the reason I call out scammers, the, the reason why uh, – I, I, in general, I don't feel bad about ripping off those who have ripped me off because uh, I, I think that's a very appropriate uh, reaction to their action. Uh, it's one thing. I don't, I don't think you should punish someone just for being rude to you. Like I wouldn't say – like as I said, I would just leave the wallet there. I wouldn't steal from him or, or take his wallet home like, oh, this guy was a jerk to me, so now I'm going to punish him by taking this wallet. I, I, I wouldn't do it. I would just say he's not getting my help because he was a jerk. But once he actually tried to steal from me, rather than just rudeness, when he's actually tried to steal from me, which which doing what he did in that story is stealing, uh, then that becomes a different story. And then at this point, he has stolen from me, even if I've found a way to return myself the money. So now I will steal from him. I'm not going to go out of my way to steal from him. I'm not going to 
hatch plans to scam the guy, but if it lands in my lap like it would have here, then I would just take the whole thing and think, all right, well, this is what this scamming asshole who victimizes me gets because it, it hap- he victimized me and then it landed in my lap to victimize him and victimize him in not a horrible way, kind of like a, I think a fitting way given everything that happened. So like would I – if he scammed me in that way, uh, would I want to see him dead? No. Would I want to see him seriously injured? No. Would I want to see him, uh, his entire life savings uh, bankrupt? Uh, no, unless it was gained from all scamming, then yes. But uh, assuming that, let's say he had some money, that most of, it, most of which was made legitimately, would, would I want to see him lose every last penny and everything he owns? No. Like, so I wouldn't want a super harsh consequence on him that doesn't fit the crime. And this actually is a crime, by the way. Uh, it, it really is. It's hard to prove, but it is a crime. If he would admit to it, he, he, could, he could actually uh, be criminally charged. Uh, but if it lands in my lap to keep something of his and to inconvenience him, then yes, I'll do it. And that's what he gets for scamming me. Now, I understand Calwatt's point is He'll just see the wallet's gone and go, oh, look, some asshole took my wallet right. and bring it back I want to him to know. But I, I want I, him to know. I actually would yeah. want him to know, and I, what I, might, I, I would consider like tracking him down in some way where I could contact him anonymously and say, this is what you get for being a scammer even like a month later so he doesn't know it's me. Uh, or, or maybe, maybe. Yeah, or, or you could like replace. Uh, so <laughs> my brother and I traveled uh, in, in Central America many years ago, <clears throat> and we're in Managua, which is – well known for being the pickpocket, you know, capital of the world. Yeah. And we bought all these super cheap wallets <clears throat> and my brother wrote all these insults in Spanish on them. <laughs> and we just had them in various places in our body. Like that, we just walked around. That's and, really funny. And sure enough, like a bunch of them were missing. You yeah, know what I mean? That's really funny. Um, but, but something like that, you know, where they, they get like, you're trying to fuck. Well, F you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, uh, but I would feel, not only wouldn't I feel I want to help, someone who scammed me if the opportunity came up to help them, which, which returning their wallet is helping them. That's what it is. It's, it's volunteering to help someone. Not only do I feel they don't deserve that, I feel at that point if I have the opportunity to, to harm them in a kind of moderate way about equal to what they were trying to harm me or maybe even a little bit above it, not way above it, but a little bit above it, then I will take that opportunity. And I feel that they deserve that. This is a matter of reaping what you sow. But – I will tell you the results. Of, well, before I tell you the results, we've got uh, young Trader Ruski here. Trader Ruski, what would you do in that second situation where the guy uh, was scamming you by signing you up for things that he knew you didn't want to get back at you for – just to get extra commission and probably get back at you for not buying it? Well, what would you do then if you see that wallet? I would go into the store, talk to the manager, raise hell, get at least a free phone. Well, let's probably get canned. It's not on the. That's not on that's the. Not, option not, list, no, no, so. in, the, in this scenario, you already went in, and and the manager was kind of like semi uncooperative, where he took everything off, but it was like, oh no, no, I'm sure it was an honest mistake, and and you can tell the guy's just not going to do anything. You, you you basically don't have much power. You can write a bad review, but others have already done so. So so. Right, give, but then you can go above him, above him. But I get that's not one of the questions. Right. The answers. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd consider doing what you did, Truff. Maybe what I'd do is. Uh, Take the three hundred bucks, cut the licensing credit card in half, <laughs> put like a note that says scammer on it, and then stick it in his mailbox or send it to him. So he has to deal with the DMV and everything. 
That's uh, great. Okay, so so what you're hearing from the three of us here are is very little sympathy for the guy in general. We're in scenario number one where he's just a, a dick and doesn't scam you or steal from you in any way. Uh, just no one really wants to help him. Uh, or but but and then in the uh, in the second one, it, it's it's kind of. We want to fuck him. Yeah, we want to screw him in he some way. He fucked us, we want to fuck right, him back. Right, right. So yeah. th- that's and, – and I think that is really what most people would do. Most people would want to screw the guy in some way if it lands in their lap to do so. Uh, we're right there. There's his wallet after he just tried to – like minutes after he just tried to scam you, there his, there's his wallet and he's gone. I think very few people are going to – bring that wallet in and go, hey, you know, your employee dropped his wallet and I haven't touched anything and here's here it is and really not touch anything and really just do him this favor. But listen to these results on this poll. For scenario number one, returning the wallet to the store, 72%. Keeping, keeping the money and tossing the rest on the ground, just you know, putting it back without the money, 20%. Take the w- entire wallet home. Four percent, and leave the wallet where it was, and take nothing—a surprising just twelve percent. So that yeah, was number drop. one. I, I've seen people nearly kill each other over a plastic hunk of shit on Black Friday <laughs> at a at a store that's got a sale. And you expect me to believe that seventy-two percent are going to return this? Well, fuck that. If you if you think that's bad, listen to number two, where the guy actually had just scammed them, and they read on Yelp that this is a very common scam to take place at that re- at that store, which convinces them that this wasn't an accident. Fifty-six percent would still return the wallet to the store, and they would say, "Please, can I suck your dick while I do after I've returned this?" Yeah, I think after you return to the store, you say, "Can you?" Have this guy come back here. I'm going to be in the bathroom. I'm going to be bent over with my pants pulled down. Uh, he knows what to do. Then- well, look, I mean, I get the idea of you want to be the better person and all that stuff. And maybe, I don't know, maybe in the vacuum of the situation when you're at home looking at this poll that's on the Internet somewhere, maybe that's how you answer it. But I think the reality is if this happens, I think people are a lot less charitable. Yes, and then so so keep the money and toss the rest of the wallet on the ground. Sixteen percent take the entire wallet home with no intention to return. Sixteen percent and leave the wallet and do nothing again. Twelve percent. So in both cases, the majority would have returned it to the store. Which in the first one, okay, the first one I understand more because the person was just rude. And even if you see that the rudeness is chronic to you know to where it's not sure. just they had a bad day, you see the person always just goes off on people. And, and in fact, you know, to that end, to, to that point, Druff, you might actually get some satisfaction out of taking that wallet and being like, you know what, I'm the better person. I'm going to show this prick that I'm the better person. You know I, actually, I, mean? I actually would. So but I, actually, I, I, I can buy that. I can buy that scenario. Yeah. I definitely can. I, I, I can, too. Like, I wouldn't do it this way, but I, I can understand that line of thinking. That's why I made scenario number two. Right. So Because right. I, number two, I cannot for the life of me understand why anyone would want to return it to the store. I can understand why they wouldn't, wouldn't want to take the wallet or take money out. There may be some people out there who say, no matter what, I am simply not stealing. No matter what the person's done to me. I just simply don't have it in me to steal, and I won't do it, and I'm just it's just not happening with me. Fine. Nah, I, I, man. I, I, Everyone's got a line. I, I think so, this too. This guy takes a dump on your windshield, you know? I mean, there's going to be well, something. I, I think so, too, but but at least yeah. I can a little understand that. How could you possibly return it to the store intact after that person a few minutes ago just scammed you? 
how could you want to do them that favor? So I tried to ask that. Now, this is a four-page thread now on the forum with about 80 posts. So I asked people, how could you do this? And they say, because I'm the better person, because yeah, sure. uh, because I, uh, I I have certain morals. You just uh, – you, know, you just always do these things regardless of how the people are to you. You don't let that influence you. You have to have certain morals you stick to. Uh, you can't be vengeful. I, I, okay, this all sounds great in theory until you really think about it. And, and no, the problem here, when you return this to the store, imagine this. Okay, this guy scams people. And he knows he's scamming people. And he, so imagine he hears, and remember, he knows you're already in there complaining about him. That signing you up for that stuff. You've already come back in and complained, okay? And this is before he's left. So can you imagine he comes back in the next day and his boss says, hey, remember that guy you scammed with, with, with signing him up to things that uh, he didn't want to be signed up to and who complained about you? Uh, he brought your wallet in that he saw you dropped it. Mm. Now, what do you think that guy's going to think? He's not going to think. Sucker. He's, yeah, he's not going to think, <laughs> wow, this is really an epiphany here. There's great people in the world, and I, I, really, I really need to evaluate myself that I'm scamming people when even the ones who I scam – Come back and help me. Wow, that's that's deep, man. No, he's going to think, oh, my gosh, people are such suckers. They're, they're such marks. Oh my. So, so th- this shows me that no matter how badly I behave, people still treat me well. There's no incentive to behave well because no matter how I treat people, they treat me well. I, I can kick them all I want, and they're going to say, don't worry. I've still got you. I'm still going to treat you well. And th- that's – I don't think that makes you a good person by rewarding bad behavior. I don't think it makes you a good person to incentivize bad behavior by showing someone that they can scam you and you will still do a favor for them. And that, that doesn't teach them a lesson. What that shows them is there's no consequence for their actions. And, and what Kalwat said, I didn't make it a choice on the poll, but, but to actually show them that there was a consequence um, is, is the most effective as far as uh, making these people think, like, okay, yeah, there's uh, you, you do something to someone, and then there's a reaction. Yeah, man, I'd write him a receipt, and, and the receipt would say one bullshit scam, and then I'd list the dollar <laughs> amount, and then there would be to the penny that amount of money missing from their fucking uh, their wallet. Now, maybe know? maybe you're someone who still doesn't agree. <laughs> when I say you, I mean listener, right? Whoever's listening right sure. now, or, or in the archives, maybe you still don't agree, and you think, no, I would still do it. I'm just a good person like that. I just I don't have it in me to to do these type of things, even just to leave it there. Like I, I can even understand if the answer for number two is just leave it there. Like I, I'm just going to leave it. I'm just I'm not going to do any favors, but I, I just can't bring myself to do these other things. Fine, but mm. I I can't understand the return to the store. But okay, let's let's say. You still believe I'm wrong. Like, I mean, there are a lot of people in the forum who are going off on me about how crazy I am to want to do these things. That this really speaks volumes about who I am. I'm like, haven't you guys seen me on the forum for like the last 15 years? How do you guys not know that this would be what I would do? Is this, does this shock anyone? Is, is anyone? Anyone listening to this shocked that this is what I would do? It's like, wow, I would have thought Todd would have returned the wallet to the scammer. That's a, I, that really tells me new things about him. No, I, I'm sure you all would have known that I would have never returned the store, the, the wallet to the store. So, uh, but I, I then tried to pose further I, questions. I mean, I, I would have thought that you would have taken the wallet, taken the money, gone out to dinner somewhere. Complained about the service and gotten a rebate from the money you spent at, at dinner. Yeah, just, keep, just keep cycling the money over and over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I, but you know, I kept 
escalating it to see when these people would finally have their breaking point, the ones arguing with me on the forum. I go, okay, so you don't think scamming's enough. Let's, let's take something really extreme then. Let's say the person uh, raped your daughter. And and then you saw him drop your wallet, the wallet on the ground. Would you well, still? They're, they're, they're dead, bro. I'm well, sorry. well, well that, that, it's funny you say that because that was part of one of the answers. So I said, then you, then if you see him drop his wallet, do you return it? And then the answer is, well, yes, because compared to what else I do to him, that's nothing. I'm like, no, come on, that's a cop out answer. Yeah. It, 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 by itself, ignoring what else you would do to them, would you return the wallet? And 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 yes, I still would. That's just part of me. I go, no, you wouldn't. Come on. What what if the person killed your mother? What if the what if the I mean, let's take something a little bit less than these things. Let, let's say they 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 scammed you out of your life savings, like a Bernie Madoff type, and they dropped their wallet. You're going to return it to the store for them? Like a, a, at some, you've got to have a breaking point somewhere where you say at some point this person has done something major enough to me, where I'm not going to do a favor for them. What if they beat you senseless for no reason? What, what if because you didn't sign up for the plan that you know they saw you outside after work and, and, and beat you up badly and, and, and broke several bones? And- you know what, Druff, though? I mean, at some point, if they did something truly horrible to me, the wallet would then become inconsequential. You know what I mean? In terms of what the reciprocity Right. Would be. Well, I understand you that point. I understand that point saying the reciprocity yeah. is so much worse that I, I'm not even going to worry about this. But but, but putting that, yeah. like, making it an independent thing, like, people are actually saying, yes, I, the, my morals say I'd still return it, but then I'd do this other worse thing, which is really weird. It's really weird that to say. It doesn't make sense. It, it's really weird to say I would do, like, something really horrible to him, but. I'd return but, the wallet, then I'd anal rape him. Yeah. Like, okay, I mean, what? Yeah, and I got answers like that, too. And now, now here's the funny thing. I didn't ask specifically this, this question, but I bet if I asked. Um, let's say I just changed the whole poll around and, and just made it like after the guy scams you that, um, let's say I just write in the story. So then I confronted him after, after he got off his shift and he said, and and then with nobody around, he said, yeah, I did it too bad. What are you going to do about it? And and then, and then I, I beat the crap out of him and, and, and he ended up breaking his arm from the, from the fight. Do you feel bad for him? I bet a lot of people, the same people would say no, because for some reason, for some of these same people, they they seem to think they seem to kind of like respect um, conf- confrontation and and uh, fist fighting more than they do stealing. Like like that stealing is just something you just never do. It's just such a a, a huge sin that you can't do this. But uh, but to confront someone and fight them is fine. No, this, it, 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 all of these are forms of getting back at someone. And and uh, it, and they're the only thing that really changes whether one is right and one is wrong is how severe they are compared to what the person did to you. And that's, that's what you have to, whenever you consider I'm going to do something back to someone for something they did to me, you consider one, it does the punishment fit the crime? Am I doing something back? That's so much beyond what they did to me that it's, it's an extreme response in which case you shouldn't. And and also uh, is doing this back going to have some kind of other negative after effect that I don't want, such as am I going to go to jail for it? Are they? Or is this going to escalate them to just doing something really horrible to me? Am I am I afraid that they're going to come shoot me afterwards for this? Like, or, or am I afraid that they're going to uh, you know, vandalize all my property for this? Like, I don't want to escalate a war to something terrible over something minor, so I'm just going to let it go. That that I understand, but um, something like this, where you can even do it, where they won't know you did it, they'll just you'll just know that you did it. Um, there, there, I don't believe that morality means treat everyone the same all the time under all circumstances. 
You can't. You should. There, there should be a baseline. If you're a good person, there should be a baseline on how you treat everybody, just the average person, the average stranger uh, that you run into. There should be a baseline on how you treat everybody, which should be pretty high, meaning you, you keep your word, uh, you, uh, you, you treat them respectfully, uh, you know, all, all stuff like that. Uh, around women, you don't make unwanted advances. Uh, a lot of different... Uh, you don't take advantage of them. You, know, a lot, a lot, you, you don't. You don't rip anyone off. There, there's, there's a lot of different uh, things that one needs to do in order to treat your fellow human being respectfully. And if you're a good person, you you come up with these standards for yourself and you adhere to them. But that doesn't mean it's so rigid that you can't adjust it up or down. So for somebody that is a good friend of yours, a family member, someone else who's just been nice to you or that you like. Maybe you'll do more. Maybe you'll go beyond that. Maybe you'll, you'll help them out and, and do extra things that, that are going above and beyond because you feel they deserve it, uh, that you wouldn't do for the average stranger. And then you can adjust it down, too, for when you run into a scammer and then he drops his wallet. That's when you say, well, normally I would bring this wallet back and help them, but this person does not deserve it. This person deserves bad things to happen to them, at least kind of minor bad things like this. And here is the opportunity right in front of my face to do it without any consequence. So I should. And that doesn't make you a bad person. That doesn't make you a terrible, vengeful person. It, it makes you a human, and it makes you someone who is reacting appropriately to the way that you were treated. And uh, uh, someone even said in the thread, oh, that's the way the autistic person would handle it. No, that's not. The, the, the autistic person would actually set a, a rigid set of circumstances the way, okay, well, this happens. Okay, I always act this way under all circumstances. That, that's what an autistic person would actually say. The, the, the autistic person has trouble adjusting a lot of times. This, this is the opposite of being autistic. You're actually adjusting based upon the situation. You're not just sticking to one rigid set of rules. So uh, I was very surprised by this, and I th- so then we got to ask ourselves why, since this, none of this really happened. So fortunately, there's in real life there's nothing to consider here. There's there's no guy who actually scammed me here. Uh, at, at, in the Twitter poll, I assume that uh, what Rachel Lee was talking about didn't really happen. So this is all just made up. So we can just take it whatever way we want. So so why are people? And this is an anonymous poll, by the way. It's not like their names are attached to it. Why, why are people voting, I'll return the wallet to the store, even in the case of the scammer? Why 56% voting this way here? And I think it's because, somewhat what Calwatt was saying, when you're, when you're just sitting at home on the internet and you're, you're reading something like this, people want to believe themselves to be good people. And this is something that, you can hold your head up high and feel like that you've taken the high road and that, that you're a superior person to those that don't. And if you vote this way, even if no one's going to see you voted this way, if you vote this way, you can pat yourself on the back that you'd always be the better person and you, you would do the right thing here. And, and it's something you can do without any kind of consequence because this didn't actually occur. So you're just, you're just answering a hypothetical. So you take the, what you think is the most noble for each one, knowing that you're not actually having to make that decision in real time. But I would, I would love to see a hidden camera in this situation with those same people who voted what they do. I'd love to see what they would really do. One, if they, if they just encountered a really rude customer service employee who called them names and, 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 and then saw this happen. And then number two, where the guy had just scammed them 
and what they would do if they saw the wallet. I, I would bet any sum of money that at least two-thirds of like a large number of people who are put through this test would either uh, it would not return the wallet. They, they do one of those other three things, that, that at least two-thirds would not return the wallet and probably a lot higher. So, Calwatt, anything else on this? I think Calwatt just checked out. No, the only thing else on it is that I'm going to go pass out. Okay. <laughs> well, thank, thank but It was you. good being on again. I hope uh, hope you get an earlier start, and uh, hopefully I'll be back. Okay. Well, thank thank you, Calwatt. Very nice okay, to have you guys. Calwatt, like, good to hear. It's like, uh, right. yep. Take care, gentlemen. Good night. It's like uh, early 2018 yeah, all over again, except... Uh, Hopefully the show won't be gone for months again soon. Minus that. And uh, Trader Ruski, uh, how, how are you feeling right now? You taking the, you, you drank the tea yet? No, I'm good. I'm actually heads up in the tournament. Oh, in our tournament? It's uh, no, 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 no. You know, I'm Bavada. It's three grand, three thousand fifty for first, twenty-four twenty-five for second. Wow, so. wow. Well, so, so and I came on the final table. I was six of six too. So. Wait a minute. That's not a very big no, difference. Don't. First and second are pretty close there. 3,000 and 2,400? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, because it was a big, it was uh, 758 entrants, 163 rebuys. That's still a weird. 25 plus 250. That's a weird payout structure. I, I, I don't usually see that where there's not that much difference between first and second. Unless there's I a know, and, 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 and third was 1850. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of dipped. Like sixth at the final table was 530, so that's a pretty big spread. But Well, it's yeah, it's always a big spread yeah. there. But the first and second to be so close, where, where if basically first is uh, is 80 is yeah, it's 80 percent of second. That's uh, or second second is 80 percent of first. That's I guess that's good if you finish second that you're and you, and you have less to worry about when you're playing heads up about running bad. Of course, you want to win, but yeah, and, I, and he min raised. I just flopped an open ender. I jack eight flops ten nine. So I'm just shoving. Okay. He's got five times the chips I do. See if we can get there. Did he call you? He did. He's got a pair of nines, and I'm out. Yeah. Well, see, now, that, now you're glad that the second place was uh, so high compared to the first. <laughs> exactly. Well, now, once you said that, I'm like, you know what? i got to go walk the dog, take the tea. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so tra- the only bad thing about this is now, uh, now Trader Ruski is – going to leave us earlier because he's out of the tournament. I guess it's bad in two ways, and he's just out of the tournament. I guess there's nothing good about it. I'll this. be up for a while. All right, so you made 2400 bucks while you're playing this, uh, while you're on the show. That's pretty good. Yeah, well, I I think it's fascinating that people on the internet try to virtue signal so much and try to really talk themselves into believing that they're uh, better people than they are, or in in this case, it's not even that. In this case, what they think makes them a better person actually doesn't, and that's uh, I see that on the internet a lot too. Uh, I see this a lot with tipping too, where people will say, "I always tip twenty percent minimum, no matter what happens." I go, "What? No matter what happens? So what? What if what if the waiter openly insults you? I still do. Well, why? Like, why would you do that then? Like, I I go, there's got to be some circumstances where you leave zero. And, and But some people will just absolutely positively never leave zero. And I go, that doesn't make you a good person, though. If, if, if you really want to feel like you're not being selfish by keeping the tip money, then save the, the 20% you were going to tip otherwise and, and give it to someone who needs it. Give, give it to the janitor you see cleaning. 
You know, like <laughs> give it to a worthwhile charity. Something. Don't just uh, think you have to always do that. You don't have to always do anything. You, you, if it's if it's a choice given to you, there's a reason it's a choice, and it doesn't make you a bad person to modify it based upon how another person treats you. And I feel that people who try to do bad things to you deserve for you to do bad things to them. And that does not, as long as it's appropriate, as long as it's fitting, as long as it's around the same scale, then there's nothing wrong with it. It doesn't make you a bad person to react that way. And in fact, if you don't, all you're doing is disincentivizing good behavior. All you're doing is proving to those who are pieces of shit that they can be pieces of shit and still get rewarded for it. And that's a bad message to send. That doesn't make you a good person. In fact, it makes you contributing to the problem. And uh, that is not necessarily a good thing. Sometimes what you think is empathy, what you think is a good quality in in forgiveness, empathy, uh, understanding, sometimes it's a good quality, but sometimes if if there's too much of it, it can be a bad quality because it, it rewards bad behavior. And you've got to be careful about that too. So I, I, but the, the most right, but Jeff, the whole thing's invalid because I mean, because basically you're gonna do like the Shake Shack move, go to the manager, the general manager, get the person canned, well, get free uh, stuff. Hopefully, but I have had situations before that I know nothing's gonna get done, and I kind of hit a brick wall, and I sometimes I'll really try to like go higher and higher, and then I just I know I'm hitting a brick wall, I know nothing's gonna happen, I know they're gonna need like like. Tons of more complaints like mine before they even consider it. They're, they're like, there's been times when really crappy things have happened at businesses, and I complain. And not only do I know something's happening, I know the person's getting fired. That just happened with Smashburger. That the that the girl who uh, berated me, who was the man, the night manager there, who, who berated me, was nasty to me and, and wouldn't give me the shake after I waited half an hour for the damn burger to be hooked three times. Uh, that she got fired. And that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Though she was having tons of other issues there, and I was the I was the one who finally was willing to put it on in writing for them, and I wrote the exact thing of what really happened, and then they fired her. But, but the thing is here, though, I've had ranges. I've had like where I know the person's getting fired, all the way to uh, where I know nothing's getting done, and I, I sometimes walk away frustrated, going, "This sucks. Like nothing's going to happen." Uh, so if in those cases where nothing has happened, if it just falls into my lap to where the person gets screwed some way in some relatively small way, I'm, I would take it. And in fact, I've had times on customer service calls where the person's like intentionally nasty and rude to me and, and uncooperative and just defying logic with how uncooperative they're being. And I know there's nothing I can really do about it and they haven't done anything egregious enough to where I can get them in trouble. So... I'm just so frustrated. I'll like lie to them at the end and claim I've recorded the whole call and I'm going to post it on YouTube and they're going to be famous. And that really upsets them because they were really, they were being like really, really stubborn and obnoxious on purpose and getting a kick out of it. And then they think it's going to be on YouTube and they're afraid there's going to be like millions of views and they're going to be like the, the, the butt of a national joke and, and, and everyone's going to hate them. Like that's a, that's a nightmare for a customer service employee to think about happening. So I tell them it's going to, and they always freak out. They go, "You can't do that! It's against the rules to record this." I go, "No, I mean, I'm." And I, uh, I go, "No, I, I, I can and will." And uh, you said the call's being recorded, so I have a right to record it too. So 
I'm putting it up there. There's nothing you can do, and I don't care what your company policy is. I'm, I'm this is my own policy. I'm putting it up there, and you're going to be famous. And I'm I actually have a very well read blog about this, and you can Google me, which which wasn't true, but like I just make it sound like I'm confident in it, and and they get really nervous, and I, I just do this to kind of freak them out a bit because they're being such assholes, and I know there's nothing I can do otherwise because I know that I'm I'm just kind of stuck. I've just so like. I, I don't mind giving it back when something's happened that uh, – well, let me t- I've told this story before, and I'll finish with this before we go on to the next topic. On the previous site that I was involved with before Poker Fraud Alert called Donk Down, that's where I met Trey Daruski, uh at the beginning – we hired a design team to help redesign the forum from a standard PHPBB forum to look more visually pleasing and be more user-friendly. We should have just gone with vBulletin in the first place, but we didn't. So we hired this foreign firm. It was actually foreign, but run by an American who lived in another country. And they claimed to have all this experience with forums and they could do exactly what we were looking for. But as time passed, it became clear that they didn't know what they were doing and that they didn't really have experience with forums and they were just the wrong ones for the job. That if it was just like straight web design, they were pretty good. But as far as modifying a forum, they were pretty bad and didn't know what they were doing. So it dragged and dragged and dragged for months. And they every every time they'd send us some progress, they'd have us check out. They always had tons of problems. So after like four or five months of this, we said, okay, this is getting nowhere. We've got to cancel this. So then we had our discussion among the, there was four owners of Donkdown. I was one of them. There was a discussion amongst the owners of, okay, what's fair to pay them? So we had uh, an agreement for the job of the forum, and then we had an SEO job for search engine optimization that would occur after this that hadn't been started yet. So we said, okay, we're going to cancel the SEO job. Obviously, if they weren't competent enough to do the first job, they may have been lying about their competence for the second, so we just, we just want away from the whole thing. So we'll cancel the second job, which hasn't begun yet. And the, the, the first job, even though we can't use anything they made for us and we've got to throw it in the garbage and start over, uh, because they really tried and put a lot of hours into this and have had a good attitude at least, we'll give them 60%. So everybody agreed that's the right thing to do. So we were going to, and then I get a message from the guy who was holding the money from the site. I don't know why it wasn't me holding the money from the site, but the guy messages us and says, uh, "Is one of the other owners, not going to name him, says, uh, bad news, I had forgotten, it's been a while now, but I had forgotten, uh, I actually prepaid for both jobs in advance, both the design job and the SEO job. I'm like, what? I understand prepaying the for the design, though, I would think you'd just like at least do it through milestones or something like that, like at least in some split fashion, but you prepaid for a second job before the first was done or even started? He said, yeah, well, I've used them for a while and they've always been good, so I trusted them and, you know, probably a mistake, but yeah, they're holding all our money, so we've got to ask for them to give us a refund. I go, oh my God, this is a disaster. They're never going to, you know, businesses hate returning money that they're already holding from you. That they've already counted as income. They biz, all businesses, not just this one, just hate returning money they're holding. So I think this is a disaster. We're going to have, and they're, they're not even in the U.S. How are we going to get anything out of them? So I go, okay, well, at least we, at least we have the power to like give them a negative review or, or, or blow them up on the internet as being scammers if they don't return some of the money to us. So 
we wrote a very nice, polite letter to them explaining all the problems with the project and how you know, we tried to be polite, but just we're honest that they didn't have the expertise with forums that they claim to have and that we know they put a lot of work into it. That even though we have to throw all the work away, that we'll let them keep 60 percent, but please re- refund the other 40 percent of the first job and, the, and, and all of the money for the second job because that hasn't even been started or considered yet. So at first, the response we got from the owner was better than I thought. He said, oh, no, I understand. I, I admit that we had some fault on our end, and we, we didn't do everything what we said we would, and we may not have had some of the skills that we said that uh, yeah, because we, we didn't realize how big of a job this was. I, he gave his own spin, but he admitted there were some – that they made some mistakes on their end. So he said, yeah, so I think 60 percent is fair. I go, okay, good. This is a reasonable guy. And then he dropped the bomb about the second thing. So he says, yeah, so I'll send you 40% back for that job, but for the SEO job, we're charging you a 50% kill fee. A kill fee, that is a fee to kill the job. I said, what? We we didn't just pay for the job and change our minds. We're, We're backing out of the job because you couldn't complete the first job. You couldn't complete part one, so we're not going on to part two. And you admitted that a lot of this is your fault. So, of course, it should be can- – and you haven't done any work. You have, you've done zero work for the, the second job. So it's not like you put any time into it yet. Yeah, but you know, kill fees are very standard within the industry, and I'm sorry, but uh, that's our policy. But, again, uh, we're, we're happy to do the SEO job for you if, if you just uh, don't want the 50%. There's still that option. I go, that piece of shit. He's just trying to he's trying to force us into the SEO job by figuring if these are going to keep half the money, we might as well use them. It's like, what a piece of crap. And he he's holding the money. He's the he's the one with the power here. So we, we started threatening we're going to write bad reviews about them. He didn't care. He he just stuck to his guns. He couldn't even logically explain why he should keep that fifty percent. He just basically said, That's it, and then he stopped responding to us. And I said, That fucking piece of shit. I was so mad about this. And I said, ah, there's, there were only just some way to get that money back, but there isn't, and we can't sue them. And I was like, I was so mad. And then I got a piece of good news from that other owner who had paid. He said, uh, yeah, I, I've been looking into the whole thing, and I, I realized that I paid with American Express, and American Express lets you do a chargeback within 180 days, and it's only been like 150 days. So we're still within the window, and I can actually charge back the whole thing on American Express. I go, really? You sure? He said, yeah. And he sent me a link to it. And yeah, he was right. It had a six-month chargeback policy on American Express. It's like, oh, wow. Wow. Okay, cool. We may get this back. Now, chargeback's not a guarantee you're going to get it back, but you, you, you can start the process and, and hope they take your side at American Express. So I said, okay. So, guys, we've got to decide how much do we charge back. Do we charge back the whole thing or do we just charge back – the portion that we originally said that we wanted refunded. That is the 40% of the first job and the 100% of the second job that never started. So I said, we should charge back the whole damn thing because this guy tried to steal from us. This guy didn't like the fact that we were canceling the whole job on them because they weren't doing it right. And he wanted to punish us and just force us into the second job by keeping half the money. And then when we wouldn't agree to it, then he just stopped answering us completely and, and, and didn't give us anything back. So this guy basically just tried to steal from us and did steal from us. So I said he deserves nothing now. I said the 60% we gave him was only to be nice, only to be fair. 
But now that he tried to steal from us, all of that is out the window. Now we should get back everything. Now he should get back. He should not have any of our money if we can get it all back. What he should get now is zero point zero. And initially, one of the other owners agreed with me. The other two were kind of iffy on it. And uh, anyway, after a lot of discussion, everybody decided, uh, yeah, let's just charge back the whole thing. So we charged back the whole thing. Then he got notification from American Express that the whole thing's being charged back. Then he panicked because he realized there's a good chance he's going to lose. And he tried to make us a final offer of like, a, okay, oh guys, uh, let's talk about this. I, I probably uh, acted in anger before, and I apologize for that. But but uh, but how about we settle on such and such? And, and I'm like, no. And actually, everybody else kind of felt that way, too. Everybody's like, screw this guy. He's Now he's trying to act reasonable because now he knows he could lose the whole thing. So we basically wrote back, uh, we... Uh, we don't negotiate with financial terrorists or something like that. And uh, American Express made its decision, and we won. We got back the whole damn thing. And I felt that was fitting, because he tried to steal from us. If he didn't try to steal from us, I was happy to let him keep 60% for his effort, even though we couldn't use any of the work he did. But once he tried to steal from us, how much are we talking? By the way, drop is it like ten thousand? No, no, one thousand. No, it was. It was. Uh, I think we were going to let him keep nine hundred or something like that, or, or twelve hundred, something in that range. And then it was supposed to be like a relatively easy job, from what they proposed. They just couldn't do it. It was weird. Like it was something that wasn't. It didn't seem like it was going to be a five month job, and it shouldn't have been. They just didn't know what they were doing. So, um, like, like they would redesign stuff on the forum and it would kind of look nice but then it would be so heavily graphic intensive that it, it like back in 2009 it just loaded incredibly slowly on on the computers in that day and and and, and then or they'd screw up other like the other things that were made it totally user unfriendly just every every time we'd have them fix one thing they'd break another it was an endless fail and so it was supposed to be kind of like a I think the first job was supposed to be like 1500 or $2,000, something like that. The second job was like 2000 for the SEO, something like that. And they, uh, so I think we were letting them keep 900 which yes, they, they put a lot more than $900 worth of work, but they, it was work they just weren't able to do. They were the, the point, they weren't hourly employees. They were employees to get a job done. They, they just couldn't get done. And they even admitted that they thought they had the skills to do some of these things and it turned out they didn't. I don't think they were lying to us. I think they overestimated their skills. And that's why I kind of felt bad for them. But, but not not when it, when you agree that the sixty percent is fair and then try to stiff us in a different way on a job that hasn't begun, then then I lose all sympathy for you. This kill fee bullshit. I mean, come on. They, it was clear why we're canceling this. And I've never heard the term kill fee. I never had I've either. Never heard that. I've never heard of that either. I think he just uh, invented it. But uh, and, and we also went over everything we agreed like back and forth to start the whole job. There's never anything about a kill fee in there. But even if there was. This was an extraordinary circumstance where we're killing it only because they couldn't do the job. <laughs> so so I, I always feel that you have to adjust it to what's going on. And, and the second anyone has tried to screw you, then uh, then you take extra back if you can. Or, or uh, if, if you've agreed to pay partial for a job and then the person you're trying to pay 
tries to take more than partial because they think they can get away with it. They can just force you to pay more. If they end up failing in their attempt to pay you, make you pay more, if you can take everything back, then you should. And that's what they get for trying to cheat you. And that's that's always how I operate. But at the same time, if I have an agreement with you, and you act in good faith, then I act in good faith. You can always count on that. And you guys know that from, from all my years in poker. Like if, if, if there were instances where I haven't acted in good faith, you guys would hear about it. You guys, it would be out there. But, but you never hear these stories because when I say I'll do something, when I agree to something, then I do it. And, and uh, that's, I think, important, an important way to live your life. And that's a, an important mark of, of someone that you can trust. And, uh, but, but, if, but if, you, if you're going to try to scam me or steal from me or screw me in some way, yeah, I'm going to do it back to you. There, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to do that. And I won't feel the least bit bad about it. Uh, similarly, if you let, let's say we we had an argument in person, and then you pulled out a gun and tried to shoot me, but you missed. You really did try to shoot me dead. You didn't just try to shoot me in the leg. You tried to shoot me like in the chest, but you missed. So I start running away, and uh, and you keep firing at me as I'm running away. And then I hear, as I'm running away, the sound of someone, of a body hitting the ground. And it's your body that you have tripped and fallen, and the gun has flown out of your hand. And I look, and it's right at my feet. And there you are on the ground, just having tripped. And let's say you hurt yourself a little bit so you can't get up, or you can't get up easily. And the gun's now right at my feet. What do you think I'm going to do with that gun now that's right at my feet? You think I'm just going to hold it there and uh, call the police? No. I would shoot you dead. Why? Because you just tried to shoot me dead. And I wouldn't feel the least bit guilty about it. But at the same time, I would never try to kill anyone or even physically harm anyone who hadn't done so or tried to do so to me or to my family. Never. I'm, I'm a nonviolent person that way. But if someone tried to shoot me dead and I the gun happened to land in my hand and they were in a vulnerable position to where they couldn't hurt me anymore, yeah, I'd kill them and I'd feel good about it. And it doesn't make you a good person to not kill them there. They tried to kill you, you kill them. Kind of same thing here. You may not feel the same way, but that's, that's how I feel. I think it's very fair. If you'd be okay killing me, then I'm okay killing you. Okay, lo- lovely light topics here tonight on the show. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. It's going to be another long show. If you, if you like long shows, then you are going to like this one because uh, we have a lot to talk about tonight. I have a feeling by the time the show's over, I'll be the only one here. The King's Casino, speaking of scammers, by the way, the King's Casino in the Czech Republic, which is the sponsor of the High Limit Room at the World Series of Poker. It's called the King's Lounge for that reason. King's Casino in the Czech Republic, owned by Leon Sukrenik, who's been involved in plenty of scams and issues himself over the last uh, two years or so. 
there's a new accusation against Kings Casino, which provided it's accurate is very disturbing. This is from two plus two from an account that was created just for the purpose of reporting this. So who knows? It could be something that is a false accusation. But this is what the thread, which was started on September 8th, says. Several friends reported long delays for wires from King's Casino. Finals of the Party Poker Millions still waiting for their money. In the past, it took up to six months for the finalists from the World Series of Poker Europe main event to get paid. The winner received the money in April 2019. The tournament took place in November 2018. A friend of mine received an email due to the Czech law that the casino reserves the right to pay after 60 days. Actually, even though 60 days were exceeded in several cases. The Czech casino license comes along with a deposit of approximately $1.4 million, but the deposit only covers tax debts and isn't a guarantee for player deposits. Regarding the fact that more than 100 World Series of Poker Europe main event tickets are already satellited in through their regular weekly events, might this put additional pressure on the financial situation? Does anybody have experiences with payouts at the King's Casino? Uh-oh. So this has to do with poker. This doesn't really sound like it has to do with like people winning blackjack there. It sounds like you go to the cashier, you get paid. But people win in poker hundreds of thousands or more, maybe over a million and they don't want to carry all that money back on the plane back home. So, or even on the drive back home, whatever it is. So they say, hey, can you wire me the funds? And I guess maybe if you do want it in cash, they may not pay it. So what happens is these people don't get their wires for a while. And then if they complain, they get an email saying, actually, check law allows the casino to wait up to 60 days before paying people, which doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't even know if that's true. We need like a, a Czech Republic Eric Benzamokin. That's that's what we need. But I don't even know if that's true. But as the post says that they take more than 60 days in many cases, that's not even really a valid excuse. He's also saying that they don't have to prove that they have the money on hand. Unlike U.S. casinos, brick-and-mortar casinos, where they always have to have the money on hand for every chip in circulation. And if they don't, they can lose their license. He's saying that's not true for the licenses in the Czech Republic, that all you need is $1.4 million that you have to give as a deposit to the government, and that's only to cover your tax debt. So this way, the government doesn't ever get screwed if the casino fails. So there really is not a requirement there that they have to have the money on hand for player deposits or, or anything that they owe the players that the, they can just pay the players when they pay them. With these massive delays, this does have, provided this is real, again, I don't know if this is true, but if this is true, this does kind of sound similar to these shady online poker sites where they're basically robbing Peter to pay Paul where money that comes in that they're temporarily holding for the next thing they use to pay out past debts. So this person is concerned that uh, they have already generated 100 or more than 100 World Series of Poker Europe main event satellite tickets and that they might be using that money 
to pay past debts instead of holding it for the prize pool of the World Series of Poker Europe main event, and that whoever wins that is going to be in the same situation. So this isn't surprising because Leon Sukernix is involved, and I always wondered how a guy who is accused of ripping people off, and there's so many bad stories about him, how he could be running a casino in the Czech Republic without incident there and to where people aren't getting ripped off there. It was hard for me to believe he's running that business in an honest and uh, straightforward fashion when all of his other interactions, especially financial interactions, seem to be suspect. And it appears that they might not, yeah, they might not be very uh, honest after all. So this is what someone wrote back the next day. This is a poster who is from the Czech Republic and has 311 posts, and he's been registered for five and a half years on 2 Plus 2. So it's not a fake. This one is not a gimmick account like the first one was. So whenever like a gimmick account starts off and posts something, you, you always have to have a little bit of suspicion because that person doesn't have credibility. If an account just shows up to post something, it may or may not be true. There, there have been accounts that have shown up on 2 Plus 2, like gimmick accounts out of nowhere that have posted untrue things about me, like totally untrue things that people just make up. Fortunately, the mods just delete this stuff, but uh, like you can't believe everything you read on there, especially from gimmick accounts that are just made. But th- this response is from someone who's been around for five and a half years, and this person wrote, I am from the Czech Association of Poker Players, and I have some knowledge of the, about the Czech gambling laws, so ask me if you want to know something. First, I'd like to say that I seriously doubt the casino has financial problems, I would guess the delay comes from the fact that these events are organized jointly by Kings and Party Poker, so maybe there's some problem between them. I just speculate, though. I doubt that. Party Poker has a lot of money. They're, Party Poker isn't taking months to pay the check, uh, uh, the, the, the Kings Casino. There's no way that's the reason. He says, they have up to 60 days to pay you, counting from the day you claimed your prize, but I'm not sure what counts as a legitimate claim. Maybe sending them an official claim might speed up the process. They have some deposit, which is held by the Czech Ministry of Finance. I'm sure the exact number at the moment, but the deposit definitely could be used to pay players. It can be used for A, tax debts, or B, penalties for not following laws, or C, unpaid players. So this guy is saying that the first post is a little bit wrong, that the money that's being held can't be used to pay players. He's saying it's, it's held for a few reasons, and that if they're paying their taxes and if they're not having to use it for penalties, then the money could be used to pay players that aren't getting paid in time instead, and then they'd probably be required to put up another deposit at that point to replace the money that was taken. So, But this new account said back, your, info was, your, your infos are wrong. This is not a, obviously not an English speaker. So a lot of times I'll, I'll correct their English as I'm reading it to you guys. So it doesn't sound as bad. The deposit for the license can't be used for unpaid players. What does Party Poker have to do with the World Series of Poker Europe? Uh, why does Jack S., the winner of the 2018 main event, have to wait six months? I don't know why he puts Jack S. Why not just put his whole name? Obviously, we can look up who Jack S. is if he won the 2018 uh, main event uh, of, of World Series of Poker Europe. Why such a big casino operator can pay permanently on Sundays with a max of 50 euro bills? I don't know what he means by that. Why the casino agreed payment plans with players? Why even these payment plans were delayed again? Well, these sound like good questions. I don't understand the 50 euro thing, but the rest I understand. So then the guy responded back, the, the Czech guy, said, okay, I misunderstood your post. 
I thought you were talking about the Party Poker Millions, so forget about Party Poker. But uh, then he quoted the exact Czech law that was like 186 slash 2016 term 89 uh, section 4. The the deposit can be used for A, taxes, B, penalties for not following the law, C, unpaid players. So, okay. Uh, then someone's saying that they claim that the most they can pay you per day is 10k euro and that they can wire the rest to you but it can take up to three months and that's that's pretty outrageous if true that kind of reminds me of that scam that occurred in Aruba where they did the same thing. Oh, the most we can pay you is 10K. We'll, we'll send you the rest when you get back home. And then they take like months to pay people. It's just like that. And that ended up being just a scam where the guys had no money. And they were stealing the money. And then robbing Peter to pay Paul to pay the past winners. It was a Ponzi scheme. So then someone wrote, I know a couple of people who have issues in the past and are currently owed money from Kings. Unfortunately, this is one of the situations where you'll eventually get paid if you don't publicize their behavior, so most players won't publicly say anything. Those who aren't currently owed, owed probably plan on playing there again in the future, which is why a lot of them won't say anything. That's a good point, that maybe these people are afraid to get banned, and they figure if they've won a tournament before for a lot of money, they, they want to play there again and win again, and therefore, they, they even after getting paid, they don't want to rock the boat. Uh so there's there's some discussion back and forth. I, I think I believe this. And this, this is pretty absurd, this whole thing. I don't see why people ever play tournaments where they can't get paid on the spot or a wire that was sent to you very quickly. That's, that's a huge mistake, even at a place like King's Casino in Czech, because you don't know how much Czech law protects you. You might be used to casinos here where you feel pretty protected, but it's different. And that's what happened in Aruba. People played in Aruba and figured, okay, well, I I know I'm owed the money in some way. And no, they never got their money because the organizers of the event cheated them. And then the hotels in Aruba just washed their hands of it, saying, hey, we we were just the venue. We have nothing to do with this. And then you're just left holding the bag, an empty bag. So you really need to know that you're protected if you're going to accept something like this. And I'm not sure if in the Czech Republic you are protected, and if you are protected, if you can even make claims that easily if you're not a resident of the Czech Republic yourself. I think it's a big mistake to play any tournament where they're not paying you right on the spot. Because why wouldn't they? And when I say right on the spot, like, if they say it'll take five days for the wire, fine. But if it's like, oh, it'll take 60 days for the wire, why? Why, sh- why should it take 60 days for the wire? Why, why should they hold your money for 60 days? What-, what could possibly be a legitimate reason to hold your money for 60 days? It- it's because they're they're trying to stall and get the money together. Sounds like a Ponzi scheme. So if you can't come up with your in your head a logical reason why they are taking 60 days, even if they can, even if law says they can, if they do, there's something shady going on. There's no reason they should be doing that. And you just shouldn't play those tournaments. You're taking a risk that when you win, you still lose. 
And if you're sure that you can go recover the money from some deposit they put up with the Czech government, then okay, as long as it's not too difficult of a process. But you have to be totally sure of that. Like, let's compare it to FDIC-insured banks in the U.S., where every account is guaranteed up to $250,000. So when you deposit your money to a U.S. bank, let's say you have $175,000 to deposit, you don't have to worry about the health of the bank. You don't have to be concerned, what if the bank runs off with all my money? Why? Because the U.S. government guarantees that if you have an account that's 250 k or less, even if the bank shoots off all their money, that they will pay you back. The, go- the U.S. government will pay you back. I actually had that done for me in 2008 when there, were, there was a bank that crashed. And the, I, I was paid back from the FDIC in full. So if you know there's that type of guarantee, then as long as you don't need the money immediately, then it's not terrible to wait two months to get the wire. But if there is no hard guarantee like that, that you will get paid, and they're taking months to pay you after you win, there's a big problem. And you're taking too big of a risk, and you shouldn't do it. And you may say, well, what about people who play online poker? You never know if they're going to pay you. Right, but at least with online poker, same thing. If you're hearing about payout problems then you shouldn't play. You're never 100% safe. Like, I, I play on Ignition. Uh, maybe one day Ignition and Bovada will just get up and disappear, and my money will be gone. And I do take that risk, but I know that Bovada has, like, a 20-year track record of paying out. So that's why I play there despite all their other problems. I play there because they have a 20-year track record of paying out well. I've never had cash-out problems there. By today's standards, they're excellent with cash-outs. So if this is a different story and they had big payout issues, no, I wouldn't play there. I wouldn't say, well, that's the risk I'm taking. No, I don't care how soft the games are. If they won't pay you, it doesn't matter. So this is non-standard. Just like an online poker site not paying you is non-standard. A a live brick-and-mortar site not paying you immediately or almost immediately for your tournament win is extremely non-standard and is almost always a sign of something wrong, especially when the owner of the place is known to rip people off. So I would not trust this. I would not trust this at all. I would never play at the King's Casino at least not in a tournament where they're going to possibly hold it back, and really I wouldn't want to pay their, play there at all. Especially with the owner having a history of just not paying people what he owes because he feels like they cheated. So let's say you go to the King's Casino and get lucky in blackjack, uh, maybe he won't pay you and say you were cheating. That's, that's, that's the last place I'd ever want to play. Okay, now speaking of people with bad reputations... I have an update on comedian Vinny Favorito and his alleged scamming via borrowing money and never paying it back. We've done this story before, 
and we almost had someone come on here and tell his story, but then the person backed out because of concerns that it would impact their court case. So at first they were going to come on with their lawyer and have the lawyer tell them what they can and can't answer. Then they had to delay it, and then just they disappeared on me. So whatever. I mean, they, I, I'm not owed interviewing them, so I wasn't mad. I just was hoping we'd get to do it. Vinny Favorito has been around Vegas for at least 10 years, probably more than that. He's kind of like a dirty-type comic, and he had a, a pretty major show. For a while, he was at the Flamingo. And he was fired from the Flamingo in 2015 when it was revealed that he owed a lot of money in gambling debts and that he was getting people to loan him money that he would meet like fans of his show. He would get to loan him money. He would believe that he's good for it. You know, why not? He's like a headlining comedian at the Flamingo. You know, how could he think he's not good for a few thousand bucks? So he did this to a lot of people, allegedly, and it got back to the Flamingo, and in 2015, they fired him. Uh, he was actually in that infamous documentary called Poker Bust Outs. So you, you think of a guy who was in Poker Bust Outs that you know that he's not someone that you'd want to loan money to. But I guess a lot of people don't know that. They just see that Vinny is uh, a comedian there in Vegas, a successful one, and why why wouldn't you loan him money? So what would happen is... People would meet him after the show. So you'll watch his show and like his show, and uh, think he's a funny guy. And you say, "Oh, he's got a show at the Flamingo. He's doing pretty well." And then he gives you some story about how he just doesn't have the, doesn't have money on him right now, and can you just loan it to him? Yeah, you know, he'll get you back. And he seems like such a nice guy. He wants to be your friend. And you think, "Okay, cool. You know, kind of a, like a Vegas celebrity he wants to borrow money from me." Yeah, sure. I mean, he makes a lot of money. Of course, of course, uh, of course, the guy, the the comedian at the Flamingo. He's not going to stiff me for a few thousand bucks. That doesn't make any sense. He's going to be making way more than that. Well, he, he might stiff you if he's doing this to a lot of different people to cover gambling debts. In 2017, he got a job at the Westlake to be their comedian. No, the Westgate, not the Westlake. The Westgate, which is the former uh, Las Vegas Hilton. He got a job there. And that was despite the fact that he had the bad reputation for all of the scamming. I don't know how long he was at the Westgate. I don't know if they fired him because of these scamming accusations. So you got to think that they were aware of them, given how he ended at the Flamingo. That was pretty public at the time. But he, he, got, he started there... In February 2017. And let's see here. Where is he right now? Is he still there? He has a show. Let's see where his show currently is. Oh no, I I think he doesn't have a show at the moment. It says no performance dates. It says, well, I don't know, it says West. It says Westgate, so I don't know, maybe he's just not performing right now. 
I may be looking at an old site. But I guess he was at the Westgate a while and may even still be there. Uh, I'm trying to Google Vinny Favorito Westgate. And I'm not sure. Let's see. No, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to bother researching this. I should have done it before the show. I just I forgot about the Westgate part. Anyway, th- th- that was two and a half years ago when he went to the Westgate. The reason he's back in the news, at least back in our news, is that Poker Night America tweeted out on August 10th, Hey Pittsburgh, Celebrity Home Game Episode 1, Pro Football Night is airing on, on the Point Channel 22 WPNT at 10 p.m. with, and then he lists they listed a bunch of people that are going to be at this poker game. Well, one of the people at this poker game at Poker Night in America is Vinny Favorito. Now, I guess that's good for Poker Night in America that they get a fairly well-known comedian to be on their show. But it's kind of bad optics, if you want to use that word again. I guess I'll steal that word from Phil Galfond which he stole from like three years ago. But I think it's bad optics to have someone with these accusations hanging over him in the poker community on a poker show, even if the general public would like him to be on, if there's these scamming accusations against him often related to poker, that it's probably someone you want to stay away from. I don't know if Poker Night in America knew this when they selected to have him on. So... A guy named Matt Mercurio, who knows the Hanson kid, was very unhappy to see this because Matt alleges that Vinny stole 5K from him and just won't pay him back. And he brought my attention to this and said, hey, I was told that you'll be interested in this story. And I said, yeah, I am. I admit this is a bizarre choice to have Vinny on Poker Night in America. Has Vinny paid back people he owes yet? So I thought maybe Vinny finally made it right. So then Matt says back, no, he owes me 5K, and he owes many others. Also, he scammed a bunch of people in the New Hampshire and Boston area, and I heard he just took off. If you want to follow Matt, by the way, he's iStackU, that's iStack and the letter U on Twitter. Matt Mercurio. This, This is a public conversation I'm reading, by the way. And then Matt posted an IOU, which you can see if you go to PokerFraudAlert.com and the Scam Scandals and Shadiness form, you can look in the thread about Vinny Favorito. You can go to the uh, first page of the thread and scroll down a bit, and you'll see an IOU that Matt posted on Twitter that I reposted on the forum. It's written on a piece of notebook paper where it says, I, Vinny Favorito, am getting a loan from Matt Mercurio for $5,000 to be repaid 17th of February, and today's date is February 6th. And this is uh, 2015, by the way. (laughs) This is not 2019. And then Matt attached the, the ticket stub for Vinny's show, dated February 5th, 2015. 
So Matt saw the show on February 5th, 2015, and claims that afterwards that he got to know Vinny, and that Vinny took a loan from him for $5,000, and they wrote this on a piece of notebook paper, and Vinny signed it. It looks like probably is really Vinny's signature. I mean, I'd be shocked if this were fabricated. First of all, the Hanson kid knows this guy, and the Hanson kid trusts him. So I, I, I can't imagine that Matt Mercurio was making this up and forged Vinny's signature. I mean, this has got to be real. I don't have proof, but it's got to be real. I, I would be absolutely shocked if this were not real, especially given the stories that have been out about Vinny Favorito. So he's been waiting for four and a half years and hasn't gotten paid anything yet. Matt says he knows somebody else that would like to come on and talk about this. They both want to come on and talk about this on the show and call out Vinny Favorito, something I've been looking to do for the last four years, but have been unable to get anyone to come on. However, this could not happen tonight because it turned out Matt has a flight tonight. He was on an airplane while this show was going, so he was unable to come on. We may have him on next week. If not, we'll have him on sometime in the month of September 2019. And we will get to the bottom of this. And Matt can tell you all his story in his own words. So look forward to that. I'm only doing this segment on this show because there was this development where that IOU was posted, which I think is interesting, which you can go see for yourself. People have said that Vinny is a fish at the poker table, and that's where a lot of his debt is coming from, that he just is a crappy poker player and just loses constantly. I mean, he seems to just have a big gambling problem, and this becomes an issue. Sometimes you have these celebrities who shoot off all their money gambling, and then they just start borrowing from ordinary people who are impressed that the celebrity wants to befriend them and thinks, well, hey, this person, they're doing well. Of course I can trust them. I'm not going to, a celebrity is not going to cheat me out of $5,000. Well, yes, they might. <laughs> so so you got to watch out. Just because someone's famous and seems to be making good money doesn't mean that they are not tremendously in debt and that they may stiff you. In general, it's best to stay away from these issues, especially if this person just seems to want to befriend you too badly. If they want to really warm up to you, some celebrity just really wants to be your friend, and then, hey, you know, I just I just don't have the money with me right now, or I just had a bad streak in blackjack. Can you just front me $5,000? Of course I've got it. I'll give it to you within a few days. Just uh, I just don't have it on me right now. You might have to think, maybe that's why they want to be my friend. And you have to say no. Even if you just want to make an excuse, you don't want to be rude about it. You can just say, you know, no, I don't ever loan money to anybody. Or, uh, no, I I don't have the money on me right now. Or, no, I'm about to go play high stakes blackjack myself and I need every bit I brought here. Whatever. I usually just say I don't have it. Or if it's a complete stranger, then I just keep walking. I just ignore him. Uh, but yeah, be, be aware of that scam. Just because they're 
a celebrity just because they're a well-known poker player. No matter you know, who they are, just don't loan money to them. It may not be what it appears. An America's card room player is afraid that maybe America's card room is scamming him because they don't seem to want to let him cash out without doing something very unusual. And this is concerning this particular player and is concerning people in the poker community. So listen to this story and see what you think about this. And I'll tell you what I think about this. Because my opinion of this might actually be different than your opinion. A person named Connor Beresford, who I don't know, tweeted out on September 8th, 2019 at Winning Poker Network CEO at ACR Poker. Can you explain exactly what's going on here? I sent in my ID yesterday as requested after I had requested a withdrawal, and this was next. How can this be right? And he included a screenshot of an email from America's Card Room. And listen to this. Hello, Connor. We appreciate your cooperation. The final step of our investigation will be having you recording a session in our site... The purpose of the video is to ensure that you're able to reproduce a session whilst being observed. Your account will be unblocked for 48 hours. You can record a session with the following requirements. Now, make sure to understand here, his account was already blocked. He already had his account suspended. So saying he's gonna, they're going to unblock him for 48 hours so he can video a session with the following requirements. One, your face must be visible holding a recent ID. At the beginning of your session, please give a quick look at the camera as well, stating your user ID. Two, during your play at the tables, the recording must be of sufficient quality to see and track the activities that are taking place in your desktop. Please do not record vertical video or embed files in ZIP or RAR files, as this will further delay our inspection. Three, in addition, the, the recording must capture your surrounding environment, including your monitor, keyboard, mouse, and movement of your hands. Please use the following image as an example. They show the, they, they're actually showing uh, an example if you click on it, which I can't click on because... Uh, this is a screenshot of the email, but it's uh, uh, it's, it's just showing what it would look like with him doing this. Number five, audio must be included in the video. Music, if present, should, shouldn't interfere with the normal environment or mouse and click sounds. Six, please record a 360 degree of your surroundings prior to the start of your recorded session. Seven, the poker client must be opened by yourself at the beginning of the session. That means it can't just be sitting there. You, they actually have to open it. Eighth, this session must be at least 90 minutes long. If you're unable to record a single video, you may split it into two videos as well. Nine, once done, please upload the video using Google Drive or Google Dropbox. We will uh, largely leave this up to you. It's important that your playing session is conducted in the same manner as one of your typical sessions as your tendencies will be contrasted with your regular play. If using Google Drive, learn how to use it, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so this outrage a lot of people because this sounds like they're making him jump through a million hoops just to get his money. And a lot of people jumped on this and said this is horrible. How could America's card room be doing this? Well, let's hold on for a second here. First of all, his account was suspended. Second, 
they're saying to get unsuspended, you need to do this. This isn't quite the same as a cash-out request. He is trying to cash out, but they're saying to get unsuspended, this is what you need to do. He said that uh, uh, he's requested a withdrawal, and this is what triggered this, which, you know, maybe I believe and maybe I don't. But what they're trying to do is see that he is playing on his own account, that no one else is using his account, so he's not multi-accounting, and that he's not using bots. And that he's not connecting to others to play on his machine through something like TeamViewer. So they're like, we want to see everything. You have to do a 360-degree view of the room, showing that nobody's in here. Once, not constantly, but once. You've got to have the camera on your hand movements and your screen. Have them both on there so we can see that you're actually the one moving the mouse. And play your normal play style. Play, play at least 90 minutes. At the beginning, we've got to see your face, and you've got to state your user ID. So basically, what we want to see you actually play a 90-minute session on our site, and then we're going to compare your play style with the play style we saw when we weren't recording you. Or when you're not recording yourself. We're going to compare it with your play style that you've had up until now. And if they are too different then you're not getting your money and you're not getting unsuspended. And the point of this is they know that somebody could not emulate a bot very well if they're trying if they if they were botting and then they're told, "Hey, now play by yourself and show us you play the same way." It would be too hard to emulate that. And if if someone would else someone else was using his account, that this would also be difficult for him to emulate someone else's play style. So if he can't basically play the same way as the way his account has been playing thus far, then obviously it wasn't him on the account. He has violated the terms of service, and they're going to close his account and not pay him. Well, you can't come down on ACR for not doing anything about the obvious bots on there. We've covered those topics here where there are a lot of bots on ACR. In fact, there was that one that glitched that one time that allowed someone to win a tournament easily because the bot was glitching. And then they found out that it was part of this botting ring and they they closed it. I think it was like a Latvian botting ring or something. If they're going to clamp down on bots, this is exactly what they need to do. Now, sometimes it can end up being a false positive, a false negative. Or false positive, actually, not false negative. Uh, It could be a false positive as far as the belief that he's botting when he could just be totally innocent. And now they're, I mean, I'd kind of be pissed if I went to go withdraw and they're like, hey, so Todd, we want to see this whole like 90 minute recording of your session with a 360 degree of the view of the room. And and then my my stats have to match my other stats. And now I've got to be self-conscious about that. Like I I can see how that's very unnerving and to know your, your balance hangs on the opinion of, of someone at the site of whether you're playing the same style with his objective. But at the same time, if they really are suspecting botting from that person, as long as they're not going overboard with demanding this out of too many innocent people, then this is reasonable. And in fact, Poker Stars used to do this. Years ago, Poker Stars did this, where they close accounts and say you can only get it opened if you will play on camera and basically show us all the same things. So if they're really just clamping down on botting, then this is fine, even if they get the occasional one wrong. It sucks to be the guy who's wrongly suspected, but as long as this doesn't happen too often, 
then at least you can give them credit for trying. And keep in mind, there's no justice system which is perfect. I can tell you that, look at criminal justice in the U.S. and all other countries. There are sometimes innocent people who are wrongly convicted. And that's a bad thing. And there should be a goal to reduce that, but you can never completely eliminate it. There will be the occasional wrongful conviction. But when you have a minimal number of wrongful convictions and the rest of the convictions are for people who really did commit the crimes, then your criminal justice system is working well, provided that there's also not a lot of people getting away with the crimes. So I'm actually glad to see this. Now, if we start hearing a lot of reports like this, especially from people that we know are unlikely to be using bots. See, I don't know who Connor Beresford is. I see that he is followed by some people that I know. That doesn't mean anything, though. It could just be over this they're following him. Uh, He's supposedly from Amsterdam. Uh, Let me see if he has uh, what results he has live. But just because he has results live doesn't mean that... He's not botting, too. So he does have some results live. He has a million dollars worth of catches live. So he does seem to be a good player from everything I'm looking at here. But again, sometimes good players still use bots. Sometimes good players multi-account. This might be more of a case of multi-accounting than botting. Who knows? Sometimes multi-accounting can be effective because uh, it can throw off your opponents about your play style. Maybe you think your opponents are getting too much of a read on your style and you want to share it with your friends so they confuse them. So who knows? Who knows? Who knows if maybe, despite his apparent success in tournaments, maybe he's still down in tournaments because of all the buy-ins. Maybe he's lost the money in other places. There's just a lot of possibilities. Now, I'm not saying he's guilty. But I'm saying until we know that this is happening to a lot of people and all of them are innocent or most of them are innocent, then I can't fault ACR for this, even if they're getting this one wrong. So I have no opinion at the moment of whether he's guilty of anything, but this doesn't really bother me. In fact, in a way, I'm happy to see it. It means they're trying. A lot of people didn't feel the same way, but I think you've got to look at it from the, the other angle. If, if they just want to do nothing about multi-accounting and bots, then we're going to have the same problems that Chicago Joe has been complaining about. Bart Hansen has revealed a secret, a secret that few people in poker knew. Calwatt knew because he's good friends with him, but I will tell you I never knew about this, but it was because of me that this was revealed at all. I posted on my Twitter that I almost appeared on a show called Married by America. Married by America was a crappy show that appeared briefly on Fox in early 2003. And I'll let you listen to the intro.
singles have agreed to let you choose them a mate to marry. Sight unseen, it's the series premiere of Married by America. From Los Angeles, the most controversial relationship experiment ever tried on television. You put two people together, and they commit to marriage. Sight unseen. Can arranged marriages work? Welcome to Married by America. Here's your host, Sean Valentine. Hi. Good evening, everybody. I'm Sean Valentine. Well, here we go. We're actually going to do this thing. Tonight is the beginning of a bold new experiment in matrimony. Now, we found five people who are going to allow you, America, to decide who their husband or wife will be. But they're not tying the knot with a longtime girlfriend or boyfriend. Oh, no, 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 no. They're actually going to commit to marry someone they've never even met. But wait, it actually gets better than that. Tonight's pairings are in your hands. These unions will be entirely arranged by you, the American public. I mean, who knows? Come on. All right, that sounds very t- early 2000s, doesn't it? Like there, there are so many crap shows like this in the early 2000s about like centered around marriage and remember who wants to marry a multimillionaire that fiasco. So this one, I had the fast track to be on there. They said you have five different couples here, you have five guys, five girls. I I don't really know how the whole structure of the show worked because I didn't watch it. And when I was invited to be on it, it didn't even have a name yet and it hadn't been filmed yet. This thing only went a few episodes before. I don't even know if it even got far enough to where you got to see who ended up getting married. But what happened with me, and then I'll get to what happened with the Hanson kid, and I, I'm sure I've told this story before, but and, and I mentioned at the beginning of the show too, so I won't go too long into my own story. But what happened with me was that I, I went to an audition for the new Card Sharks in 2001 with Ken Scaler, and we both got selected. And I, I realized early on, and I'm going to give you th- this advice too if you're going to ever try to be on a game show or anything like that, or a reality show, you've got to stand out. If you just go there and you just be your normal, boring self, they're never going to pick you. Even if you're like good-looking, they're, they're not going to pick you. You have to stand out in some way. I mean, I guess if you're like a really hot young girl, they might pick you. But, if, but for most of us, especially dudes, they're not going to pick you unless you're interesting. So you've got to find a way to stand out. Ken Scaler stands out just being Ken Scaler. But for me to stand out, I, I had to do things that I thought would would stand out and take some chances that maybe I'll say something that they, they won't like, but you, you've got to get noticed in some way. So during the tryouts, which are open tryouts for card sharks, I I remember like they played videos in the room and then like everybody in the room, they went around there and had people comment on what they thought of the video, what they thought of the people in the video. So uh, most people in the room didn't get it. They didn't get the point of this was to stand out. So most were like, so what did you think of the girl in this video? Well, she seemed pretty nice, and, and she seemed like you know she cared a lot about what the guy in the video thought of her. Like, oh, no, that's not going to work. So I, when it came to me, I insulted the people in the video. I, I made fun of all the people in the video. And people kind of laughed, and they were kind of shocked. And But it worked because... When the whole thing was over, I stood out and I was selected to be on the show. Ken Scaler was selected to be on the show as well, and we were at the same tryout. We were selected to be on different episodes. Unfortunately, the air date for Card Sharks 
was September 17th, 2001. You notice anything wrong with that date? Six days after 9-11. So this new card sharks didn't work out. It was getting preempted all the time. Nobody wanted to watch game shows after 9-11 happened. It was a disaster. So it got canceled pretty quickly, and we never even got our episodes filmed. But we were in the database for this company that was casting. It was a casting company that was hired to get people on game shows for this uh for, you know, various game shows would hire a casting company, which was, I guess, standard practice at the time, and I think still is, where they wouldn't be holding their own tryouts. They would have a casting company do it for them. So we were in the database of the casting company, which was actually pretty valuable because Ken Scaler and I actually got noticed by Hollywood, not by like a major Hollywood producer, but we were noticed by a casting agency and we were noticed in the way that we were interesting characters and that they'll be looking for us to be on other things in the future. We don't have to we don't have to go to open tryouts anymore. Now we're in their database as people of interest, which is not that easy to do. We we kind of lucked into this without trying very hard. So shortly after the failure of Card Sharks, then I got a call from the casting agency again, same one, that offered me and also Ken to be on this new reality show called The Chamber which is like a, it was a ripoff of another show called The Chair, where they are trivia shows where you're answering questions while you're under some kind of like stressful, or s- scary circumstance, like a, like over a, a flame or something, it's, or, or in, in, in some tight space. I never even watched it. it. It hadn't existed yet. It was something, again, that they were just beginning to film. This was a closed audition. They only invited people from previous auditions or other people in their database they thought were a good fit for the show. So Ken got a call, I got a call. But we still had to beat the others who were called down for the closed audition. So we still were only going to be among the... If we made it, we'd be among the small percentage of people who were in that audition. So Ken and I actually were assigned to two different auditions. And uh, again, both of us made it. And again, Ken stood out just because he was Ken. And I stood out because I actually was willing to, again, I did it through insults. I, I insulted the producer when he came out because he came out insulting everybody. The, the producer came out and started just bashing everybody. He started just ripping on everybody in the room. And everybody in the room, they, they were all actors except for me. Everybody was an actor there that was trying to break in through game shows. And I was like the only non-actor in the whole room. And they were all afraid. They were afraid to piss the guy off. But I'm like, well, screw this. I'm, this isn't my profession. I, so I just insulted the guy right back. And I was the only one who did that. And that actually impressed him. And he told me that. I'm not just guessing. He actually told me that he was impressed by the fact that I was the only one willing to insult him back. And that he liked me. And that the only problem was my demographic. They had a ton of me already. They said that they're being around 30 and white and male, that uh, that's the hardest demographic to break through. That if I was like a hot chick who was 25, he'd 100% going to take me. So I, I kind of left feeling like, oh, I'm not going to be picked. But I was. I was picked there. And as, as I mentioned quickly to Ken at the beginning of the show, uh, Ken failed the psychological exam you needed to take because they're going to put you under all that stress. They wanted to make sure that people don't totally flip out. So he failed the psychological exam. And I never got to take it because when they called me to schedule it, I was in commerce and my phone had bad reception there. And I didn't get the message until like too late and – I didn't get to schedule it, and by the time we scheduled it, it was for episode seven, and guess what? This only lasted six episodes, so I never even got my episode taped. 
So again, we were selected, yet neither of us appeared on it. Um, then Ken had his phone disconnected for non-payment, so we didn't really realize it, but he they lost the ability to contact him. But they still had a way to contact me, so they called me about a show which they said is for people who really want to settle down. Uh, and they said, you know, it's a dating show for people who really want to settle down, and we mean like really, really settle down. And they told me to be airing on Fox in the spring of 2003. That's all they would tell me. And I, I, I kind of pictured it was going to be some kind of marriage show that they're, it's going to be something where I'm expected to marry at the end of it. And I go, this sounds ridiculous. I'm not going to, you know, yes, it'd be kind of fun to be on a show like that, but I, I no, I'm not going to get married from someone on, that I'm on TV with, like on the spot. It's, it's one thing if you meet someone through the show and you, you have a normal romance and at some point you decide, Marriage is the next step. Here, here you're supposed to marry, get married as part of the show. I knew that was going to be something having to do with it. So I, and also I had a girlfriend at the time, and so I, I didn't even want to fake it. Like I felt it would also be like disrespectful towards her, even if I'm going to fake it and not really get married. Like I, people would be watching it and say, you know, what about Miri? I thought they were together, and I, I just thought that it would be a bad look. So I said, forget the whole thing. I, I turned it down. And when Married by America appeared, I go, oh, that's what it was. That, that was the only show that fit that description. That was a marriage show that appeared. On Fox in the spring of 2003. So that was it. But they told me I had a fast track to be one of the people. It was, they were like, no, you're not trying out. We, we actually picked you from, from your past auditions. We actually, yeah, you've been picked. You're going to be on. So I said, uh, no, I, I'm passing on this one. Uh, then, unfortunately, I changed my phone number without thinking about how this would put me out of contact with them. And that was that for my short uh, but non-existent game show career. Which is too bad because they kept calling me. They they even called me for another one called Press Your Luck where I didn't make it. But they, this is my fourth thing with them, and uh, I, they would have kept calling. They even told me they're going to keep calling, but I, I changed my number because I changed cell phone service, and you couldn't port your number at the time, and that was that. So I, I guess I did tell you the whole story. <laughs> so I posted about this on Twitter. I didn't tell the whole story, but I posted the clip that I just played you guys. And I just did it because just one night I decided to mention this. Every so often I think about this. And I, every so often I think about, what could I have been on? Because I, I was actually in the database of a casting agency. Like, who knows? It could have gone beyond these shows. It could have gone beyond these stupid reality shows and game shows. It could, you know, Maybe they would have wanted to cast me for some role in, in some TV show or movie. I know I'd have to get... Uh, be, be part of the Screen, Screen Actors Guild for that. But uh, that could have joined. Like... Uh, this could have gone a lot of different directions, and I was kind of regretting that here I, they had me in there as like a character that they liked, and I couldn't find them again. I didn't know the name of the casting agency, so Ken and I were both annoyed that we lost contact with them because they liked both of us. But anyway, I, I posted about this on Twitter, and surprisingly, I got a response from Bart Hansen who revealed something similar about himself. Bart Hansen then said that he did not turn down his opportunity to be on a reality show in the early 2000s. And this was before Bart was known in poker, at least to my knowledge. I'm not sure when he started with poker or when he started to be like a known guy in poker, but I don't think it was 2003. I hadn't heard of him in 2003. I think I first heard of him around like 06 or 07. But uh, 
he appeared on a show called Anything for Love, which was also in 03, also on Fox. And this was a show about people who will do unusual things for their relationship. So this this episode he was on, episode 9, was... It had three parts to it. And he was in part 3. Part 1, which I'm not going to play you, was... Uh, a girl who had a boyfriend that dumped her and then she met a guy online and got to like him and just as that was progressing the previous boyfriend who dumped her said he made a big mistake and wanted her back and it was kind of her decision process of what she's going to do is she going to take back that other boyfriend or go with this new guy and spoiler alert she ended up staying with the previous boyfriend I actually thought it was a pretty boring segment The second one, which is a little more interesting, was a woman whose boyfriend simply wasn't asking her to marry him. And she was getting very frustrated that the relationship was going nowhere. And he was a big Dodgers fan. So the show arranged like a phony tour of Dodger Stadium where where he got to meet Mark Wahlberg, who was the host of the show. And they, they went around Dodger Stadium and he got to play catch in Dodger Stadium on the field. So he's thinking like this is some kind of Dodger outing. I don't know how they... I don't know how they framed how he got it, but maybe they just claimed he wanted it or something. And then the gimmick was that they dressed his girlfriend up in a wedding dress, and she came out and basically asked him to marry her right on the spot right there in Dodger Stadium. Now, this wasn't during a Dodger game. There was nobody in the stadium. It was empty. But uh, he basically declined after kind of trying to convince her that this was too abrupt, and that was that. The third part of the episode was with Bart Hansen. Back to me before. And let me fast forward to that part. I'll play you the beginning of it, and you'll hear some facts about Bart Hansen that he never revealed to the poker community and had never told me before either. I'm not going to play you the whole thing. It's on the Poker Fraud Alert thread called Bart Hansen was on a reality show Anything for Love in 2003 it's in the Flying Stupidity Forum you can also search for it on YouTube Anything for Love Anything for Love Ep 9 and you can go to like the 15 minute mark we'll reveal a secret crush on a gorgeous co-worker in a segment we call Look at Me Now I was always the big kid since I remember it's his voice right kindergarten preschool elementary school it was just a constant kind of torment fat boy this fat boy that i had no contact with girls at all and they're showing a lot of pictures of bart when he was young from like very young to being like a teenager and and yeah he he was quite heavy high school i mean none whatsoever not a kiss on the lips not a hold of the hand nothing when i was at my biggest was at the end of high school, senior year. And I weighed about 325 pounds. Yeah, and, and he really did look pretty big in this picture. You can't see his whole body, but you can see his face. He has a big double chin. Like, like Bart really does look very heavy there. 325 pounds! The Hanson kid was 325 pounds. I didn't know this. Now, this is a long time ago. This is when he was 18. But, but that's also, like, the easiest time in your life to be thin. When I was 18, I had to struggle to gain weight. I, I was super thin in, in, when I was 18. If if I didn't consciously eat a lot and eat a lot of high-calorie stuff, I would actually lose weight. 
So at 18, he was 325 pounds. And at one point, he just decided... Uh, I, I think he lost some weight from then, but then then at some point, he decided, look, i got to make a major change, and he did a lot of things differently and lost a lot of weight. And you can see him there in this episode, which was now 16 years ago. And he looks he looks thinner in that episode than he does now. I'll be honest, Bart. I'll be honest that <laughs> you look thinner there than, than the last time I saw you in person. But so was I 16 years ago. 16 years ago, I probably weighed about 30 pounds less than I weigh today. So I'm there too. But I'm actually impressed that he went from 325, which obviously means that he's just naturally predisposed to being fat. And some people are. Some people just really lost the metabolism lottery. And even if they just eat a little bit, just gain so much weight. And it sucks. And there's a, there's, it's very hard to deal with. So the fact that he would get to 325 pounds by age 18 shows that there was something that was causing that. And the fact that he was able to overcome that, I was very impressed. I was very impressed that he was able to go from 325 to how he looked on the show. And on the show, he doesn't look fat at all. He looked good on the show. And and even today, you don't look at Bart Hansen and go, this is a fat guy. Like You, you don't. He doesn't look as thin as he was on the show, but he, he doesn't look – like you don't see Bart and go, yeah, oh, that fat guy. Like you don't think of that. So it, it, even at a later age where he's not young anymore, he's still keeping his weight at a reasonable level. So – yeah, good job to Bart. I actually have even more respect for Bart Hansen now. I met Tiffany three months ago, and I've had a crush on her ever since. I never had the guts to ask her out, and now I'm going to ask her out. I'm here because I really have to get over the fear of rejection, and putting it all out in the line like this is going to help me do that. You can watch the rest. I'm not going to play the whole thing here. There's only about like five minutes more, but I'm, you, it's better you watch it. So they have the they have this Tiffany who he had a crush on from work back in '03. They they brought her out there and said, "Hey, there's a guy who has a crush on you." And then they showed all these old pictures of him, and she's like, "Nope, don't know who he is. Nope, 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 nope," because he looks so different. She's like, "She's like, who is this fat guy who likes me?" And then Bart walks out. She's like, "Oh, it's Bart!" And then and then you can see what ends up happening when she when he asks her out because it's just because he lost a lot of weight doesn't mean she's interested in him. So you can find out by watching the episode if she ended up going out on a date with Bart. I will give you one piece of info here that either way they were not going to show the date. This was just a matter of whether she would accept it, and then it's up to the viewer to assume what happens from that point. So you, you can go find that. Just thought that was interesting. And he was apparently on other shows. He's been He actually is offering money to people to find... Other appearances he had, if someone found this one for anything for love, but I guess there's other appearances that are not as easy to find online, and he's actually offering money to people who can locate these appearances. He said he was on Hollywood Squares in the middle of March 2004, and he was actually a three-day champion of Hollywood Squares. He said the guests on there were the Coors Girls, Charo, Gilbert Gottfried, Lance Burton, and Eric Roberts. That's interesting. I can picture Gilbert Gottfried on there with him. This handsome kid, I'm tired of him winning every time. What is this guy's problem? 
I think it's time you let Gilbert win. He said he was on blind date, just like Ken Scaler, back kind of around the same time. He was on blind date in the summer of 2003, aired between fall 2003 and fall 2004. He thinks he was listed at the time as a bartender. And then some game show called Street Smarts I've never heard of. That's probably going to be the hardest one to find. Uh, it aired in early 2004, or like mid-2004, he thinks. Early to mid-2004. And he claimed he was up against a short, cute Latino girl. That's going to be a tough one to locate. That is going to be hard to find. But if you know how to find these shows, then uh, contact the Hanson kid and he's going to give you a reward. Uh, I think think he was... Yeah, he said he's going to pay $300 for each one. Whoever the first is to find it, though. If someone beats you to the punch, you won't get anything. But up to $900 available. You can contact him on Twitter at Bart Hansen, just without anything in between. Bart Hansen, B-A-R-T-H-A-N-S-O-N, if you can find any of those three appearances. So he's done four things, I guess. One of them has been found, the other four, the other three have not. So all within a short time, all between 03 04. Trader Ruski has left. So, Trader Ruski, thank you for being on. Is the rest of it is uh, on me here, as I thought might happen. That's interesting. It was around the same time when he was appearing on these things and when I could have, but something screwed it up every time. I kind of feel like one of those sitcom characters that like has the chance to be on some kind of life-changing thing and then something screws it up at the last minute so the show can remain the status quo. That's what it was for me. Like I, I just something was always stopping me. Couldn't quite get there. You know what else this happens? When I have sexual dreams, I never actually have sex in my dreams. Never. Something always interferes. We'll be like on the way and something will always stop it. My mind won't let me have sex in my dreams. So this is real life where some force was preventing me. Some force in the universe was preventing me from appearing on these shows. But Bart Hansen, he did not have that same force holding him back. And he was on four shows. I wonder if he was even in that same database I was. He was smart enough not to change his phone number. That's funny. All around the same time. All righty. Let's uh, see what else we got here. We've still got a number of topics here on our list. Let's see how many topics were scheduled for tonight. Oh, my God, such a long list. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 15 topics. Great. I don't know if I can take We've done, let's see, I think seven. That's lovely. Now, these are going to go faster than the first two, but still. All right, let's move on to the marriage. And this has uh, a little bit of extra Im- interest to me because uh, I was pretty deep in this event. But uh, the $1,500 Omaha 8 event 
put on some mood music here. Come on. There we are. Okay. Picture this. June, or actually late, maybe late May, 2019. Wait. Hold on. Hold on. Let's, let's start up again. I messed this whole thing up. Let's start again. Late May 2018, a young man named Todd Wittellis, a.k.a. Dan Druff, was there to play an Omaha 8 or better event, hoping to get his first cash in his life in something other than a Hold'em event, so people would stop calling him a one-dimensional poker player. Todd was happy when he started off well in the event, winning a lot of pots and fortunately being placed at tables with a bunch of fish who didn't know how to play 08 very well. Todd started to dream, what if I were to win a bracelet? What if my second bracelet were not to come in Limit Hold'em or No Limit Hold'em? What if it were to be in 08 and one of my first Omaha events of my life? And as Todd accumulated chips, the dream started to become closer and closer to reality. That maybe... Maybe here by the beginning of June 2018 that he would be an Omaha 8 or better bracelet winner. He kept playing pots. Some he lost, but many more he won. And then it happened. Yeah, um... This story isn't about me. This is actually about Kate Huang and Julianne Martini, who played that same event and continued doing well a lot longer than I did. Um, after about mid, early to midday two, I started to stall and uh, and wasn't winning pots anymore. I was splitting a lot of pots, so I wasn't busting, but I just, I wasn't scooping anything, so I was, I, I was just surviving for a long time, and sitting with a short stack for a long time. Not by choice, I was trying to make moves, I just, every time I kept chopping pots, sometimes where I was getting screwed, sometimes where I was screwing other people, but I was, I was chopping pots and just getting deeper and deeper, and, but noticing my stack was getting smaller and smaller compared to the average, and I knew that it was going to take a pretty big miracle for me to even final table the damn thing, even though I was getting fairly deep in the whole event and down to like the final 5% or so of the field. So, and this is limit 08, by the way. There were two people who were doing quite well, neither of whom I believe were at my table at any point in the event, and that was French player Julian Martini and Kate Huang, who I'm not sure... I think she's from the U.S., but uh, she's an Asian girl, a pretty Asian girl. Uh, you can tell she works out. She's kind of fit-looking, high-maintenance, dyed-her-hair blonde. One of these, like, hot Asian chicks you see in poker rooms and poker tournaments. There, there's, like, this subset of players that are these hot, very high-maintenance-looking Asian chicks who are also good at poker. And uh, she's one of them. I hadn't heard of her before, but I guess she's done well at other 08 tournaments before at the World Series and Final Table, like two or three of them. This is prior to this, so she's obviously a very good uh, 08 tournament player. 
I don't know much about Julian Martini. He's probably a good player, too. They got down to heads up in that event. And uh, there was a lot of attention on Kate Huang at the time, just because of her looks, because you know the, the hot Asian girl is down to heads up for a bracelet. She ended up losing to Julian Martini. And it was an interesting story, nonetheless, that the hot Asian girl almost won. But here, a year and a half later, there's more to the story. You see, they didn't previously know each other. But through their play heads up, and probably talking to each other on breaks or whatever, they got to know each other. And Kate liked Julian's European charm, and he liked the fact that she was a hot, fit, blonde Asian chick. And love was in the air at the Rio. And they started to date. They became a couple only because they made it heads up in a World Series event. And they continued dating for over a year until they decided, hey, it's time for us to go heads up in that tournament known as marriage. And they got engaged. And here we are today. Kate Huang and Julian Martini are married. No longer just engaged, no longer just dating, no longer just playing heads up. But now they're playing a different kind of heads up every day in the bedroom. I personally am touched by this story. And I think... What if Kate Huang just didn't run as well? And what if I ran better? What if I had made it heads up against Julian Martini? Is it possible that I would have thrown away my 46 years of of heterosexuality and decided to try a homosexual relationship? And maybe Julian would have as well. Now, it's true Julian looks somewhat younger than I am, but perhaps he was looking for an older American man in his life and didn't realize it yet. And maybe playing heads up with Julian could have resulted in a love affair that he currently has with Kate. And I've come to realize that Kate making second place instead of me not only cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars, it it may have cost me true love with Julian Martini. And in a way that makes me sad, but makes me happy at the same time for such a happy couple. And I said, you know what? Julian Martini is not the only good-looking European who's going to win a bracelet. And I will have other opportunities to make it to second place and lose to one of these good-looking European. And maybe my time just hasn't come yet to finish in second place and marry a European man. And you may have that dream as well. Perhaps you enter the World Series of Poker not to win a bracelet or to win hundreds of thousands of dollars or for the notoriety or the sense of accomplishment. Maybe you simply want to make it to second place. So the first, the person who finishes first not only takes your chips but takes your heart as well. And for those that say poker is a game 
that's nasty and exploitative and greedy and attracts the lowest of the low and the worst of the worst. This beautiful story. The story of winning when you lose. The story of first and second place really all being the same thing. And the story of additional benefits you might get from coming so close yet so far away to that bracelet. These will be on our mind forever. And so will Kate Huang. And so will Julian Martini. And I wish them so well. And what makes me so happy about this is that we have two players who are apparently successful at poker. So we don't have to worry about one trying to gold dig the other. We don't have to worry about this being a marriage of convenience. Of course, one may run bad and have to borrow from the other. One may shoot off the other's money. They might be totally incompatible and realize this soon and get a divorce. But we're out of music, so I'll end the segment. If anybody wants to call in, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, the number to the show. I bet you didn't expect that type of segment, did you? Well, here's something else I didn't expect. The Venetian has done something quite shady. <laughs> I mean, it's, this is obnoxious, what they've done here. This is really, really obnoxious, what the Venetian has done and this is breaking news. It was just brought to my attention minutes before the show. I really mean minutes. I prepare for this show in various ways. I spend the day before and the day of the show going through news stories in poker and gambling and try to figure out what's worthy of discussion. I try to educate myself on the topic. I bring up the appropriate articles I can refer to during the show. And then I uh, usually get my family dinner from somewhere. I'm not going to cook it, let's face it, but I, I get the, my family dinner from somewhere. And then we eat dinner, and then I feed the dog. And uh, I hook up the equipment. And then I realize something that... Since I just ate dinner about a half an hour prior, that often what happens is it's uh, time for me to use the facilities. <laughs> that's, not, that's not funny. Nature, you don't laugh at bathrooms. So come on. Sorry for blowing out your ear with that laughter also. It was, it was too loud. Too loud, I admit. I've, I've, I've corrected the problem. So... I was on the toilet again prior to the show starting. And I, I, this, this time at least I was smart enough to see it coming and I got on the toilet earlier so this way we didn't miss Calwatt. Okay, I learned my lesson from last week. But while I was on that toilet, there was a small silver lining and that was that somebody messaged me that this was going on. And uh, I looked it up and indeed... This was definitely worthy of being discussed on Poker Fraudler. So as I was on the toilet, I uh, prepared that topic as well in haste. But fortunately, there wasn't a lot I had to learn here. 
So I was able to do it very quickly and make it a topic of this week's show. So let's talk about the Venetian Lucky Shot Poker Series taking place from October 21st through October 27th, 2019. Now, the Venetian has had a poker room for many years. The Venetian, their poker room is generally well-liked. Sheldon Adelson is not well-liked because of his efforts against online poker. Many poker players hate him for that reason. I understand that. But the poker room itself has not met a lot of criticism. But this is pretty bad. They have guarantees. Like the first event... Monday, October 21st at 12 p.m. Event number one is a $250 buy-in, multi-flight, $150,000 guarantee event. Sounds pretty standard, right? There's four different flights. It's $250 buy-in. I don't know how many times you can rebuy, but whatever. They are guaranteeing $150,000. So that means if they don't get enough worth of buy-ins to make 150000 they pay 150000 anyway, as guarantees work. So why is this news? Why is this interesting? And how dare I call them shady? How dare I say such things about Mr. Adelson, though he didn't personally make this decision? But nonetheless, why am I daring to criticize this? Well, because you have to very carefully read the language. It says event number one, event name, $250, no limit hold'em, flight 1A, $150,000 total prize pool. What's wrong with that, right? $250, no limit hold'em, flight 1A, $150,000 total prize pool. What, 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 what? Total prize pool. What does total prize pool mean? Let's find out what total prize pool means. Go to the structure sheet of this event, where there's actually six starting flights from October 21st through October 26th. Day two, they all combine October 27th. And here is the important term where it says, term number nine, 100% of all funds collected will go to meet the 150000 total prize pool. Any funds collected beyond the total prize pool will be the sole property of the Venetian poker room? Wait a minute. Are they saying that if they get $300,000 worth of buy-ins, that it's still only going to be a $150,000 prize pool? Or what if this is spectacularly successful and they get a million dollars worth of buy-ins that the prize pool will still be $150,000? Is that possible? Could they really just be pocketing the rest? Anything above 150k in buy-ins, they just pocket? Could that really be? Yes. They have already made up the payouts. They are paying 81 places. Because it's a guarantee. And uh, actually, they're pay- that's not true. They- they're paying a maximum of 81 places. And it's going to be 150K. 150K is going to be split among whoever enters. 
And they're going to pay 81 places and that's it, or, or fewer. And that's it. If they collect more than 150K, then they keep it. Can you believe that? I, I had to read this twice to make sure I wasn't misunderstanding. I have never seen a guarantee like this. This isn't a guarantee. This is... This is really dirty. It's probably legal, but it's really dirty that they call it total instead of a guarantee. So they're guaranteeing on the low and high end that if they collect less than 150K, then they make it 150K and the players gain. If they collect more than 150K, then they keep it all. So every once they get to 150K, every person who buys in, they just pocket it. It's just another person to compete with. And having these additional people doesn't help the prize pool whatsoever. Let's see if there's even rebuys. Are there rebuys? How, how frustrating would it be if they've hit the 150K and you see people just keep rebuying? You're like, no, 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 no. The elimination doesn't matter because they just rebought in and it's not even going to the prize pool. Let's see. Are there rebuys? Um, it looks like... Let's see. Um, yes, registration and re-entry is allowed... For the first eight levels and through the break. Wow. So I think you can just keep rebuying as long as it's within the first eight levels. So can you imagine every time someone busts, once they're past that point, like on, let's say, day 1D, 1E, 1F, every time somebody re-enters, <laughs> provided they've reached the 150, then it's just money that does not go to the prize pool. And when you knock someone out, they're just right back there. They're out the money, but it doesn't help you. It doesn't help everybody else. Like normally when you're in a tournament, you see someone get knocked out, you think, okay, this is one fewer person I have to compete against. And even if the person goes and rebuys, you're like, okay, now the price pool just increased. Now if I cash, I get a little bit more money. No, not in this case. It helps you nothing to see someone knocked out, unless you knock them out and get their chips. But if someone else knocks the player out, uh, if it's already to the 150 level, then it actually doesn't help you. I guess it doesn't help you no matter what, now that I think of it, because it's always going to be 150, whether it's below it or above it. So yeah, I guess whenever someone busts and re-enters, then you haven't gained from it. That's crazy. But that's especially bad once they're past the 150 mark of collected buy-ins. That's just really, really shady, and it shouldn't be buried in the fine printed item number nine. It should be really clear. It shouldn't be called 150K total. It should be called like 150K flat price pool. That would get people's attention. 150K flat price pool. And then have it like clearly explained above it that all these price pools are flat regardless of how many entries they get. Here they're, they're kind of trying to get it by you without Without not saying it, they're kind of trying to sneak it by you, it looks like. That's really awful. I've never seen anything like this before. And I I hope you guys do not play this and do not support it. And if you go to the Venetian Poker Room, please tell them that you don't approve of this. Please tell them this is crappy. This is bad for poker. I, I can't even think of anything good about this. I mean, yeah, if they don't meet the guarantee, it's an overlay, but... Otherwise, I can't think of anything good about this because all it does, it's just frustrating for people to know who are entering later that their money's not going into the prize pool. It's just being pocketed. 
It's frustrating for those who are currently in it to see additional people entering, knowing that there will be no benefit to having these more people enter. This is so stupid. This is unethical, in my opinion. Unless they make it really, really, really clear. If they make it super clear before everybody buys in, then it's not unethical because then everybody knows what they're getting into. But they're not being really clear. Saying 150k total, even I had to look up what that meant. I've never heard of 150k total before. And I only knew to look, honestly, because someone said this is shady. So I'm okay, like, now I've got to look what they mean. That's really bad. Definitely do not ever support anything like this. Looking at the chat room, Sean Fanning's lip dick a few hours ago said, wow, I didn't realize uh, that Galfond was such a moron. I don't think he's a moron. I just think he's delusional and kind of in denial. Bad Guy 23 said, uh, what the fuck is Sam Sneed? Bitch cracked my aces to win the document. What the fuck my money draft? I want the $50 back. I think Bad Guy's saying he finished second. Interesting. He lost to Sam Sneed. Well, if that's true, congratulations to both of you. More to Sam Sneed than Bad Guy. All righty. Let's see if I got any texts here on 775-372-8355. This is from the 916. Two texts from him. Another great opening show song. You've been killing it with the classics lately. Good job. Referring to the Rockford Files I opened with. And uh, this week, the state of California passed AB5 that will change the way Uber and Lyft operate in California. It'll be interesting, but it'll eventually roll over into Nevada. I think he's talking about how they're going to become like I think they become employees in some way. I didn't really look into it yet. But yeah, I heard something about a law being passed in California about that. There's a a terrible law that just got passed in California, I believe, about rent control. Statewide rent control, where the most a landlord can raise the rent in one year is like inflation plus 5%. And... The reason that's bad is because rent-controlled apartments... Well, there's a few reasons why that's bad. And I don't want to go into too much of a tangent on a night. The show's already going to be long. But uh, first of all, it's going to screw the landlords who are currently undercharging rent and may want to charge market rates. So this takes away their ability to do that when they always thought they had that chance. But... Uh, the bigger problem is it, it doesn't really what, – what, what it creates here is this inequity where certain people have a right to live in an apartment or a house that is uh, – actually, I don't know if it covers houses, but apartments it does. To where they, they can live in an apartment where they are paying way less than market rate rent just because they've been in the same place for many years, and yet those who have to move around have to pay market rent. And it's just very arbitrary. Why do you deserve a great deal on rent that others don't get that's legislated? It's one thing if you find your own good deal. That's up to you. But if, if uh, why do you have a legal right to below market rent just because you've been living in the same place for a while? Why, why does the guy who gets a job 30 miles away or let's say 50 miles away and, and it's not 
practical to live 50 miles from where he he works in in bad LA traffic. Why should he get a worse deal on rent because he has to move closer to his job? Like it's just too arbitrary. It's 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 uh, rewarding certain people based upon the arbitrary standard of having lived in the same place for a while. I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it to where people don't get raised out of what they can afford, that the place they're currently living at can't become too expensive for them just because market rates for rents have gone up. But the problem, you, you, you can't do that without other undesirable side effects. That's one of the undesirable side effects. Another one is a lot of times rent-controlled apartment buildings will take on the value of whatever rent they're forced to, ha- to charge. So the landlord is not going to want to put much money into the place if it's not making much of a profit. If, if they're barely taking in any rent, thanks to rent control, then they're not going to spend much on the place and it's, uh, it's eventually going to become a slum. So there's a lot of problems I have with rent control. I understand why some people support it. I understand how frustrating it could be to be someone who doesn't have a lot of money and your landlord raises your rent beyond to what you can afford. And you think, I, you know, I wish there could be something done about this, but uh, it's pretty much like any expense in life. A, a lot of things change in price over your lifetime. And uh, that's just a fact of economics. And whenever there's attempted solutions to prevent that, it ends up causing all kinds of undesirable side effects and uh, arbitrary uh, arbitrary uh, assistance to certain people and not helping others where one doesn't deserve it more than the other. It's, it's like helping someone based on very, very arbitrary circumstances. It's almost like saying, well, if, if you have, uh, if you're left-handed, you, you get it. If you're right-handed, you don't. You'd say, what? That's stupid. Why, why should the government assist someone with left hand, left-handed, not someone who's right-handed? Like, it, it's, it's just as dumb as that. Like, just because you're living in the same place for a while, why does that guarantee you a lower than market value rent than someone who has to move around a few times? Why? Why are they any different? So anyway, I, I just read about that today. Someone on Facebook shared it with me. And I, I think I, I have a lot of different problems with the rent control. It's, it's one of these cases where the government is trying to do something good. They're trying to do something that is compassionate. And it just ends up making things worse. Sometimes you, but before just taking what you think is a compassionate stance, you have to look at the whole picture and say, but what is this really accomplishing? And by the way, there's people I know who make a lot of money but are getting such a tremendous deal on their rent that they don't move. They, they're in a rent control place in a city that's like L.A. City has rent control for places that are built like 1977 or before. And some people are, are have been at the same place for 20, 30 years and they just don't want to move because they're getting a tremendous deal and it's just not worth it to move. And they can completely be able to afford something that uh, – is better and and pay market value for it, but they figure, why do it? I'm getting this tremendous deal here. Why would I leave? So it's, it's not even necessarily helping those who you think would need the help. Anyway, sorry for the tangent there. 
I haven't even read fully what that law is doing, but I read some about it. I already don't like it. And it's like statewide now. I'm not even sure when it takes effect. I, I just found out about this today. All right. Uh, from the 505, Poker Night America has guys like Elezra and Cantu in their lineup, so it's whatever. Yeah, good point. They do have some known scumbags in poker. So I guess Vinny Favorito fits right in. Like, I'm not super mad at Poker Night in America. I realize they're an entertainment show. And I realize they've had others on there who owe money. But this guy is kind of like going... He's allegedly, and I strongly believe that these allegations are true, going around soliciting these loans from just average people. Making them believe that a successful comedian can easily pay it back. I just, I just don't like ever glorifying someone like that. From the 507, you should prank call the Venetian and ask about this. Yeah, I thought about that. I just, that's not in the mood tonight. I'm just not, I think it's because I, like, I have so much to do on the show. I just don't feel like doing it. It's just, I just, I just feel like it's going to make everything go so late. Maybe next week. We, we have some time because it's still October 21st. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll hit him next week. Uh, from the 765, uh, this is a, this text is a train wreck. (laughs) It like came in different parts. It's like on eight different texts, but it's all jumbled. It's like, it's like a game of having to put the whole thing together. I I can't read this. It's, it's too hard to read. It's interesting. It's something about having to do with like loans and paying back. I was going to totally read it on air and, and answer, but. It's 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 all scrambled up. Okay, that's that's the text we've received tonight. You can text me anytime. Remember seven seven five three seven two eight three five five any time of the day or night, and I will respond to you. Uh, we have one more from the seven seven four. Is it true that Bang Brothers has put in a ten million dollar bid for naming rights to the Miami Heat Stadium? They will call it Bang Brothers Center or BBC for short. <laughs> I haven't heard about this. It'd be funny if they did. Bang Brothers is a porn site, but I don't think the Miami Heat would accept this anyway. I don't believe that they are required to uh, accept the bids. I haven't heard of this, though. All right, let's move on to the next topic here. Give you an update on Circus Circus University. Oh, we have a call. All right, second call. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, Drop. Yes. This is Mumbles. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Go on. Hello? Yeah, I can hear you. Hello. Okay, great. Hey, listen, I wanted to bring attention to the listeners a very important thread that I put on the forum. Yes. Because I'm looking for a lots of feedback, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a poll on which gift I should get Sonatine yes. to celebrate more than four years of dear friendship on the forum. Okay, yeah, I saw that. I saw the thread. Uh, so if you wanna, if you if you have the time, you can uh, you could read the poll question. If you can't get to it this week, maybe next week. Well, I, I, this is better left for the forum. Most people don't even understand what you're talking about. But, but just to tell people who are listening what he's referring to, there's a, 
Sonatine has been pretty harsh on Mumbles during his existence on the forum. Sonatine goes way back on these forums. Mumbles came around like four years ago, and uh, Sonatine's very harsh on him. So uh, for like the four-year anniversary of, of Mumbles posting here, he's he's offering to get a gift for Sonatine, who has previously expressed an interest in My Little Pony. And he, he posted different ponies that uh, the Sonatine may want for this uh, this anniversary. So he's uh, Mumbles is asking for people to go to this thread and and to to vote on this. Is, is that basically it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, that's a uh, everybody's been informed. You can find it in the flying stupidity portion of the forum. And and Sonatine himself, I don't believe, has commented on it yet. So we, we'll have to wait on that as well. All right. Well, listen. I'll let you go. Get back to the fun. Where are you driving right now, by the way? I know you're, you're a truck driver. Where, where are you oh, driving at the moment? I, I'm not driving. It sounds like. But you're I driving. am delivering in Rochester later today. Okay. How come it sounds like you're driving right now? Oh, it's because I'm just idling the engine. Okay. Sorry. Are you just like what? what but you're you're wait. You're you're just like parked somewhere where you sleep right now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just uh, idling the engine, keeping myself uh, cool. Has anyone so, ever attempted to like uh, break into your cab or screw with you when you're sleeping? I the weirdest thing I had actually was somebody jumped onto the back between on the catwalk of the tractor um, when I was uh, someplace in California, and I didn't know it. Uh, they had been bumped, trying to bum a ride uh, <laughs> down, you know, towards uh, Santa Monica. And uh, I didn't know this, but they jumped into that area. And when I slowed down to uh, to uh, pull over into a rest area, uh, they jumped out. <laughs> they like they rode with me for like a hundred miles. Wow! Uh, like I had no idea there was somebody back there. You know, there's actually been a worse version of this. There's been people who have climbed onto like the wheel base of the of airplanes of commercial airplanes in order to bum a ride there secretly and uh which is very dangerous so you imagine how you know how how high these airplanes go and, and how thin the air is and how cold it gets up there that uh, it's amazing that anyone could survive but there actually was a person who survived doing that yeah that's surprising they survived because it, it gets cold up there it gets really cold. But there, there has been a case. I did read of a case where some guy tried to sneak across the border um, by hiding up in the like the upper cowl of a truck, and they fell out, and got killed. Uh, yeah, not a good plan. Yeah, these these, these are yeah. always stupid things. But you know, people get away with it. A few, then they'll get away with it. And they'll go, okay, well, I'm going to do it again, and then eventually they're going to something's going to happen, and they're going to die or get seriously injured. But uh, yeah. Nobody's gotten to rob, you know, I've been approached to like people want to, they want money for, for quote unquote food or gas. And they're really just drug addicts looking for money. Yeah. And occasionally, uh, in the CD or truck stops, you know, you'll, you'll some lounge losers will, you know, some prostitutes will come bang on the door <laughs> and like wave at you, you know, if you want some business. Now, have I, the, 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 I know you call them lounge losers, but have, have the, the, Process, oh, lot lizards. Lot lizards, not yeah. lot lizards. Lot lizards. Have have any of them uh, that you've seen at these truck stops? Have any of them even been like semi-attractive, or are they all just really gross? Some of the younger ones, yeah. Uh, some of the younger ones are decent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some big girls, and there are some skinny girls, and there's some old ones. Yeah. So, 
I once felt bad for one who was looking to get a shower. And I used one of my free shower coupons. <laughs> and then the and then the woman at the desk at the truck stop scolded me, you know, for like giving a free shower to a somebody who quote unquote wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> that thing in life. Yeah, well, I, I have a, a human being, man. Well, I, have a feeling, I, I don't use them. I, 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 have a, I have a feeling she needed it. I have a feeling there were uh, things she, she things she needed to wash out. She probably needed it more than me. Yeah, I'm sure. I can go like three or four months without taking a shower. Yeah, is that true? Did you really go three months without taking a shower? I, I did, and the amazing thing was I didn't really smell much. I mean, that... I've gone into like dicks, and, and I, I wear these our Under Armour type you know, shirts, you know, these moisture-wicking shirts. Yes. And I use deodorant, and I wash my head and face, you know, regularly. And uh, and I don't get nobody, you know, you can sort of tell when somebody's like, when you're smelling bad, and they're like, they sort of do this like involuntary jerk backwards. Well, okay, but that's, if, you. well that's if you smell really, really bad or if you pass them in a way where it happens to like really get in their nose. But right. you, you could still smell a lot worse than you think. But you, it, it's hard for you to smell yourself that much. Uh, oh, absolutely. So but I, the, the bizarre thing, I mean, I had like uh, my landlady and my sister and like, no, he doesn't smell. It's like very strange. They say, take a shower anyways. <laughs> but why? Why did you go three months without showering? I don't understand. I just got lazy. But don't don't you have yeah, like don't I you start developing like, like like skin issues and things like that, and your hair gets super greasy where it's uncomfortable, and don't you have all well, that? No, that, that's because I, that's because I would wash my head in the sink. Did, did you? And at least... I keep my hair short. Okay. I keep it like buzz cut short. So. I mean, I guess, I guess that's, that's 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 a little bit more than than no showering because you are washing your head, but still, I, exactly. I, I mean, it, the it, funny it, thing is. When I was in grad school, I had a, a classmate of mine who would only shower every other day and would only use, like, one round of shampooing his hair every other day. And he, he developed this smell. And everybody in the office was complaining about it. But they didn't want to approach him about it because they didn't want to embarrass him. And I was the only person in the office who was, like, a good friend of his. So they asked me to tell him. And he told me the story. And he was, like, near broke, supporting his wife and a kid. And like a ridiculously small stipend, I said, "Dude, steal some soap from the bathroom." Or something. Well, I'm not understanding. Wait, he showered once every other day, and 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 like that's that's not that bad. So, what was the problem? It, it, the, the bizarre thing, he just wasn't washing his hair enough, oh. and it it stunk. You know, you you walk by him, and it's like, "Ooh, what's that smell?" And he sort of narrow it down to his head smells. So, oh, okay, I guess okay, some okay. people. Some people, you know, there was actually, I listened to a Radio Lab episode where the host of the lab, of Radio Lab had Neil deGrasse Tyson on. And Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, bragged that he, like, you know, five days before he started stinking. And they actually did, like, skin cultures of the bacteria. And the host and Neil deGrasse Tyson had different sets of bacteria on their skin. Uh-huh. You can actually have your own personal biome of bacteria that's different from other people. Great. And, and that, that may be what's going on with me. Because, you know, a few years ago when I would wear cotton, I 
polo shirts and whatnot. And if I went like a couple of days without changing, those things would just reek the high heaven. Yeah. Well, I, I, I still don't advise going the, the three months without showering. It, 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 that doesn't sound yeah, right I, to I, me. I do, I do do it more often. <laughs> well, how, how, how much do you do it now? I really don't want to. Say. Okay, well, that's, that's, he doesn't want to give. Uh, he doesn't want to give. He doesn't want to give more often than uh, every, But, but okay, I, I don't understand why you don't just do it. I mean, you, you, you're just driving around. Shouldn't it be refreshing to, to get in the shower at some point? You've been driving around all day. Well. Here's actually the kind of funny thing is about two years ago, I went to the doctor and he said I had some kind of foot fungus and I must have picked it up in the bathrooms, truck stops. So I started powdering my feet with, with a baby powder and, uh, you know, and, and, and not showering and my feet would stay dry. But if I go take a shower, I've got to wait for my feet to dry off, you know, before putting my socks on. Otherwise, I could, or I got to put that, some like a lotion you put on your feet, antifungal lotion. And uh, I said, screw it. I'm just going to change my, you know, change where these. It was just by accident. I just stopped uh, getting lazy. I said, oh, I'm not smelling. Nobody's complaining. Well, and, maybe, uh, maybe they are complaining. Well, you know, it was like, <laughs> they no. were probably maybe they were complaining, but I actually asked people, please be honest with me, tell me, do you smell anything? <laughs> like, and they were like looking at me like, why is this guy asking me this question? It's a bizarre guy. Okay, well, I, I wouldn't. But, uh, I, I would still advise uh, doing it more often than whatever you do. But, uh, in fact, Ken, <laughs> Ken, Ken Scaler, Ken Scaler had these. Now he also had the issues of wearing the same clothes too much without washing them. That, that was another big problem. But. <laughs> But uh, Ken Scaler, he would actually get some kind of like weird skin problems and other weird things that would come up that I, I was sure was from bad hygiene, like like things that just I forgot what they were. But I like I was like I never get these things. I go this got to be related to you not showering enough and you not uh, and especially you wearing the same clothes over and over without washing them. So uh, that's that, probably true. Yeah, I do change my clothes pretty regularly. So yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for the call, Mumbles, and this is. Uh, Interesting, right, well, listen, interesting discussion. I got to say, your show's been great. I love that little episode with the the uh, marriage marriage thing with the OA people. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed the segment. I, I, I got to see this feedback on that one. I was, uh, I'll, I'll see if people liked it or disliked it or whatever. It was, it was different though. I made sure to throw that in the middle. Just do something different. All right, man. Good luck. Have fun. Okay. Thank you, Mumbles. All right. So uh, moving on. I, I do give him credit, though, for making sure to call in between topics. Circus Circus University. Let's talk about that. How can we only get, like, we get, like, the phone calls on the nights when I have so much else to talk about. Circus Circus University, also known as uh, University of Nevada, Reno, if you remember from our previous episode about this, I think we did it a few weeks ago, they had to house some of their dorm students in Circus Circus because of a summertime explosion in a dorm that didn't hurt or kill anyone, to my knowledge, that pretty much destroyed the entire dorm, and they knew they could not rebuild it in time for this year's school year. So they had to find emergency housing for a lot of students, and the only thing available 
was a tower at Circus Circus, which is actually pretty close to University of Reno. I think it's like about 0.7 miles away. So students could ride their bikes there or walk there or whatever without it being too much trouble. Because it re- students are living in dorms so they could live on campus or at least close to campus. They, could, they couldn't put them 10 miles away. So there wasn't a lot of choice, and they ended up housing them at Circus Circus, which I have since dubbed Circus Circus University. At first, uh, this seems pretty ridiculous when you think about it, but once you think about it more, it actually isn't as bad as it really appeared in the first place. Uh, the building used for the dorm at Circus Circus is blocked off to where customers of Circus Circus can't access it. You need to access it through a, uh, a key card that they only give to the students. And it has a, a parking garage specific to the dorm students. So again, they don't have to park with the casino patrons. Uh, they've very carefully instructed the employees at Circus Circus to not let these students gamble if they're not 21, to be sure to aggressively ID them. And, and basically, they're, they're trying all they can to not make this a casino experience and make the best of it. Now, I did speak to a listener of this show who actually is a University of Nevada Reno student, actually one of our younger listeners, and he told me that he was not moved to University of Nevada, Reno. This guy's only 19 who was texting me. He said he wasn't moved to the Circus Circus University, but he has friends who were and that they were uh, trying to get out of it. So he was telling me that uh, the people he knew didn't want to go there. But it's possible a lot of that's just because it's not on campus. It's about uh, three-quarters of a mile away. Maybe they don't like that. But believe it or not, there are some people who requested to have the Circus Circus University dorm, which is dubbed Wolfpack Tower. That's what it's called, Wolfpack Tower. I I don't know if they are uh, naming that after the movie The the Hangover or what. I don't know why it's called Wolfpack, but the Wolfpack Tower is the dorm that's in Circus Circus. This is actually owned by Eldorado Resorts, which is going to own Caesars very soon. This is not the same ownership of Circus Circus in Vegas, which is owned by MGM. And the reason that some students actually want to go there and some who were not assigned to it have actually said, hey, can you transfer me? Can can I actually have a room at Circus Circus University and let someone else take my room who doesn't want to be there? The reason some people requested it is because there are some things about it that are better than the regular dorms. For example, every room has a private bathroom. Typical dorms, including the ones at University of Nevada, Reno, you do not have a private bathroom. Your room has no bathroom and you have to go down the hall to the public bathroom, which is very common for dorms. When I lived in the dorms about 30 years ago, that's exactly the way it was for me. And it did kind of suck. Yeah, there's public showers. I mean, there's separate stalls, but you're, it's public showers. Uh, if I wake up in the middle of the night and need to go to the bathroom, I've got to go down the hallway. I can't just you know walk out in my underwear and go to the bathroom like you do at home. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why it's much nicer to have a private bathroom, which I don't even have to 
go into further. So you get a private bathroom because hotel rooms have a private bathroom. So now you're getting basically a hotel instead of a dorm room, and the hotel can actually be nicer. Also, this this particular tower at Circus Circus University was recently renovated. So the rooms are not even old and beat up looking. They're older, but they're, they've been re- renovated, so they don't look like they're older. And the uh, the study center in the dorm is actually a former wedding chapel that has USB ports now. And apparently people like that. And some of them like the fact that the rooms have flat screen TVs already in them. Basically, they are, a lot of them are enjoying the fact that they're getting what's basically a Reno hotel room instead of a dorm. They also get uh, queen and king size beds instead of the little twin beds that they get often in, in bunk format in the dorms. Uh, they have a, a tighter security there than there is in the regular dorms, which some people like. The entire tower is non-smoking and also does not let, allow any gambling. So Shannon Ellis, vice president for student services at UNR, said, I don't want to mislead you. There were a handful that were just no way. That she means like what the student said, no way. But there was actually a better response to this than I expected. Of the 89 students who demanded to be transferred out of Circus Circus University, a.k.a. the Wolfpack Tower, only 59 of them decided they actually wanted to transfer out that 30 of those 89, once they saw it, said, hey, you know what? This is actually better. Never mind. I don't, It's a little bit further from campus, but this is better. Never mind. It sounded stupid, but it's actually good. This is one of those things that sounds a lot worse than it is. Now, what about the remaining 59 people who still wanted to be transferred to the regular dorm? Well, they accommodated 40 of them because... 40 students actually wanted out of the regular dorm and into Circus Circus University to where they just switched them. Currently, 19 students are still waiting to get out of Circus Circus University and into the regular dorms, but there are still students who are discovering the advantages of being in Circus Circus University and are asking, hey, you know, is there, can I still switch out? And they're saying yes. So it is expected that it's possible that those 19 students who are still on the list to be transferred out might be able to switch. Of course, there's a number of students, uh, a lot more than that. I, I think like uh, 400 students or so, or no, not more, 1,300 students, not 400, 1,300 students who were assigned to Circus Circus University, the Wolfpack Tower, and only 89 of them originally said they wanted out, and then only 59 wanted out once they saw it. It is 28 floors tall, and there's only one entrance in, same entrance out, and they actually closed an indoor pedestrian bridge connecting it to the casino. So you can no longer use that bridge to get to the casino or from the casino, and it has 24-hour tight security with a guard right there making sure that nobody enters who is not a student. 
uh, one of the students, uh, Kaylin Jabaley, weird name, J-B-E-L-E-I-L-Y, Kaylin Jabaley, that's her, <laughs> how do you have J-B, J-B, how do you even pronounce J-B? I guess it's Jabaley, or Jabaley, I don't know. She actually was a resident assistant, and she was supposed to be a resident assistant at one of the regular dorms, but then when she saw Circus Circus University, she said, you know what? I actually want to go there. She liked the queen-size beds. She liked uh, the flat-screen TV. And uh, not only that, some of the dorms there, the regular dorms are very old. One of them actually goes back to 1896. I'm sure they've renovated it some, but 1896? <laughs> so I guess this is great compared to something that was built in the 1800s. She said Every th- everybody's really excited. And she said the people are really stoked about the beds and the having your own bathroom thing. She lived in the door, the dorm that was damaged last year. And uh, she likes this a lot better. So maybe it's not that bad. And they actually had parent-teacher town hall meetings to explain the whole thing to nervous parents who have anxiety about the fact that their kids are going away to college only to be staying in a casino. They're trying to say, forget what it looks like. There's actually no connection to the casino, different parking lot. The regular guests of the casino can't even get into this lot. There's tight security. Nobody can get in there and bother them. They can't get in to gamble. We've disconnected the pedestrian bridge. Everything's cool. And You know, if I was a parent after... Thinking about it, I probably would be okay with it, provided that my kid didn't have an issue with uh, getting from the off-campus dorm to the campus. Like if 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 the, my kid hated the fact they had to walk or bike three quarters of a mile every day, I'd understand it. But uh, or yeah, you know, it's each way. But that's not that far, and they also have a shuttle that goes to and from the campus every 15 minutes. I don't know how, if it's 24 hours a day, but... And they also claim that the academic support and programming will be at least the same and possibly better than the other dorms, so they're not going to be giving up that as well. I think they're handling it pretty well, and they, they didn't have much of an option. This was really the only thing. This is the closest big building they had access to to move 1,300 students. Uh, I guess it was more than one dorm that was damaged to where they, they couldn't let people stay there. There was one dorm where there was an explosion, and then I think it damaged some others. So uh, They also had to quickly improvise there for some other things needed for the students. They had to uh, make a laundry room with 65 washers and dryers. They had to... Uh, make some lounges for the students to go, either to hang out or to do homework. And they also quickly fashioned a convenience store and coffee shop there. So it sounds like Circus Circus University actually isn't all that bad. I laughed at it, but now that I think of it, 
it actually is it's probably better than the dorm experience I had. I remember some things that sucked about living in the dorms, and some of these things sound better. When I was in the dorms, I was in the top bunk. I think I even have a picture. I found a picture recently, and I, I have it on my computer of the dorm room I lived in, which is nothing that exciting. It's just a dorm room, but it's your standard small dorm room. I had a roommate, and uh, we had bunk beds, but we weren't on top of each other. Uh, the bed goes above your desk. So I have a, had a bed sitting above my desk, and you climb a ladder to go in it. I was kind of paranoid that I'd roll off, because if you rolled off that bed, you could really get hurt, because you'd be falling like uh, seven feet and slamming on the, onto like the chair of the desk. You could really get hurt badly if you rolled off that bed. I was always kind of paranoid. There's a kind of a guard you can put there, so I, I made sure that was sturdy and that was blocking me enough, and I was always a little worried I was going to roll off, even though I don't really roll much when I sleep, so I kind of do that too. Uh, one thing, though, it was hard to oversleep because my alarm clock was on the desk, so I couldn't just like hit snooze or, or turn it off half asleep. I actually had to get up and climb all the way down this ladder, and then turn it off. So that pretty much made sure I'd wake up for class. But, yeah, I kind of didn't like the community bathroom. And we had no TV. And uh, it was just basically a room. It was a room with a desk for each of us, and that was it. And I had a phone, too. So, anyway, moving on. Just wanted to give that update on Circus Circus University. Some people have been interested in this. I've had people texting me, hey, what, what happened to Circus Circus University? What's going on there? So I go, okay, I will give you an update. We have, looks like, five more topics. Fortunately, none of them that long. In case you're listening in the archives, it's 2.47 in the morning right now. So the show has been going, and it started earlier than usual. It started, I actually got it started around like 8.35 or so, 8.37 maybe. So this show now has been going for six hours, and I'm not even that close to done. So this is going to be a long one. And I, I think the top, I think it even got longer because we had CalWatt, because there's more talking back and forth. It slows everything down, which, which I was happy to have. It was so nice to have him back. And I, I like having the interaction with him, and he always brings up a lot of good points, and he was a great one to have for the Phil Galfon topic because of his many years of experience in software development. So, just a lot of stuff tonight. It's funny because I was like, when I was preparing the show yesterday and today, I actually thought, hmm, I wonder if this is going to be kind of a light week. And then I just kept adding up, adding up, adding, adding, adding. I just kept adding more, 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 more. I'm like, oh, wow. this is Somehow this became, uh, in a week, we got 15 topics. I don't know how that happened. Some week, like last week was pretty light. Okay, so I, I've got to take a little break here. I know Cal Watts was impressed that I can talk all these hours on end, but at some point I need a little break, so I'm going to play the Eric Benzamokin commercial. Thank you to Eric for the free roll money tonight. Thank you for your legal expertise tonight. Always appreciate it. Good friend of the show, and, and he's become a, a real-life friend to me as well. So uh, glad to have his uh, participation. And I'm going to play his ad. And take a little break and try to refresh my throat. And we will be right back. And uh, hopefully I can return uh, by the time the ad has completed. 
If not, you'll have to listen to dead air a bit. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. We are back, and uh, we're going to move on to the next topic here, which is a Vegas topic. We're going to go into two Vegas topics, then... uh, other casino topics and then we'll be done so drinks in vegas you may think that uh drinks are always free in vegas if you only drink while you gamble but the truth is a lot of people are paying for their drinks in vegas and when you pay for your drinks in vegas it's getting more and more expensive for you to do so so let's say you're going to a bar or uh, a restaurant, whatever. I, I don't know if all restaurants do this. But like, like, let's, let's just take bars, for example. If you uh, go to these places now, and it's not all hotels by any means, but uh, there are now fees being added to bills at restaurants and at bars. What fee am I talking about? 
It's a new thing called a venue fee. A recent guest at Park MGM, which of course is an MGM property, was surprised to see that there is a weird $1.90 service charge on his $38 bill for the drinks he ordered. And he did not understand why there is this 5% surcharge. So he posted it to social media and somebody else who noticed they got the same charge emailed MGM Resorts. And the response was, the charge you're seeing is a venue fee. It's not only applied for the table service, but for bar service as well, and is being applied to every check in the venue. So everything in Park MGM is now charging this 5% service fee, now known as a venue fee. The crappy thing here is that they are not giving this to the servers. You're not, you might think a, a service fee is something that would go to the people serving you. No, that's why they're calling it a venue fee. The response also stated, this fee is applied to all things to keep the venue operationally running, like the gaming maintenance for all bar top games, Wi-Fi, and lounge maintenance. I would think that the gaming maintenance comes from the money they make from the games. Wouldn't you think so? What do you think if uh, these bar top video poker machines, wouldn't you think that the cost of maintaining them is covered by the money that gets lost in those machines, which usually don't have very good pay tables anyway? That's such a stupid thing. I, I hate when they say that this charge is going towards such and such. and they, It's just like so arbitrary. They just pick random expenses they have and say, oh, well, it's paying for this. No, it's not. It's just it's just going towards your bottom line, of which you have some expenses that go against your earnings. It's not specifically helping pay for maintenance and uh, of, of the games and of Wi-Fi. It's so stupid. It's just they've got to find something to justify it instead of just we're trying to make more money. What I don't understand is why they don't just increase the price by 5%. That would get people much less outraged than seeing this obnoxious fee. The reason they charge resort fees, which are kind of similar, a mandatory fee, is because they're trying to hide the true price on search engines. So this way, when you're searching for a hotel room, the hotel room seems cheaper than it's actually going to be because of the mandatory resort fee that's not listed until you actually start the booking process. And in the search process, it only shows you the base price without the resort fee. And they all do this. And if they don't all do this, then the ones that don't do it show up much lower in the list and they appear to be more expensive when they're not. So it's kind of like a vicious cycle. But with this, there's no reason to do so because – There is no search engine for bars and restaurants. People just go and they order what they want. And if it's expensive, they don't order it. And if it's not expensive, they do order it. And and 5% isn't going to typically make the difference. So why not just increase the price of the drinks 5% and and not piss people off? This is just one of those things where the... The hike in price would be much less offensive to the typical 
tourist or visitor than a separate fee. Especially because visitors to Vegas already have a fee fatigue. There's now parking fees that there didn't used to be. There are resort fees that did not used to be there that are going up every single year. There's all kinds of other fees that people keep running into and, of course, all the different taxes they're running into, which the hotels can't control, but nevertheless are, again, on top of the base price, which turns something that seems to be a good deal into something very expensive. So why hit them with even more fees? Why make people think that everything you do in Vegas is going to be difficult to figure out how much it really costs? There's going to be tons of hidden fees that that smack you there. You, You just feel like you're being cheated when you see things like that. You feel like you're being misled and you don't want to come back. You just, you end up with a negative feeling about the whole thing that doesn't make you want to return. So it's stupid. They're overdoing the fees. Sometimes you just need to put it into the base price and that's that. Price is going up. It's a fact of life. It happens every year. That's that's what inflation is. People understand that. People are really, really getting sick of the fees in Vegas. So I think this is a mistake. I don't know who else is doing this venue fee besides MGM right now. And I don't know if every MGM property is doing it, but Park MGM is doing it. And hopefully this type of behavior stops or otherwise there's going to be a lot of anger. There's going to be a lot of anger about this if this continues in this fashion. In case you don't know what Park MGM is, it's the former Monte Carlo. So it is just a regular strip hotel. This is not some boutique hotel or or, or some timeshare converted to a hotel. This is just the Monte Carlo with a new name. So yeah, they're they're actually having the nerve to charge a 5% venue fee just to make extra money. Just a hidden price that's on there you can't take off. Pretty bad. Other Vegas news, the site of the 2017 mass shooting that was by the Mandalay Bay, the one committed by Stephen Paddock, that is going to be converted into a community center, of all things. But the plans to do so have not really been announced with a timetable. It's just been announced that it's going to happen. They, MGM, who owns the venue where uh, this occurred, they said that this is going to be turned into a community and athletic center with a public memorial for the 58 people who died that day. They said that one day it might host youth sporting events and possibly even become a practice facility for the Las Vegas Aces WNBA team. But that's only down the line. MGM statement about it said, we know that for many, 
The village property will forever be linked with the tragic, tragic loss of life that took place on October 1st. We will never forget the victims and all those impacted by that evening. As the second anniversary nears, we remain committed to being part of the community effort to continue the healing and move forward. But there are no dates for the project, and this does not stop them currently from using the site for a parking lot. And uh, the parking is going to be used for Allegiant Stadium, which is going to eventually be home for the NFL's uh, Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders. The people will be parking there until that community center is complete and uh, or, or until, I guess, the construction starts and they convert it. It's going to be a parking lot that's kind of overflow parking for the stadium until then. So it's kind of a weird plan. You don't really think of a community center being on the strip. A community center would typically be something that would be off the strip for people who live in Vegas. People who live in Vegas don't like to go to the strip, by the way. They they just generally don't enjoy it unless they're going there for something specific, like if they're going there for a nice dinner or if they're going there because they want to visit one of the big casinos or they're go, they're going for a show. That's one thing, but people who live in Vegas don't like to hang out on the Strip. It's it's too crowded. It is too uh, chaotic. It's too full of tourists. I mean, take this from someone who lived in Vegas for a number of years. Me. <laughs> I didn't like going to the Strip unless necessary. Unless I had a purpose to be there. And I much preferred going to locals' places. I didn't really have a use for a community center then, but if I did, I would have much preferred to go to a community center that was in a residential community, not right across from the Mandalay Bay. So that's, I, I don't know what the hell they're doing there. It's kind of weird, kind of a weird usage of that property. Maybe they're doing it because it just, would look bad to use it as a parking lot, even if they put a memorial there. It just kind of look weird. So maybe they're just trying to put something there they think benefits the community. I don't know. Kind of odd. But that's the plan. Kawhi Leonard's sister is in trouble. And for reasons that uh, you wouldn't expect, you wouldn't expect the, the crime I'm about to describe to be one that Kawhi Leonard's sister would have committed, but nevertheless, it looks like she did. A very brutal robbery and murder took place at the Pachanga Casino in Temecula, California. Temecula is between uh, Los Angeles and San Diego in uh, Riverside County. Pachanga is a, a fairly big Southern California casino. A murder took place in the bathroom there, and the victim of this murder, as often is in these type of things where someone is attacked at a casino or outside a casino, it was someone very elderly. For some, for whatever reason, these casino criminals like to go after the low-hanging fruit. 
They, they like to attack small women, and they like to attack very old people. And that's what happened here, except what was unusual about this one is that it was all women involved. So 35-year-old Kamisha Monet Williams and Candace Ty Townsay followed uh, Afar Anis Assad, who was 84 years old, into the women's restroom. And then they beat her, cracked her skull, and ran off with her purse. The whole thing was to steal her purse. I, why do they have to beat an 84-year-old to take her purse? And as Calwatt mentioned in the intro, Williams, Kamisha Williams, who turns out to be Kawhi Leonard's sister, in case you don't know, you probably do, but Kawhi Leonard is a, a very, very big NBA star. He was the star player on the Toronto Raptors who ended up winning the NBA championship in 2019. So this is his older sister, and she's very large. She's a very, very big, large woman, which isn't that surprising with a large brother who plays in the NBA. But does this gigantic woman need to beat down an 84-year-old to take her purse? Maybe she, they didn't want her getting up and calling for help, but uh, you'd think that, yeah, she, you know, they just put her on the ground gently and took the purse. Like the the process of the woman probably getting up and getting out of there, these women could get out fast. But yeah, they just they brutally attacked her, cracked her skull, and then ran off with her purse. And uh, the eighty four year old died of her injuries because uh, very old people when they take injuries like that they are not able to survive them as well as, as people who are younger. So it turned into a murder. They took her purse and beat her and she died. They probably were watching her because she did have some money on her. This old woman had, uh, what they said, between 800 and $1,200 in her purse. But, uh, what a stupid place to do it. There's casino, there's cameras all over the casino. I don't know what they think they're doing. So they, they somehow thought they'd get away with it. But no, they were identified somehow and they were arrested and they are currently charged with robbery and murder. Both of these women are, are very unattractive, by the way. Very unattractive. Uh, Kamisha Williams kind of just looks like this, like, Big manly woman. Just this very big, ugly, manly woman. And the other one, Candace uh, Ty Townsay, she just looks like a, like an ugly lesbian. It kind of looks like a dude. Like you can tell Kamisha Williams, which is, uh, that's Kawhi's sister. You can tell it's a woman. She's just like a big, ugly woman. The other one almost looks like a man. I don't know if they're lesbians. That would be a good question. They kind of look like it. They kind of look like they're lesbians, especially the other one. But uh, the Los Angeles Clippers have 
confirmed that yes, that is Kawhi William, uh, Kawhi Leonard's sister. Uh, the Kawhi moved from the Toronto Raptors to the Clippers in the off season. So the Clippers weren't thrilled about this, of course, that the sister of Kawhi Leonard, the star player, is a murderer. But what can they do? They, yeah, he it's only, he can't control his siblings, and unfortunately, he has a piece of shit for his sister. Kawhi Leonard himself, uh, he's been trouble-free as far as I know. There was some weirdness with him in San Antonio involving the way he handled his injuries and how he was getting pissed at San Antonio of, of, of uh, the way that they were wanting more information and wanting to know when he's going to play. And the, the, there was a lot of bad blood there, but none of this was like shady. It was just kind of weird. But other than that, I haven't really heard bad things about him or that he was a troublemaker. But boy, this sister... That's that's just awful to go beat up an old woman in the bathroom to take her purse and beat her so badly that she dies. Like that's that's the type of crap where people should get the death penalty. Like the, the, these type of people, they they don't belong in society. They don't even belong in prison for the rest of their lives. They, they followed an old lady, an 84-year-old lady, and beat her so badly that she died to get her damn purse. Two of them. It's, it's not enough that Kamisha Williams is like probably four times the weight of that old woman and 45 years younger. She's got to bring her friend or lesbian lover or whoever it was in there with her and they beat the woman together. What the hell? You could have easily overpowered her and taken her purse, and that's it. Then you'd just be facing a robbery charge. Why do this? Maybe the woman resisted, who knows? This is actually pretty uncommon. Something that women have over men is that they're just not as violent. They're not not as naturally violent. On the whole, these these two are obviously, but uh, the average woman is far less violent than the average man. The incidence of violence in women per capita versus men per capita is a tremendous difference. Women just don't tend to commit violent crime very often. It happens sometimes, but usually when they do, they're kind of going along with a husband or a boyfriend and they're just all doing it together. But for, for women on their own to just go like commit violent crime, it, it just doesn't happen that much. Similar with sexual offenses. It's almost all men. Similar with child molestations, especially little children. Sometimes you'll have the weird teacher who sleeps with their teenage students, which is wrong too, but like, like, the molesting of actual like little kids, very, very uncommon for women to do it. It's almost all men doing that sort of thing. So in those ways, women are better than men. But then you have these outliers like these two <laughs> who are actually uh, worse than a lot of the violent male criminals. 
Now, if they are lesbians, that'll be interesting in one way, and that is a statistic which you can verify if you Google it. There is an interesting statistic about domestic violence, that the demographic that has the most domestic violence per capita is lesbians. Lesbian relationships are more likely to have incidents of domestic violence than heterosexual relationships or gay male relationships. And that is a little bit strange when you look and see that in every other category, when it comes to violent crime, men are far worse than women. And also, typically the male half of the couple is much physically stronger than the female half of the couple. So there's also that advantage that the male has in a heterosexual couple to where he can commit domestic violence more easily and not worry as much about getting hurt when when committing it. So you would think, given that males are more violent and that there is a big difference typically in the ability to cause harm between the two, you'd think that the males would commit domestic violence more commonly against their female partners than lesbian partners would against each other. But that's not true. The lesbians do it more often. So I do wonder if uh, whatever in their brain causes these women to be lesbians rather than heterosexual, if there's something about their brains that's more in common with male brains and whatever factor that makes men more violent, lesbians have too. I'd actually like to see the violence statistics of lesbians per capita and compare that to the violence. I'm not talking about domestic violence. Even just look at overall violence. Like, I wonder if it would be a lot higher for lesbians compared to women who are straight or bisexual. And I, I haven't looked that up or if that stat even exists, but I do wonder if there is something that's just naturally different about lesbians that makes them more predisposed to violence the way same the same way men are. And it would kind of make sense because they have something in their brain that makes them attracted to women like men have. Anyway, pretty embarrassing for Kawhi Leonard. There's no word on whether or not he was in touch with his sister. You also might wonder why someone who makes so much money like Kawhi Leonard wouldn't be helping out his sister if she's dirt poor. But it's possible that she's just like a career criminal and he just uh, distanced himself from her a long time ago. It's just possible that he doesn't want anything to do with her. And she just happens to be his blood sister. Yeah, sometimes you just have a messed up relative that you just got to disown as, as much as it hurts. And it's easier to do that with a sibling than it is with parents, but there's people who even just won't talk to their parents. That they uh, they feel they have bad parents, their parents, parents didn't treat them well, either in childhood or adulthood, and they just uh, pretend like their parents don't exist. Sometimes parents who pretend their kids don't exist because their kids 
have done bad things and they, uh, or, or bad things to them or whatever. And they don't want anything to do with them anymore. I mean, it's sad. You really want to be there for your family, even if they're imperfect, even if they have some problems, but I, I can understand it. If someone's, uh, really, really, really a burden on your life and just can't get their act together, that at some point you do have to let them go. Pennsylvania had an auction. Pennsylvania has four different classes of casinos, and they were auctioning off a class four license. You may say, what is that? What, what is a class four license? Well, I will explain to you what a class four license is. They have four different classes or categories, not classes, categories of licenses in Pennsylvania. Category one are called racinos. This were, this was originally horse race tracks that were allowed to also exist as casinos because the horse race tracks were declining over the years. So these are called racinos. So in order to get a Category 1 license, you had to be a licensed uh, horse racing track prior to applying to become a racino. And they had to have live racing for at least two years. Live racing meaning that the racing is actually taking place on property. You're not just betting on racing going out on elsewhere. There are currently six Category 1 racinos in the state. Harris, Philadelphia. The Meadows Racetrack and Casino. The Mohegan Sun. Parks Casino. Hollywood Casino. And, uh, and uh, Presque Isle Downs. I haven't been to any of these, by the way, except for Harris, Philadelphia. I was there once. Or twice, actually. Category 2 are just regular casinos. There's four of these. Mount Airy Casino, Sands Casino Bethlehem, Rivers Casino Pittsburgh, and Sugar House Casino in Philadelphia. And they also have licensed uh, a fifth one recently that's going to show up in South Philadelphia. Usually, they're not allowed to have hotels on the property for whatever reason. I guess that's part of being Category 2. Resort casinos can have hotels on the properties. However, they can only have a maximum of 600 slot machines and 50 table games. They are the only category of casinos that can have hotels attached to the property. There's only two of them in Pennsylvania, Valley Forge and Lady Luck. And initially, what was kind of stupid was that to play in the casino, you had to either be a hotel guest or you had to pay a fee to get in. So you can't just show up there to gamble. But uh, then in 2017, it was changed to where the property could pay a fee uh, a one-time fee to remove that requirement. They only had to pay one million dollars. As you see, this is whole, this is a big money grab for the state. 
So they're like, hey, we'll let them remove that requirement if they pay a million bucks to the state. So that uh, was allowed. And then they could also get another 250 slot machines and 15 table games if they threw in another 2.5 million. Category four is what we're going to be talking about today. These casinos, which are sometimes called mini casinos, can have between 300 and 750 slot machines and up to 30 table games. And then after the first year of operation, they can have 40 table games. However, they must be 25 miles or more away from all of the category one, two, and three casinos and racinos. So, uh, it's kind of restrictive of where they can be. However, they, uh, originally got to get these first. So they, it was, it was kind of reversed to where they got to show up first and then build their casinos. And then afterwards the categories one, two, and three picked where they were. So it was actually kind of reversed that, uh, as far as that the other casinos had to stay away from them, but there's a new license that we're going to talk about now that, uh, was going to award one more license to a Category 4 casino. And there's a bidding process. And that's what we're going to be talking about today and something funny that happened. That's why we're talking about this topic at all. So, they were going to actually give away uh, not just uh, one, they are going to give up to five more licenses for Category 4 casinos. Now, again, they'd have to be at least uh, 25 miles away from existing Category 1, 2, and 3 casinos and also 15 miles or more away from another Category 4 casino that exists. And there are some cities in Pennsylvania that have opted out of casinos, and they can't be in those places either. It has to be in a place where it's allowed within Pennsylvania. And... In order to get one of these licenses, you had to start with a bid of a lot of money in order to even be considered. $100 billion! $7.5 million you'd have to pony up in order to be a starting bidder here. It's an auction format. But you couldn't even bid if you're not going to bid $7.5 million. And then they would give away up to five of these licenses for whoever the top five bidders were. And they, uh, in order to get the table games in your uh, category four casino, then the opening bid has to be 10 million instead of 7.5. 7.5 is just to get in the door and have slot machines. But if you want to also be approved for table games, you have to uh, start it at 10 million. <laughs> so how many bids did they get in this bidding process where they were going to award as many as five? How many bids that resulted in five auctions and five uh there's going to be five separate auctions, actually, they're going to hold. 
giving away five of these licenses. How many do you think? You might already know the answer if you heard the intro. Zero point zero. Right. Not a single bidder. No one wanted to pony up the 7.5 or $10 million to bid. So <laughs> there's not going to be any uh, any more Category 4 licensees unless they change the process. So Pennsylvania is trying to overreach here. They're trying to ask for too much. That, that's why it didn't happen. Well, that's part of the reason why it didn't happen. There is uh, an, another reason it didn't happen, and that is because it was restricted that only current license holders of either a Category 1 or Category 2 casino could bid to run one of these Category 4 casinos. So none of them were interested, is what happened. So they're they're going to have to figure out what to do from this point and decide whether they want to change the fees or something or otherwise maybe just maybe nobody will uh, get those other five licenses at least for the moment the last bid that was one there are five category four casinos at the moment the last one was Hollywood Casino for uh, I believe uh, seven million five hundred thousand and three dollars they actually bid a tiny bit more three dollars more than 7.5 million to get it the reason three dollars more it's kind of clever actually they not only wanted to beat anyone bidding the exact minimum but they also wanted to bid they wanted to beat anyone going like minimum plus one or minimum plus two so they made it minimum plus three dollars. So that was the last one that went, and uh, I don't know if there'll ever be another one that's granted if nobody seems interested, unless they open up the process to others besides existing category one and two license holders. But do you see what a freaking money grab this is for Pennsylvania? That's the only reason they're doing it is just to grab money. They're just so crazy with these fees in Pennsylvania. I'm surprised these businesses can even survive. All righty. Coming near the end here. Final topic. Final topic. Two men in the Phoenix area have been arrested for running an illegal card room for quite some time. The Phoenix area, unlike other areas that have illegal card rooms, does have licensed card rooms that people can visit. So there are legal options to play, which makes me wonder why these things even manage to survive or why anyone really takes a chance running one of these things because they have Indian casinos surrounding the Phoenix area that people go to play poker. In fact, I've played in some of them. But uh, two guys from Phoenix have been arrested uh, and indicted. John Anthony 
Schnaubelt, who's 53, and David Lee Dilatoso, who's 62, apparently were operating a poker room that was illegal and unlicensed in a bar called Toso's Sports Bar and Grill. And there is a raid in January 2019 that resulted in the arrest of these two men, but it's, it wasn't announced uh, publicly until now. They both face uh, three felony counts over this entire matter. And uh, this uh, Schnaubelt owned something called Real Poker LLC, and he supposedly was the run, one running the games. And then this De La Toso actually owned the sports bar and grill Tosos. And that's in uh, pretty much like North Phoenix. They were usually running small tournaments there. And uh, apparently there were some kind of liquor law violations as well that were occurring at that location. Each was charged with conspiracy, operation of an illegal enterprise, and promotion of gambling. Also, the parental entity of the sports bar, some kind of corporation that's probably also owned by Dilatoso, called uh, Daddy's DDK LLC. <laughs> They were charged with promotion of gambling along with uh, – and then they also got charged with seven liquor code violations. So in the indictment, it says that the poker games were authorized, solicited, commanded, or recklessly tolerated by uh, John Schnaubelt and uh, – that uh, De La Toso was the owner of, uh, of of Toso's Sports Bar and Grill. I'm sure that's where they get the name Toso's from his last name, De La Toso. And that uh, he was obviously aware of this and was uh, very much involved in operating it. It was actually on New Year's. They, they, they started off the New Year with a bang. It was raided. And on the website for Real Poker LLC, they wrote... Uh, uh, following the one twenty two nineteen raid, I'm not understanding. It's supposed to have been on January 1st, but then they say on the website January 22nd, but whatever. Of, of Real Poker LLC, the club has ceased operating, effectively forced to cease and desist as we attempt to sort things out with the uh, Arizona Attorney General's Office and Arizona Department of Gaming. We maintain that we've done nothing illegal, that our duly registered amusement gaming poker tournaments are a valid form of civil notice, including a sworn oath that the Real Poker w- was was conducting a not-for-profit not for, not for events modeled after chess tournaments – that ADG, as the, as the Arizona Department of Gaming, publicly declared are not illegal chess for cash tournaments in Arizona. <laughs> they're modeling after chess tournaments. What they're trying to do is go through loopholes to operate these games. Um, there's a few ways they can have these tournaments legally 
in Arizona. Uh, or I'm not sure in Arizona, but in, in a lot of places, there, there's like bar leagues where you're not technically buying into the games, but you're getting free entries. And uh, then the the reason they run these is to get people down there to buy drinks and buy food. It's kind of like a loss leader. Then uh, there's the charity event thing where, where I don't think this is allowed in Arizona, but uh, charity games allow you to run these things, but then these games have to be for charity. But the problem is there's a lot of BS charities that are created to make this loophole, so this has been uh, eliminated in a lot of states. And then, of course, uh, like what happened in Texas, the private club thing where you're supposedly buying a membership to a club where people just happen to be playing poker. So uh, he claims that this was uh, amusement gaming, but it really does seem like they were just running tournaments there for some kind of profit. And uh, that's why there was a raid and that's why they got busted. And uh, here was a... Here is an advertisement on their own website. It says, taking back poker one hand at a time. Closer to home and in neighborhood venues. Discounted food and drink specials. Monthly and annual points races and other prizes. Guaranteed and projected cash prize pools. Uh, 501c7 co-op owned and operated by members. Membership $40 a year. Capped at $200 lifetime. Crowdfunded. I don't know what crowdfunded has to do with this. And then... It also says uh, that there's an advertisement for a a Christmas tournament that uh, took place very shortly before the raid. Penny Drinks and Real Poker, December 25th, 7 p.m., no limit hold'em, $60 slash 5K. I think they may mean 5K guaranteed. Uh, Win $25 if you win with whole cards 2 and 5, members-only event. So... um, People are ent- paying to enter these tournaments. Now, probably what they're claiming is that the house isn't taking anything, that people are entering the tournament and that uh, they award it based upon uh, – yeah, it's just it just pays out in full in this way. The house isn't taking anything, and that kind of falls under the home game provision that you can run poker games as long as the house isn't making anything out of it. But uh, – they are appearing in this whole thing. It says members only event. And uh, I don't know if that's allowed in Arizona to have these membership poker clubs. And I wonder if maybe they were keeping some of the money. I mean, there's you win $25 if you win with deuce and five. So that's coming from somewhere. Do you think that's really coming from just the money they're making from selling food and drink? I don't know. There's got to be something here of why they're being prosecuted. This doesn't look like a huge operation. It's like the back of a bar and grill. There's some reason Arizona is going after them. So there, there had to be more to this than what they're claiming. I wouldn't say there had to be, but it's likely there was. 
But it is interesting that this was rated and hit, given that it's uh, it definitely was not a big operation. It was in the back of a sports bar, and uh, it did exist for a while. I don't know if maybe the local casinos complained, though those are those are on Indian land, so I don't see why the state of Arizona cares so much about them. But uh, apparently someone took an interest here in the government and went after them. How do I feel about these raids? Well, I do feel like these small-time things, it's, it's kind of stupid to go after them. It's like, as long as there's not problems happening over there, then, you know, who really cares if it's technically violating the letter of the law over there? But at the, at the same time, I can understand it because it does give them an edge over the competition. And if they are a bar that people are going to instead of other bars because there's poker there that's operating in an illegal fashion, then the other bars are going to be kind of pissed off that they're following the rules. They're not running these illegal po- poker games and they are losing business to the one that is running illegal poker games. And sometimes you have to think of it like that. You have to think of it from the point of view of other business owners or even others in the community. Uh, if you look the other way when laws like this are being violated, then all you're doing is incentivizing people to break the law and you're rewarding them for breaking the law because they have very little or no competition because not everybody's willing to break the law. And that's another important thing, and I've brought that up many times when it comes to bus of gambling operations that are being run illegally. And people go, oh, man, it's a victimless crime. Why go after them? Come on, just let everything go. Well, I agree it's a victimless crime. I agree that it's frustrating for those who like playing poker at these places, both online and live, to see it shut down and raided. But at the same time, what about the people who wish they could do this but are afraid to break the law? If the government knowingly overlooks it and lets them continue, then they're basically giving the stamp of approval and allowing, like in some cases, almost a monopoly to exist for those that are willing to break the law and they're screwing those who otherwise would, would run one but are afraid to break the law and get in trouble. And that has to really be considered. It's not fair. It's really not fair. I think there should be legal poker rooms allowed in all areas that want them. I don't think it should be forced on any city that doesn't want it, but any area that does want it should be able to get it. I think every state should allow that, allow the cities and and counties to decide. And I think it's great when these choices do exist for adults who want to play. But when they don't, I don't think it's fair for those who are willing to break the law to be able to only profit from it. One risk these people are taking is that they're going to get in trouble. And if it's one thing if just law enforcement is too burdened to do it or if they don't know about it. But if, if they know about it and purposely look the other way, then that really does give an edge that 
those breaking the law don't really deserve to get. Your business should really only succeed because you're better than the competition or nobody is willing to try to compete with you just because they think they'll lose. Not because you're the only one willing to break the law to operate this business. That should not be the reason your business is succeeding. And if it is, then it's not fair to those who otherwise would be competing. So, I don't feel that bad when these busts happen. Just the knee-jerk reaction by poker players is like, oh, come on, how unfair, come on, screw the government, fuck the police. No, I understand it. You've got to look at all angles. Even as a poker player, even as someone who has played in underground games, not many, but I've played in a few, that are definitely illegal, that definitely could have been raided, I've never organized one, I never would organize one, but I've played in some underground games and I've... Uh, I wouldn't have been happy to see it raided right then. But still, I understand the bus. And when they do these raids, they go after the operators of them. They don't arrest the people playing in them. Like, if they arrested the people playing in them, then I'd have a big problem. they're, They're just trying to play poker. They're not trying to operate a business illegally. All righty, we're done. I actually have to do a little post-production because there was some dead air I'm going to remove and maybe a few other things, but uh, not really remove, but kind of clean up. So thank you for listening. If you've been with us the entire seven hours or so, then you must like hearing me talk. Thank you, Cal Watt, for appearing on the show for the first time in 2019. Thank you, Trader Ruski, for appearing once again, as you seem to be doing just about every week, and I appreciate that. Eric Benzamokin, thank you for the $200, and thank you for the legal expertise tonight. Thank you, Mumbles, for trying to shower more than once every three months these days. Maybe his truck never gets attacked because it smells so bad it drives away would-be attackers. It's just like not worth it to them to get that close. Maybe it's kind of like when you put on like mosquito repellent and the mosquitoes don't go close to you because the, the mosquitoes are so put off by the smell of the repellent they don't want to bite you. Maybe it's kind of like that. We have some strange people on Poker Fraud Alert. Like a truck driver who at one time was a PhD student at one time was a college professor and goes a very long time without showering and believes he doesn't smell. Where do we find these people? Or how do they find us? Well, I have to imagine next week's show will not be seven hours. I hope it won't. I I can't do a seven hour every week. It's too much. I can handle it once in a while. I, I couldn't do this every week. It just, it burned me out. But I always want to cover what I want to cover. I, I get my list of what I want to cover, and unless I physically can't do it, then I do it. As you saw. We should be back a week from now, again on Thursday night, 
September 19th is our next show, approximately 8.30 p.m. Pacific time as we're about to move into fall and the temperatures will get cooler. And we will keep pushing forward on Poker Fraud Alert with a show every week for you. Good night. Shalom.